But anyway, this is going to be Summoning Insight. It is, of course, brought to you by Esports Bet. Now, got some new information for you on Esports Bet, which is they've actually just implemented recently a hybrid AI compliance system, which basically they say it opens every single player up to more matches around the world while also making withdrawals faster, being able to better target the cheaters who ruin the markets for everyone. If people don't know essentially how these betting companies now try to get ahead of people cheating, match fixing, having betting rings where everyone puts the money in like one minute before you go live when the odds are really good for the underdog and they all shot the money in and suddenly the underdog's a massive fit. We all know the stories like Richard Lewis etc has exposed over the years. Basically, the approach they have to take in the modern days, they check patterns so they find things like you only ever bet on tiny matches at a low level where people can flee influence and you're probably part of a group. Suspicious betting patterns. When do you bet? What games do you bet on? And so one of the issues was they had a tiered system for all the games on eSports Bet. And so since that could then lead to complications like for example someone is only a fan of a tiny little league in a small game and it's not a major eSports they're not betting on IAM Cologne they're betting on you know some let's say like some Iberian Spanish league. Cup in CS yeah <laughs> something like that exactly something like that you know is their local league and they follow it the problem before was they could potentially initially get flagged as like are they doing something suspicious so this system now essentially because it's an AI system obviously they will like update the algo through time and it will learn through all the different situations and essentially in the future it'll just make it so that if you're a legit beverage won't be an issue like they'll get the bad people catch them in the net and you'll slip through as you should now if you want to bet on esports bet which now hopefully is a safer platform you can if you've never deposited before use our link in the referral link below and you can get a 50 percent deposit bonus up to 200 dollars and if you do indeed deposit any crypto you will then get a 50x bonus of djt so you'll not only have the crypto on the site you'll also have a bunch of djt which is their token that you can then use to enter the world's prediction series 2 competition a 10 million usdt competition we talk about it every week so that'll do for now now let's go to some of the insight <laughs> and of course uh we're gonna have to talk about tsm first because there was a lot of drama this week not only switching this was up full the spectrum because they were they were losing they were winning there was some shit about reggie there was stuff about the org but then there was some positive things about the org. It's like we were all over the fucking place with this one this is a this is a wild one isn't it it is it is a, a a tsm banger week that we have to unpack and yes so the roster changes uh looked bad and then looked good although it's lcs best of one so read into that what you will uh there was also finally the official riots uh, ruling about Reggie, which gave him the absolutely devastating fine of $75,000. Really feel for Reggie. He's worth hundreds of millions. That 75000 is going to set him back. He can't buy his 23rd BMW. Really tragic. Really tragic. Uh, but the bigger news is that he... How stupid that is, his thought. Remember, in 2012, the fucking <laughs> famous line by Dan Din, Reginald's brother, was he could afford to buy two Lamborghinis and crash them into each other. Right? Spoiler <laughs> right. That cost more than $75,000. Like, I don't know if you thought this one through. So, yeah, I mean, the joke with that, if people don't realize, is that is the ultimate riot punishment. Because what I love about this, Monty, is a quick sidebar is, this is how politics works. If you don't know, I'll give you an example. Do you remember? it was a few years ago where fucking Elon Musk and Tesla got into some sort of like securities issue with like the fucking SEC and they get and they gave them a fucking fine Monty 20 million dollars but do you want to know how the world works that's so that me and you <laughs> yeah, read yeah, that exactly. and go well 20 million so much fucking hell what you don't know is this I've looked into these stories here's how it always works it'll be like you pay 20 million as the fine but you'll have made like 200 million off the deal like that's how the world works and the joke is that's what Reggie's done they've let this fucker for 10 years 
do all this shit that they knew about, and in doing so, they've allowed him to accrue a fucking media empire so that he's getting $100 million sponsorships, his company's being valued at hundreds of millions, and then when they finally have to do something, they go, well... 75k bitch <laughs> i just said oh, you had that money in 2012 like that's the problem with this whole thing like obviously if you don't realize the joke there as well i'll also repeat another classic line to think about a bit of food for thought when the only punishment to a crime is a fine it's actually only illegal for poor people reginald's rich enough he's allowed essentially rich riot saying you're allowed to abuse people just pay 75k he's like the rich guy who just pays the 200 dollars and smokes in his hotel room monty congrats riot well, by the way if people wonder why my voice is fucked i did an eight hour fucking watch party in cs4 yesterday so i was having to talk like eight hours straight what coming back for another three or four now you just see going hard um and this is all, you know, there's there's more to this as well. Obviously, we'll talk about the probation. But in terms of the fine, there is a max amount of the fine, which was 25K that they could levy against him. They tripled that because they thought it was numerous infractions over the years. And so exactly, I get yeah. I get that they had to have a ceiling on this fine based upon the rule books and like rulings that they've created. So no, but even what you just said, dude, that's the worst part. That loophole you just mentioned that it's multiple instances. That alone's it. Remember, in like 2014, Monty, they were fining people like double if like two thousand dollars for poaching, right? So just one instance of privately messaging someone, do you want to play for my team? Whether they say yes or no, $2,000, right? So logically, on camera, I've seen alone about five times Reggie's done this. Then let's count behind the scenes. There's got to be dozens. They should actually just by their own logic be paying hundreds of thousands of dollars. You've got your own loophole. If they really wanted to punish him, well, that's it. You just say for every instance, you get fined. It's it's also interesting to me that they targeted the esports end of his business, which is the smaller end of his business compared to the website and Blitz app end of his business. Because here's the real punishment. Which Riot, entirely works off the API. Exactly, yeah. If, exactly. If Riot really wanted to punish him, they would have removed Blitz's access to the API. There are other oh. apps that do the same thing. Totally legally within their rights to do it, by the way. Yeah, they, of course. They, it's their discretion yep. as to who gets access to the API <laughs> to use it. They could have absolutely removed that, crushed the Blitz business instantly, which would have been, I think, if they can't fine him more, that's effectively a fine by shutting down one of his yeah, business exactly. wings. And I think that probably should have been done. Now, the probation aspect of this Clearly, he has to be on his best behavior, so there's no more Kool-Aid man bursting into the room shouting at his players. They've set up independent uh, sources so that people can basically dump information if he decides to do anything in the future, anonymous hotlines, etc., cetera, uh, that have no affiliation with TSM. But they didn't find, and this is fair. You know, we didn't think that Reginald had done anything. We never claimed that he did that was discriminatory in any way. We constantly said we've never heard anything discriminatory or that would be illegal. He's just an asshole. He's just an asshole. Go one further. Like, if people don't get it, there are tons of people in the industry who I have heard stories. So when I say that, I don't say I have heard that it happened or from someone, but there's just stories behind the scenes that people have been involved with sexual indiscretion or they've cheated on people. You know, all sorts of things have happened behind the scenes. I've never heard that ever about Reginald. Like, nope. That's actually why, as far as I can tell, the things we know about basically just being an arsehole to people and being too hard on his plate, that's about all he's done. But the issue is, in fact, I want, I want a quick sidebar on that. Because here's one thing I do have an issue with. Just be 
just because someone's done something wrong doesn't mean that their punishment is Riot Games gets to do whatever they want to them. Like, yep. it has to be appropriate. and has to be a fairness. So I, I also think there should be a distinction made in this sense, right? If he did something to the players, Monty, I do think maybe Riot has, like, a duty of responsibility. Technically, it's, like, players of their game and their league, blah, blah, blah. All this stuff. Obviously, people like the Player Association should get involved. That all makes sense. But I actually do think people are overstepping the bounds a little bit with some of the staff stuff. Like, you could argue this, Monty. If it becomes public that he's done stuff to staff, then obviously that does reflect badly on the league and the fact yeah, that he yeah, let yeah. Tears. That's true. But in terms of, like, private stuff, if you're just, like, a bit... Like, for example, you know those stories, like, oh, it was a nightmare, mate. He would just come into meetings and ask for stuff that, like, you know, you didn't even have prepared. He was like bloody Steve Jobs. Right, why would that be Riot's business? I'm allowed to run my business however I want, mate. I can be shit at meetings and have all the stupid... I can set people impossible challenges. And not... Why would that... That part, by the way, that's... Listen... It's salacious, and we all enjoyed seeing it and going, whoa, holy shit, really? But it's not really a crime, is it? Like, like right. you're not being punished for that. So I think people also have conflated a lot of the issues here. Like, that's essentially just bad business. Like, but you're allowed to do that. Right. And I think the probationary element, I mean, to me, it's obviously hilarious. I'm really curious as to how this affects Valorant. Not that I think that being a franchise in Valorant has value. I think we saw that. Didn't you think it might actually like prevent them being one of the teams that gets accepted? The partnered. Yeah, I think it's possible right. that that happens. Um, it, when when we're talking about Valorant, I'll, though, I'll tell you one reason why it's, it is plausible. It's because not only have they got all this drama with the org, but then you've got to add in, they just, if people don't know, they've, TSM's almost irrelevant in Valorant. They're not a top team. Yeah. So the problem they have is, in my opinion, there's two ways you get into the franchise. I think you're either the best now, it's an obvious way in the game, people want you, or you've got to have the legacy org. Like if you're Cloud9, the org, you've got a bit of both, you're probably almost certainly going to get in. But I agree, TSM's more on the outskirts of that. And I think, honestly... If I was Riot, I'd probably been looking for a reason for a long time to just kind of minimize Reggie's involvement uh, because he has caused so many problems over the years and is likely to continue with these PR disasters. Now, you can't get rid of him in League of Legends because he didn't do anything illegal, right? And for them, people will wonder why this is happening or why like, they were able to remove Echo Fox. Well, remember, uh, and Jacob Wolf actually reported on this, which is that there were issues with Echo Fox that there were two issues. One of which was that there were racial slurs that were used against Rick Fox, which actually is illegal by a major stakeholder within the company. But the reason they were actually, according to Jacob, uh, this is his his reporting, the reason they were actually able to remove Echo Fox was that there was a change in ownership. So basically, Echo Fox was running out of money. So they had a sister company called Twin Galaxies, and they took a loan from that sister company. Now, they couldn't pay that loan, and that loan was sold to the guy who made the racist comments, which meant that it the equity of Echo Fox changed, and they didn't get Riot's approval before that happened. And you cannot make ownership change changes within your organization without Riot's approval. So that was the officially, apparently... Yeah, I mean, that actually makes sense, by the way. In case anyone's thinking that's an officer, that makes perfect sense. It's the same reason, if you don't know why, they have to approve all the player transfers. Yeah. Because they, they're going to be held responsible either way. So in this scenario, think it through. Otherwise, technically, what was the point in the franchising bid? If I could just buy a slot and then tomorrow just sell it to anyone that I wanted to, that's yeah. a, there'd be no point, would they? In fact, in that scenario, by the way, if you thought there's any chance to turn you down, you never go to do it. You have to send the front man, you get in, and then everyone would just backdoor in the league, wouldn't they? So... I even think that's totally reasonable. Yeah, no, I agree. And so apparently, even though this these these racist words were used, um, that was not technically the reason why Echo oh, Fox was removed. It was because of the ownership change without 
riot approval or without riot's knowledge. Makes sense. Um, and so that was the reason why they were forced to sell in the end. Um, I, I'm sure, like, th I'm sure that was convenient because had it happened without the drama and the the racist emails, oh, would be then, then I don't think it would have happened. So I think it was it was convenient for Riot that there were all these things happening at once, which allowed them to remove them. But considering Reggie hasn't done anything illegal, it would be really difficult, I think, legally to oh, make an argument to remove his franchising. Basically, this is you've nailed a key point as well, Monty. That's what makes people care in esports. I learned this a long time ago, and when I say this, you're all going to just go, no, you didn't, you made that up, retcon. That's why I made my persona like this. What I learned was this, Monty. People don't give a fuck about actual reasons. They care about drama. They love drama. Everyone's obsessed with drama. It's the number one thing that perks people's fucking eyes or ears up and lets them start looking and searching and taking the juicy fucking back and forth online. So what I learned is this. People don't actually care, for example, about like, do you work with Saudi Arabia? They don't care about the ethical concerns. But I tell you what, if there's some drama like, but you said you wouldn't work with them or you implied it or you once attacked someone, now there's an angle where you can get people to care. That's the human element that'll draw them in. So I agree with you. The real reason people care about this is all the shit with like Reggie and, and like I said, like the stuff of that Washington Post article, like he was coming into meetings, terrorizing us. That's dramatic. That's like some of a TV show. So everyone cares then, but the actual substance of what you get the person on is nothing to do with it. It's nothing sexy. It's like you say, it's like, is there a reason like in the rules or whatever? Because here's one thing I want to say that I think people are going to really misunderstand. I don't want TSM to get kicked out of LCS. You know that question we've been asked a million times, like, and technically, what if it gets activated? Could they remove them? Why would anyone want TSM removed? Riot don't want them removed. No. The other teams shouldn't want them removed. I don't want them removed. Here's what I want. It's the most logical thing Riot could do. Just get Reginald and tell him either you are just an ambassador, so you just make silly tweets, but you don't have any like operational control, or in general, in League and Valorant, just appoint someone else to run it, basically, and then you just own it. Because no, here's the thing people are not going to understand. Even if TSM's League of Legends team isn't that good, you cannot replace an org with that level of tenure in League of Legends. You cannot create a fan base from scratch with a new org that's going to have the TSM fan base. You can't create the legacy of what Bjergsen did and Double did. Like, you actually want that in your league, you would be a fool to kick it out. That would, If you don't get the analogy, this would be like if you took an org, so I'll, I'll pick like a random one here, right? Let's say Katie Rolster. So it's not like that, the number one, but it's a pretty extended one. Imagine kicking Katie Rolster out of LCK because they suck now. You would ruin the, the history of your own league. It would be stupid to do it. Yep. So actually, all I want is just, just essentially resolve the stupid issue. I don't want TSM out of fucking LCS. That would just be bad for everyone. I mean, and also, I think, like I said... The, Even if it would be funny, obviously. The real punishment would be to hamstring his other businesses by removing his access to the League API and saying, hey, you can stay in here, but we don't want your other business wings interacting with our game, which I think would be fair if you don't like this company's business practices. Question for you about that, actually. And, and it's completely up to their discretion, right? As you say, I'll even go one further, Monty. It's not just that they don't remove his API access. Here's the riddle for you. Let me. I want to see your thoughts on this. You know, when TSM go out there, as they've done many times, as Lean has fucking leaned into, and they do that thing where they brag, like, we're one of the only esports companies that make money. Why did Riot never go, 
maybe I should be charging you a fee for this API access. I've never understood that, Monty. <laughs> maybe they I do. don't, I actually don't know. Because in every other area, they do that. Of course they do. If, if I ever sees there's a fucking pipeline of money going across their land, they're getting in the way of it. So I'm amazed that is a bigger thing, you know, like a war for sort of rights, as it were. They may. I, I actually don't know how the, the API access to these apps work. I mean, these companies are really big. OPGG is just fucking bought OGN. Like, Dude, they, these companies wouldn't exist without this API. Yeah. Fans don't get it. Like, they would be in big shit tomorrow if they had to manually count all that shit like you'd be over their business oh, no, yeah. you couldn't you couldn't do it because you have to have access for players to use the blitz app um because it has to hook up to their live games right so now it'd be a disaster um be a disaster so yeah i mean i i don't know why they didn't do that there probably are reasons whether it's a contract where in fact you may be right thorn they are paying riot and they can't they can't Riot can't breach the contract because of what happened again, because nothing illegal happened. That's certainly a possibility. Um, But what I do find is that the probation is hilarious. And if if Riot chooses to partner TSM, which, by the way, they don't have to at all. There are plenty of better teams. There are plenty of teams that want to get involved with this. as a sidebar, as I said earlier, actually every NA esports org pretty much is trying yes. to get into Valorant, and there's probably going to be ten slots. So you, yeah. like the joke is, there's already like twenty or thirty that like twenty right. you're going to get kicked out immediately. Yeah, and TSM, by the way, can continue to operate a team in the space. They just don't get the subsidies because what the yes. Valorant, what the yeah. Valorant partnership is, is they don't want to. Riot is trying not to repeat the franchising mistakes where people pay them and then they don't run real rosters, and then you have all these garbage teams in your league. What they're doing is they're keeping an open ecosystem, but they're going to prop up. Their their partner teams by paying them some money instead to help them be good, right? To help that basically it's comparable to what we do in CSGO, essentially, like the Louvre agreement and stuff. You get a red share stickers if you make the the major. Yeah. So I actually I actually like this system in Valorant. I actually like it because it keeps good teams in the game and like keeps them around so that you have the storylines and if they start to suck or no, don't spend money then they go away you take away their partnership it's a lot easier right you have to have certain performance standards and you're helping them achieve these goals without them just sitting sitting on a you know a, a spot in the league like a dragon in a mountain on top of a pile of gold forever hoarding it right and never coming out or doing anything to affect the world or the ecosystem around it so I'm in favor of this. Now, I do think that is Valorant the right game to do this with? Probably not. I mean, I wa- by the way, when I was watching the major, I watched Tarek switch over from Valorant and take all uh, take 100k viewers over to a CSGO major or uh, not major Cologne, technically not a major. Um, all right, okay. The Cologne co-stream, right? So towards the end of of the actual best of five that was happening between FaZe and Navi, which was very hype, he actually took all of his viewers and move them over to CSGO. And I'm like, you can't build an, e- an esports infrastructure where 70% of your viewership comes for co-streamers that's going to hop to a bigger, more popular event. Plus, you can sell a sponsorship for that if the number can just drop like that, yeah. Or you just pay Tarek, I don't know. And by pay, the way, you know what's sad? Valorant to do CSGO instead when the new version of CSGO allegedly drops that's in August. That's what I can't believe hasn't happened. That is what I can't believe. You know, famously, the best example ever of this was Apex Legends. Do you remember this? When Apex Legends launched, they just got people like Shroud, Ninja, they just paid them to on, the, yeah, yeah. on the launch week to, to blew it. And so for that one week, everyone remembers it blew up. And for one week, everyone had those shit discussions. Like, is it going to overtake Fortnite? Is it, you know, they did all that shit. Is it the future of esports? But it wasn't. It was just a cynical marketing campaign, right? This is also 
way you cannot run these esports at this Monty. Imagine someone did that maliciously. Imagine cause VCT and Valorant was going on at the same time as I am. Imagine some CS entity just behind the scenes had already paid these guys and they were like, right, here's what I want you to do. As an exercise, I want you to go onto the Valorant thing, run your watch party, build the viewership up, and then at a certain time, like I'll do it like Joker style or like Batman, like I'm going to tell you all at a certain trigger and everyone, all five of you, just switch over quickly to CSGO and suddenly the, the charts go like... <laughs> like mate that would for real if you showed that to sponsors that would be like the fucking end of esports almost like yeah. what, what are we prepared for here like what is that well like that would be so alarming it would be, it would be the end of esports where co-streaming is the majority viewership this is why the valorant esports is such an unstable ecosystem guys yes. either they're gonna have to pay Tarek and shroud one trillion dollars in order to continue to stream their tournaments which maybe it's worth it to them but I think it's hard to sell sponsors in that kind of ecosystem. So it's going to be going to be rough, guys. Uh, meanwhile, uh, as I understand it, here's a little nugget for you guys who care about the the business of esports. I hear Riot is shitting themselves behind the scenes right now because of all the rumors of CS, the new version of CSGO on the new on the Source 2 engine, which is allegedly going to come out in August. And they are trying to rush these partnerships as fast as they can. They were whipping the teams to apply really quickly because they are very suspicious about Valve because as soon as that new version of CSGO gets gets dropped, guess what? All your fun old streamers that are old CSGO pros, guess where they're going back? They're going right back to CS. Then who's going to watch your Valorant streams because 70% of your viewership is done by co-streamers and not people who actually want to watch the official stream. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting towards the end of this year, guys, if the new version of CS drops. Also, I have a feeling that as people get older, they'll move away from Weeb CS into Real CS, and uh, it'll be a lot more attractive. So we'll see if Valve's new shiny thing comes out later this year. But back, back to back to some League of Legends. So on the probation angle, I do think this is an excuse for them not to partner him, at least at, at the start, within their ecosystem of Valorant as some sort of punishment. We'll see if they actually carry through with that. Just as a side note, I think the, the the probation is hilarious because this is actually the worst punishment that you can give Reginald. Like, his personality is such, there is no amount of money that he has that is going to fill the bottomless void that is his soul. And so the fact that he has to go to sensitivity training and executive training, and he has to be very careful about what he says, and all of his power of being a jerk has been stripped away from him, and he knows that people can be calling behind the scenes for the next two years to report him, this is actually his nightmare. He can't come in and fix the competitive success of his team. He can't do anything. His... He has the way, to I'll even do his say, job. It's, it's amazing. I would even say from having had conversations online and in real life with Reginald, I even think for him particularly, it's going to be worse. Because here's the thing, Monty, tons of people in esports, if they had to go to that course, would just be like, I don't give a fuck. So what I'll do is I'll pretend I'm listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I shouldn't do that. Reginald's not got that level of guile and cunning, guys. I think for real, he'll actually have a really bad time there. He'll just be like, but, but why would I have to? Like, he'll be like asking actual questions and trying to fucking engage with the top. I think it'll be terrible. Man. I think it'll, it'll be such a joke for this guy at all. So, you know, as as... You can't really punish people who are jerks who have a lot of money, um, but it's just it's it's it warms it warms the cockles of my heart a little bit to be thinking about him 
in these like executive coaching sessions and, <laughs> and his sensitivity training because I know that money doesn't make him happy. What has always made him happy is competitive success and having power over other people. And he doesn't have either of those things anymore. And he's not going to have them for a long time to come. So that really, that really does please me in a lot of ways. A lot of people may think this is a slap on the wrist, but this is like the perfect punishment for this human being. Uh, and maybe he'll come out of it better, but for the most part, it's just amusing. It's just amusing for me. I don't think it'll have any effect. And by the way, one last thing I need to say on the on the Reginald like macro topic. I'll tell you one take that aged very poorly. Remember how we were told for the first half a decade? That's right. It was, it's lasted a decade, guys, this shit. You propped someone up for one decade and lied about me and Monty and lied and said insults to us for a decade when you were completely factually wrong in every sense. But yep. even worse than that, you also gaslit us for 10 years that because he was whatever, he was X age. Now he is X age plus two years, plus four years, plus five. <laughs> you just literally, here's what they always do, Monty. They take a random person in esports. And they make it sound like them sitting and playing even more League of Legends was actually them getting cast away like the fucking Tom Hanks movie for years and years <laughs> on an island where they reflect on life and have growth and become a different person. And suddenly they come out of it and double it's like a genius shot caller all over the place. Leaners, like fucking business. Mm, yeah, fucking sell, sell. Greed is good. Like they're just fucking all the masters. They crap. In reality, Reginald's still just a fucking moron from League of Legends popping in like the cooler man. What are you doing? Why are you building those boots? They fucking, you should. Why have you even got oracles? support always by oracles like that he's always been like that he's, the joke is by the way if i had to pick two people in league of legends who've experienced the least fucking human growth double after Reginald might be top of my fucking list the joke is they couldn't have just stepped out of a time machine from 2012 they've all that's changed is the fucking appearance is slightly aged that's about it I mean, I do. Make sure Doublelift has his. He looks identical to his, his haircut just changed. If you took Doublelift and put his face in the center like those images and just did a million photos, I bet it's just the same face identically <laughs> with haircuts and jerseys changing <laughs> and just different women coming in and out and Travis just appearing a thousand and it's like times. Muscles getting bigger as far. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's true. He did work out, I guess. He did work out. <laughs> he actually got fairly small, to be yeah, fair. Actually, yeah. He did. He put in some I mean, effort, yeah. he, It's not like he doesn't have discipline, right? Uh, clearly, you have to have discipline to play at his level oh. for that number of years. And he he certainly yeah, yeah. did apply himself at the gym as well. Um, but this is, I do think this is a great time because we're going to wrap all of these threads of conversation up in what Doublelift was saying this past week. So not only, by the way, I do think it's hilarious that Doublelift is like leaking the TSM roster before they can announce it, which by the way is just purely to piss TSM off, which awesome. yeah. beautiful, beautiful. Really enjoyed that one. <laughs> um, but then the other thing he said during that, <laughs> during that leak, uh, was that, oh my God, LCS dying. What a heinous insult straight to the heart of the TSM or the LCS leadership, the LCS producers. It is illegal to say that if you are a co-streamer. <laughs> what well, I love about it is this. I just love the fact that like, listen, right? If you were to think tactically how you would deal with someone who's one of the biggest, by the way, he essentially is North American League of Legends. Like Doublelift just yes. is, aside from Bjergsen, who was a fucking foreigner, Doublelift is North American League of Legends. He's the best he player, the American LCS. player of all time. <laughs> yeah. Like the joke is he is the protagonist of LCS, isn't he? Like the story basically was his fucking story right you take that guy saying in some sort of like you know fucking like babylon writing on the wall moment like wow lcs might be dying right um remove his co-streaming so that the viewership goes down even more like you can't that's what i love about riot they're so predictably stupid monty like they will always every time it's like riot here's like what's going on 
carve our nose to spite our face. That'll teach our face. Every time they do that move, like, it's so dumb, isn't it? Because also, by the way, it just makes you look mega insecure. You're on, like, the Simpsons shit, like, paddling, talking about paddling. That's a paddling. Like, that is why I always like this. They're so, there's such a parody I mean, of themselves. By the, by the way, it's so funny because their, their advertisement is always, we're the most player-focused company in the world. That is their company mantra, guys. So what would the players like? Would the players like Doublelift, our biggest co-streamer, not to be able to co-stream? Surely the players will love that one. Would they like Monte Cristo, the most popular caster, uh, to not be able to cast international events because he stood up for his own wages? Yeah, surely the fans will love that. They're not about the players, guys. They're about their own fucking petty grievances, and they always have been. They never can rise above it. These people who are the same people year after year after year because they just sit in these jobs and they never get fired for the LCS's viewership dying or for any of their garbage decisions that they've made over the last decade. So here we go, guys. Here we I go. Tell you a funny aside. I've got a funny little sidebar. It'll be quick. It's an anecdote that people might know the beginning of, but they don't know how it connects. Right? Years and years and years ago. Because here's another thing people don't get. You know when people like Richard Lewis battle against Riot, and people think like well, he's just speculating. Right? Richard Lewis has known loads of people who worked in Riot. Like as we always say, there are some like legit slash tenured slash cool people in Riot. And guess what? They also want the shit to get out there that's dodgy and be. Exposed. So what yep. they do is they go to people like Richard and they give them information. So one thing Richard knew from years ago that's hilarious about Riot is in the early days, Monty, they really were on some like fucking like J. Edgar Hoover level shit where they had dossiers on everyone. And he said, for real, if anyone famous tweeted about Riot, that they would get the tweet. This is real. He said they would print it out and it would go in a folder. And obviously my joke was that I must have my own fucking like drawer. <laughs> like I've done too many. Haven't I? So the premise is this, right? The reason why I thought of that though, because I remember him telling me and I was like, that is plausible because they are sort of a bit paranoid about that. But at the same time, who cares? But then I remembered this detail. Do you remember that anecdote I've told in, in public previously? because Riot always tries to pretend like I'm a bad guy and like all that. Right? I told that story that they back-channeled once and basically offered me like, if you do this, you'll do worlds at one point. And I, 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 I didn't even think of this at the time, dude. The one thing they wanted fans in exchange for doing worlds was just no criticism on Twitter for two years. And I never put two and two together. Like, I, so what I never thought is this one. Why would that be worth it on their end? Dude, that's how triggered they get just about being talked about in public. That basically yeah. they just wanted two years of radio silence. To me, I'd be like, who gives a fuck about Twitter? But that's who Riot is. Like, if you don't understand... By the way, this essentially bleeds into that topic that we did about Valorant and DDK and Sean Gares. One of Riot's biggest problems, and it's why they will never convince legit people they aren't tyrants, it's because they have the number one flaw of tyrants, which is because you have ultimate power. The second someone in any tiny capacity annoys you, you fucking <laughs> behead them. And when you do that, you show you are a tyrant. So the one thing they always do is they always overreact like this in the most petty yeah. way. They can, they can never take the high road, Monty. They never do. So and, and, and they hate the, criticism, <laughs> even if it's legit. Even if it's totally legit, they hate it. They hate it so much, mate. And by the way, guys, LCS is dying. There isn't another way to put it. And oh, I understand why they flip out when Doublelift says LCS is dying. He probably has a contract that says if he co-streams that he can't. He has a non-disparagement clause. He can't say bad things about the league, right? But the thing is, also likely to go mainstream if he says it. Mate. If I say it, it's not going to be the Washington Post. They might write an article like you know, main co-streamer says league's dying. That would be a fucking terrible headline. Yeah, but here's the thing. Riot can't punish him because it's true. And if the, if they yeah, can't, yeah. if the sponsors can't see that, you can literally see, go to ES Charts every year. 
Average concurrent viewership going down spring to spring, summer to summer. Guys, we were around. We saw the 2015 CLG versus TSM games with 400,000 concurrent viewers. That literally never happens anymore, even for finals. It's it been... again, nowadays for someone like that, like the biggest match, what would it usually be now? I, mean, I can look. Uh, it was 50. Yeah, probably around there. Um, we can look at what the finals were for the spring season. Uh, but yeah, it's it's basically, you know, it, it's not that difficult to see that these things are going down. Um, and so the sponsors, like the fact that they try and cover this up is so confusing to me because it's so easy to find this information and they must think that their sponsor partners are so stupid in order for this uh, to occur, like to, in order for them to be able to bury this. Right. So I actually don't understand the point about all of this. It doesn't even feel like they're trying to fix what the, the issues. What is this though, Monty? I think a side angle, though, that's probably worth mentioning is, you notice we're talking about like average viewership, for example. If anyone doesn't know... Loads of the esports companies a few years ago magically went away from the raw viewership number and they started doing things like viewed hours and stuff. So that means, by the way, you can sort of fudge these numbers if you do a different category by sure. doing stuff like holding a lock-in tournament. Like, there's a bunch more games you can create and more hours to be watched. But it, So I assume that's how they get away with it now. It was, I assume they just changed the Excel sheet a bit, but you can't do that forever. You can't last, do that forever. Last split, the peak viewership was 387,000 for the grand finals. Now, uh, TSM versus CLG used to be 400k just for a regular season game, right? The yeah, average yeah, viewers yeah. last split was 123,000, including co-streaming. This split, guys, this split, it's 82,000 concurrent viewers on average. This viewership is bad. It is very bad uh, for the league. And there's no, there's not really a way to spin this. And so he didn't make any kind of judgment about the LCS. He didn't say LCS is bad. He didn't say oh, this product is garbage. He just said that it's dying, which is true. This is what dying viewership looks like. Didn't say it couldn't be revived. Didn't say it couldn't go up again. But as it stands right now, it's all. just true that it's dying. It's just true. And then they oh, punished him. But I think they also punished him because he also mentioned the Bjergsen thing with the fucking, like... <laughs> Mr. Like Beast. Which, yeah. which, by the way, was ridiculous. Which is again. You know. so, so I understand the league's perspective because you have to be able to control where the players play. Otherwise, you know, LCS loses value. Yeah, Even if it was a charity event like it did, people were like, well, it should have been done for charity. Here's the thing. It has to get approved, yes. You can't do every charity event because there are going to be businesses that run charity events just to get your players, to get viewership, to drive other business initiatives later on it can be used really maliciously sponsorship is based on some form of exclusivity like you have the yeah, rights yeah, yeah. to this person in this domain so like, fans don't get, I get it. it if you just go and play in another product you are essentially devaluing your sponsors what you've sold them the deliverables yeah, yeah. that's true so i don't blame riot for not letting <laughs> bjergsen yeah, go sure. but at the same time this double lift is correct this is an opportunity to reach a new audience because mr beast is also absolutely sure, yeah. fucking enormous and ninja also Obviously, I don't, I don't think Ninja would have brought new viewers to or players to League of Legends considering he streams it a bunch and he's like, well, you know, he's in the esports world. So people who are already Wait, there. I normally, don't, I normally don't care about streamer clips, but do yourself a favor if you never have and go and look up the highlight video of when Ninja first played League of Legends. <laughs> and if, if you don't know, 
within like half an hour, he is unironically doing that thing where he is just screaming at his money, like, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, he just becomes a league player with that. It's amazing. It's actually amazing. The way he molds is so good. Because he does that. Because th- the thing is, I've always said this as well, Monty. Remember, I come from a game that in theory is supposed to be super toxic. CSGO and FPS games. But the difference is, there's almost like a lightheartedness to the shit talking in those games. There's something about League, the game, I've always said. It's not that toxic people play League. League makes you toxic. There's something about League where you don't even just say, like, you're fucking the game up. You actually start, like, trying to, like, hurt the person's feelings and, like, get to the fucked up game it just makes you but it's like going to prison it just changes a man just League of Legends that's why I would absolutely I'd have like all those images like League of Legends not even one it's like it's fucking off in it yeah. but watch that highlight video it's so good it's so good but it yeah I, I mean I do, I'm not sure that you're going to convince people if Bjergsen plays even with Mr. Beast it's not going to be like some watershed moment where a million people suddenly oh, join has. you know join the, the the North American server the viewership wasn't even that good. I, I guess it, I think it was like 100K or something, which is like good. But I don't really see why, uh, how that would have helped. But outside of this one event, I do agree with Doublelift's principle, which is that they should be using their players in scenarios like this or be identifying ways to drive their player base with larger influencers, right? The problem is they have to pay these people a lot of money and they're afraid of the influencers taking control of a lot of the narratives, which is exactly why... They didn't like well, doing what he was doing. Again, one of the things they're afraid of is this. Let's say I partner with a big influencer, but then in a year from now, like like use the example you gave before. I mean, listen, Valve doesn't do this, to be fair. Valve don't do that. But let's imagine a world where Valve was like that or Blizzard or something. Uh, the rival company then pays the same influencer and takes his fan base. Like That's why Riot's the ultimate fucking... Basically, the joke is, if Riot was a human, they had their heart broken in fucking high school and they've never been able to have a normal relationship with <laughs> him. So they carry true. that baggage with them. And the worst part is, if you're a new spouse or partner, you have to somehow know without them telling you their fucked up baggage in history or you'll never be able to actually get to who they are as a person so as a result they can't trust anyone and they can never the the premise with them is like when I say they don't share power I don't mean it to sound cool it actually fucks them as well because they can't ever trust anyone they can't ever have any proper partnerships they can't build anything new or epic like essentially actually ends up being a limiting factor for them in my opinion in the long run yeah and you know what's interesting was that uh, we saw actually that the player base of the NA server really hasn't changed substantially so it's it's still Ooh, approximately in the, then, yeah. in the same place it was a few years ago because if there was a if there was a decline in the actual player base in NA, well, that might explain, for instance, a decline in esports viewership. In fact, over the the pandemic, as you would expect, player base went up because more people were playing video games. They weren't going oh, sure. out, so they saw a bump, and it's now kind of back down to the level it was a few years ago. But this goes to show that the LCS viewership problem is a problem created by the LCS itself. I actually have a question, because this is one thing I've never seen anyone do. Everyone gives you these raw stats for, like, average viewers and stuff. I want to know the breakdown demographically, because here's the angle I would be very interested in, Monty. If you asked me to spitball reasons now why LCS would have less viewership in 2022, the number one reason I would say is this. When I first began in League of Legends, Monty, I used to be really shocked that all my friends and people I knew who were from League... They were all watching like TSM and CLG. And I was like, one, didn't you tell me like they're worse than Moscow Five? And two, why are you watching the American League? Like we're in Europe yep. to watch it. But the premise was they used to watch Europe and North America. In the modern day, by the way, I don't know anyone who watches LCS who's an LEC fan, mate. 
Why would you? No one does. No, exactly. So the problem is, and there's not even, as you mentioned, there's not even the sort of hype storyline. Like, well, it's CLGTS. I've got to watch that. That doesn't exist anymore in League of Legends. Like, there is no rivalry like that. So I get the sense personally, LEC fans don't watch that. I think, I think basically the only people who watch LCS is Americans. That's it. So I think you've also chopped it off your viewer base almost, you know, because I used to get the vibe back then. Lots of LEC and EU LCS fans tuned in for at least the big game, you know. Well, I mean, here, here's another problem. At least back in the day, before the LCS and LEC started, there were at least more international competitions between NA and EU. Like, we keep harping on this, but there's only been a handful of NA versus EU best of fives over the last several years. Well, that would and, be a way to get people to care more, yeah, for sure, if they and, interact. And, yeah. and, like, we didn't even get that at the last MSI either, because G2 and EG were on opposite side of the brackets. Now, we did yes. kind of get... A de facto like BO5 from G2 and EG being in the same group and then getting into the same and then they were in the rumble stage together. So we did actually see what six games between these two teams five, five or six, six. I think we it was saw six, six. Wasn't it? yeah, we saw six. Um, so that was that was kind of a best of five in a way, but it wasn't an elimination match. So Riot, due to their own system, has stripped out all of the NA versus EU rivalry, which probably would create more interest from EU fans and NA teams, right? Because now they just don't have to care at all. They just never play them. Um, and they haven't done anything like the, the region itself in LCS has not been competitive internationally. The broadcast has been really bad in terms of quality and content and player storylines. And so it's just more or less a disaster all around. You don't have the competitive advantage. You don't have the server size, although that hasn't appeared to change much now that we've seen some of the numbers on that. And it's kind of plateau over the last few years. They're not losing players, but they're not really gaining players either. Uh, and it really is. It really is the LCS's fault. Now, you can point fingers at Riot for being bad at producing the league. You can point fingers at the teams for not being competitive or for running budget rosters as they sit, sit upon their $10 million investment and refuse to put more money into it because they know that there's no difference between 6th and 10th place. So there's no motivation for them to climb in the standings unless they're going to Worlds, basically. But the system is hugely flawed and it was entirely designed by Riot and it's being entirely supported by Riot. And ultimately, they have to take responsibility because the player base hasn't really changed all that much it appears so the blame is solely up by the way obviously those are all i would say some of them are like more obvious or surface level things what i would ask is this do you think any any factor at all is also like the level of play being bad do you think that's a does that matter if they like if all play was bad would that would that affect any of these other factors look na has been always been bad so either the only choice you have is that finally fans became undiluted and they don't listen to Reggie lying, saying that TSM is their goal is to win worlds anymore, which was always ridiculous on its face. Uh, but some people bought into that. Or you just have it that nobody actually cares about the teams or the players in this league. Certainly, there are leagues, sports leagues all over the world that have ardent, diehard fans. Just because MLB exists doesn't mean there aren't a bunch of fans of the Japanese and Korean baseball leagues that feed into MLB. Just because there's the NHL doesn't mean that there aren't fans of the Russian hockey leagues or the Nordic hockey leagues, right? Um, so I can only conclude that people would be fans of LCS because it's convenient in their time zone. And they, if it was actually presented better, and I don't know how 
big of a factor competitive quality actually is on an international level. Because remember, there's hardly any international competition. 90% of the year is just LCS. So if you liked LCS for reasons, you wouldn't really care about how well the teams did internationally, right? That makes sense to me, at least. So there must be other problems. No. I, I just don't I just don't see it as international success. And also, you have to take the example of Europe, right? Sure, Europe's done better. You know, they made a couple world finals, but that was several years ago now, and they got blown the fuck out in those finals. Yeah, they won an MSI. That was a while back now, too. But what LEC continues to be successful, even though their teams don't win international competitions and haven't won or haven't even appeared in finals for years. So they are clearly having not as severe a problem performance problem, but they're still having a problem. So what does that mean? Well, frankly, LEC is much more fun to watch than LCS. Like they do a better job producing it. The players are, the storylines are told better. The players have more personality. Even the ads, even the ads in LEC are more fun to watch. Like they do a good job with the Kia and the KitKat stuff that makes it all feel integrated and part of a whole. And it makes it feel fun. And like LCS is just not fun. It's not fun to watch at any level. The gameplay is atrocious. The games are like the games are bad. There isn't it, it, I don't go into the LCS being like, well, I'm going to have fun watching this today. Whereas LEC, I'm like, well, I'm going to see some pretty good games and I'm going to get to watch these players who have a lot of personality, whose stories are told. And then I don't know what's going to come up on the broadcast because there's going to be all these fun elements thrown in uh, that are going to surprise me. I think you can't have that with LCS, though. By the way, not obviously in a literal sense. You absolutely could. I mean, like, functionally with Riot, I don't think you can have that. And the reason why, to look back to what I was talking about with the Reginald situation, Riot really are people who... Riot are, are petty people with a stick up their arse on every issue. That sort of person, you can't have fun with that person. Yep. You can't lightheartedly poke fun at them or make some crazy thing. Like, there's always going to be... You went over the line. Like, was that, like if I give people an analogy, if you know in CSGO, this is why in CSGO, score while esl was maybe the best at being like the professional to famously the reason people used to love dreamhack is dreamhack was more the me and richard vibe of the banter and a bit more sort of the gamer ethos and where gaming came from and so the problem with that is this that was fine for esl and cs score because they didn't have to do that they already had the audience they were the number one people they could fit the identity of we're the most professional broadcast the problem lcs has is this monty they cannot do the banter thing, which is what everyone wants, which is what LEC is. And they can't also be the best broadcast because they have the worst product to show. And then they also have no identity. Like, you don't watch the LCS and go, wow, this is the peak of LCS, of esports production. Like, look at the things they're doing here. This is innovative. You don't. You go, this is a fairly actually sort of paint-by-numbers broadcast. It's not bad, but it's not the best. If I can't, That's why I always bring it back to this. There is no identity to the LCS on any level. It's a, it's only identity is it's just North American orgs. That's it. It's not even players. It's, it's got no like. If I asked a random fan, tell me three adjectives about LCS, mate. What are they even gonna say? I don't know. I don't even know what they would say. What would they possibly come up with? Because here's the difference, as we point now. If you said give me three adjectives for LEC, the first ones would be like fun, banter, like all sorts of shit like that. Like they'd immediately be for LCS. I, like the joke is, you can't even say anything because like it's all nouns. You'd have to say like Bjergsen. Like that, that's like all you have. There's nothing. <laughs> Reggie. Like that's it. <laughs> I, I I think too. Like you, you just, it's just a feel thing for me. When I watch when I watch LEC and they integrate the professional players, like when Perk starts casting a game or when they do an interview and they're in post, they're in the post show, right? 
in the post game lobby or whatever they call it. Um, the players look like they're having fun being there, and it looks like they have a relationship with the talent, with the casters, with the interviewers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can tell that they everybody really cares about what is being said, how it's being presented. The players, the players on LEC, I get the vibe. Nor they're part of the show. Do you know what I mean? Like if they bring yes. like Oduami on the pod, he talks, the reason he won't get offended, he knows he's part of the show. He's sort of, yes. he's sort of trying to tell the story of the show. He feels really comfortable. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I do not get the sense when I watch LCS that anybody has a rapport with a player. The interviews are they look like they never met the player. Like it's yeah. like the joke is every interview may as well be like Latigris and Danny, and it look, looks like someone's just met someone on a school trip. Like, <laughs> what about you, little boy? Why are you here at Beamish Museum? Like, it, it just it doesn't look like a pro that you know. Like, hey, oh, hey, how you doing, Danny? What's going on? Like, doesn't have that vibe, does it? it, it when I hate the way I'm just a fucking teenager on this episode. I don't know, Martin. The ecosystem of the LEC from the player streams, like when Yanko streams and then he comes onto the show, it all feels like part of one whole universe, right? It it feels like Yankos can do off go off and do his own thing and be fun, and then he shows up and he's the same kind of fun bubbly guy on the interviews. And then we have the the players coming in and like you know being really supported by the casters in order to give their takes. Which by the way we saw an LCS with Huni this week, which was better. I will I will say it was better. I thought Huni looked very comfortable, but it just seems like there isn't a divide between the broadcast and the personalities of the player. But LCS is just one giant chasm um, where it just doesn't feel real. At all, it well, just feels really, fake as fuck. I really appreciate <laughs> just like the sheer fucking like um, bigotry of low expectations of everyone in LCS. That they're like, you know, Hoonie's like fairly fluent now. The motherfucker came to Europe in 2015, seven years ago, and has been paid millions of dollars. There was only one year he was in Korea that time. Like what? <laughs> like. Yeah, you, you and you're impressed. He can go like, "Can I have a Mars bar, please?" Like, are you fucking kidding me? I, I would expect he should be even better than that. Well, he's. I actually think Hoodie's quite good at English, and like, he he was almost no, instantly I mean, like, too. Years. I mean, he's got the slang. He's got the banter. Like, I love Hoodie. I thought he did a really funny job on the broadcast. It certainly was entertaining for me. But this is all them stealing pages from the LEC playbook, and is not anything new. Like, here's here's a news flash for you, LCS producers. You can't just do the same thing as as LEC because they're going to be better than you at it. That's not a choice you can make. That's not going to increase your viewership. You need to be your own unique thing that people care about, not the worst version of LEC. That's what I love, though, dude, because I used to also get that so many times in the early years of League of Legends. Like, ah, thing about you, Tharn, is you're just salty that you know Riot would never let you within 100 miles of a broadcast. The joke is, you moron, they did sort of like a Thorin Light version. It's called the LEC, you idiot. It's probably the most popular product they've ever created. <laughs> you morons <laughs> so that's why the real shit i'll tell you a little sidebar because people might be interested in this monty the real fucking what if in history if we could like go back in a time machine and do things differently that could have changed league of legends because i'll tell this info it's a it's an anecdote of monty's but i won't like reveal any fucking secret shit. i won't say who he was talking to but basically once upon a time you all know monty used to work with the sl and esl used to do iems right they used to have the iem and kind of in san jose and kind of eat, uh, well sometimes they had the european ones at like cologne etc they had certain they had the two or three a year 
if you remember, they'd also have like a random Asian one with Asian teams. And if you remember, Riot immediately gimped them because they made it so you could never have like the eight teams from the LCS. You had to have like four LCS teams, two amateur, one from Turkey and one from fucking other shit all that no one cares about. And you'd have to have like a sort of a scuffed set of teams so that even if you did the broadcast better than them, you can't really beat LCS. You can't beat their product, right? So because Monty was working with IEM, I, ESL basically said to Monty, like, we want to actually like brand ourselves that we're not like the LCS. We're, we're like what league could be if someone else ran it, basically. And they said to Monty, is why I'm hiding the identities. They said to Monty, basically, like, what could we do that would really like blow it out the water? What would really change? <laughs> and your idea, by the way, like I say, if you know now what's happened, your idea was fire. It's just, you have to understand, he was saying this to ESL. And let's just say this was in the years I didn't work with ESL. Because Monty's suggestion was a brilliant one, but it never would have been approved by anyone. It was just bring Thorin on the League of Legends broadcast of ESL. Like, obviously, if the desk was me and Monty from like 2015 on, it would be a bit of a game changer. I think you would maybe get a well, little bit of a different it vibe. Was, it's even funnier than that, Thorin, because they told me that they wanted me to have like even more aggressive hot takes because they wanted they wanted go. to have a different okay. sense of the desk than the LCS. Yes, so they wanted to yes. be they wanted me to be really mean. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do that, but you know how you could do that. <laughs> Why don't we bring Thorin on? Because remember, this was when this <laughs> this is actually hilarious. This was the time period when Riot was making primetime league and they were spending millions and millions of dollars doing this show and summoning insight with like two webcams was like quadrupling their viewership yes. and they were omega salty about it. Oh, I mean, it's like, it's the same shit that's happening now. This show gets more viewership than the dive because we do it live and people watch the Twitch VODs and we have it on Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. This show with two webcams. Meanwhile, the dive is like, they, they have to have what? They have to have like makeup there. It's like a multi-camera show. They have it's like just a the studio gym, they have like a gym operator. Everything. They have a studio set up to get less viewership than yeah. us on a show that costs zero dollars to make it. Oh, it's not as so funny it's so funny i don't even understand why they make the dive because you notice it's such a waste this is where that's esports industry in a nutshell or monty notice what they missed there the reason this show essentially succeeds in spite of not having the basic production resources is because at its essence, it's got a creative element that is vital, it's essential. What they've done with Riot, Monty, and the dive, like you say, they've done a cargo cult version of ours. They've gone, right, uh, so what people like is like talk shows. They like hosts. I tell you what, um, right, uh, level it up, make the microphones better, make the... Th it's like, you idiot, you missed the point. Like, essentially, you made a brilliant fucking car with no engine anymore <laughs> And no driver like that's now you scored, you fucked yourselves didn't you <laughs> well it's like it, they, they can't possibly get enough sponsorship to cover the costs of running that no show way. and again exactly. like why even do it why, why even spend the millions of no joke guys because they're, they're paying the talent fees they're paying all the cameras they're paying the editors they're paying the you know makeup they're paying lighting they're paying everything right? and yeah. everything it, it, people don't know how expensive it is to do things in real life in that sense yeah. yeah especially in los angeles where everyone's unionized although riot doesn't exactly. use union people they don't actually get union rates for that anyway it's a it's an interesting interesting that sounds uh, interesting in itself. it's very interesting okay. <laughs> but okay. um but yeah i mean obviously like there's plenty of people here to do these jobs uh so there is a demand right and people have the opportunity to go select other gigs to do if you just operate a camera right and it's not really a shortage of oh, work by the way i've just realized something that also does the original topic about reginald and all that stuff the other thing that was hilarious was this i actually think the most embarrassing detail about reginald everyone else missed monty it's that 
Here's the thing. I don't think, by the way, this is where I'm a lot fairer than other people, because I know who Reginald is. I don't think Reginald maliciously did all that contract stuff that they were talking about, where, you know, like, technically the people were being treated as if they were salaried employees, but they were yep. also, like, then, like, Reginald was then just giving them, like, contractor status. I don't think Reginald actually did that maliciously. I think Reginald's too stupid to know that there's a legal basis. I think Reginald's the guy where he's like, what do you mean, though? I'm their boss. I, I'm their boss. I tell them what to do. It's like, that's not actually legally how it works. Actually. Like, the question, you know, I think he really just thought like, well, of course you have to come in tomorrow. Like, oh, I'll probably fire you. And like, it's like, I am like a contractor, Reginald. You know, I wouldn't have to, on my desk at eight in the morning, like, he's just a bozo in me. Like, it's no wonder he <laughs> fucked that up. Because I thought that was mental itself. Because remember what I said on a few episodes ago when that was leaked? Guys, I don't want people being like, was that a big deal? It's a $400 million valued company, you fucks. If you're going to keep doing those Forbes articles and saying it's real, well, imagine I ran a company that was even $10 million, Monty. People were fucking torturing you over the renegade stuff. This is a $400 million valued company, and they can't even get basic employment status right. I think that's a pretty big deal. I'd put that top well, of the list, personally. I think that's more important than busting in like the Kool-Aid man in shitty TSM meetings. That's not really that important an issue, is it? It just ruins the competitive aspect. I think if you start policing that then you have to police all of the esports teams that are doing should, it though. yeah you probably should but i'm just saying it's not just yeah. tsm i can tell you it's not just tsm uh back to the dive though just briefly by the way guys i don't want you to think that i'm i'm shitting on the quality of the dive or the people on the dive like i think the show is fine the problem is it's just the cost right like what i'm saying is that the cost is ridiculous for the return that they're getting on this show when they could just let it be the ecosystem, right? They could just let the ecosystem take care of their podcast problem for them like we're doing right now and not spend millions of dollars ridiculously on content that doesn't seem to serve a point when it comes to sponsorship or uh, actually making a profit. Because this is another problem with the LCS overall is that that money could be spent on other things instead that might actually increase viewership to the league, considering there will always be podcasts to fill that hole that you don't have to make. You don't have to make them right. It's okay. It's okay. Spend your money on uh, doing player storylines instead, please, is, uh, would be my advice. Would be my advice. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get to talk about any of the LCS games <laughs> this week. <laughs> I'll say is this, like, uh, to be fair, we'll also address this obviously later, like competitive edge or whatever. All you need to know is this, Monty, right? I was watching the games today to do the show, right? But obviously over the weekend, hence why I lost my voice, I'd be watching the CSGO tournament, I right. am Cologne, obviously, and yesterday the match was like seven hours long, right? While all this was going on, Monty, I was every now and then on the second monitor just checking in on the scores in like LEC. <laughs> and I saw that even though, even though you could never get this, like we did that same thing again where we got like amazing bet, but then you got fucked on that bad line. <laughs> so it's all right. I just chuckled when no, I saw no, no. it. Got, got fucked I on just, the fanatic so one. I was watching, no, when I saw like the Baron throw one, oh, the T1 one was a good one as well. <laughs> Baron throw. Because the problem is, I was only laughing because I knew the context that like you would have won the battle. <laughs> the the fanatic game was really the infuriating one. Uh, and the, the, for me though, actually, and now I get why people enjoy betting and watching it. Except here's the difference. You notice I don't enjoy it as much that I win. I enjoy the shard of pride when you're getting wrecked. Like, that makes so it better much. for me. So. Well, I mean, it was the, the TSM FlyQuest one wrecked us too. Like, and you do a watch party for it as well, so you must have been mauled, right? Uh, so here's the, here's the thing. Uh, so by the way, guys, Foxdrop and I were doing a, a watch party for the Fnatic game. And so we, we put some props down, prop bets down uh, about like first turret oh, and first turret right, and first yes, to five yes. kills. So actually, yes. hilariously, we actually made money in spite of Fnatic right. losing because our prop bets were good. <laughs> but it was it was really infuriating to watch them 
play so badly with the yeah. Caitlin Morgata and the lead that they had. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the whole the whole league is just causing everybody to mauled right now. We'll get into that. Well, with those the craziest weekends I've ever seen in any league, man. That was yeah. mental, wasn't it? It was it was really surprising. But to touch on on LCS real quickly. Uh, look, I think we have to talk a little bit before we bring guys around about the EGTL game, because look, man, TL started this split strong, but Han Sama has been so bad. Uh, especially compared to the form we expect from him on Rogue. And I was uh, I was having some banter with the EG staff like Empire and uh, Rigby, their their uh, their draft coach, which is that in the in this game, what was so funny to me was that in LCK, there was a game where Damwon Kia picked Zillion. So Showmaker picks Zillion into a blind pick Lissandra because blind pick Lissandra is becoming more popular, especially in Eastern regions. And so... I think what was so crazy was that EG's coaching staff knew that if they presented the bait to Bjergsen to be able to pull off the Zillion, because Zillion is good into Lissandra because you can you can survive, number one, the early game. And then once she hits six, you can self-ult if she tries to all-in you. So it's a pretty safe lane if you're a good Zillion player. Bjergsen, obviously, legendary Zillion player domestically. But the funny thing is, is that when Damwon Kia played it, they played it with an Aphelia, so they had like a late game hyperscaling ADC. And <laughs> TL swallowed the bait with a Lucian Nami lane. So you have like a low priority mid laner and then a non-scaling AD carry. And then on top of that, Team Liquid, they just they just died in the early part of the game. So they were just giving advantages over to EG in this bot lane. And by the way, guys, everybody at the end of that game was saying, oh my God, Look how good Danny is. Holy shit, he's winning this game. Uh, hello. Danny had the easiest job ever. He was playing Ezreal Yumi. He had a lead from the start of the game. He's playing into an Aatrox Volibear Zillion Lucian. And the other thing that Showmaker did when he played the Zillion was he didn't buy Everfrost as his mythic. He bought Luden so he could actually do some damage. Right. So there's yes. this, they basically built a no-range, no-damage composition, which... I could play Ezreal with well, a Yumi on top of me in that like, game. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying Danny's Dickens not good, guys. Guys, yeah. I'm not saying Danny's not good. I'm just saying <clears throat> that was the freest fucking game of all time for an Ezreal Yumi. But what's so shocking about Team Liquid is that they got baited into this, number one. Number two, even when they knew they had to have an early game advantage, because this Lucian has to go huge. They allowed Inspired to path into the bot lane faster on Viego and get the kills onto them and then set their only damage source in this game that was reasonable because Whipple and Aatrox is never going to get in range when there's a front line of Nar, Viego, and Lissandra of this Ezreal with a Yumi on top of them. Like, that's just not going to happen. Um, and so, and then on top of that, they have such low self-awareness, Team Liquid, that they're playing Hansama on the only damage source, which is like, have you been watching his season? So... I don't really know what to say about TL right now because they're getting baited for free. They're picking compositions that I just don't think they can execute with the players in their current form. If anything, it, I would be prioritizing Bjergsen in the mid lane, but they just baited themselves. I mean, it was really Here's funny. my angle. Here's my angle. This shows you that TL is only a super team on paper. 
They've never in the server been a super team, Monty. They were fucking dodgy in spring. In the playoffs, they were shit. Now they've been shaky now. The whole time, they've never lived up to it. And here's another reason why you know. Because they were band-aiding the whole time. Remember all those fucking weird games in spring where Bjergsen would be playing the, like, fucking... The, like, no-damage mid laner or the utility mid laner? And everyone was trying to spin it, like, oh, it's because he's, like, coming out of, you know, inactivity. Or, well, he's trying to be, like, a good teammate and set up the teammate and use it. Like, no, I actually think that those were band-aids. These, essentially, they were just doing what at the time they thought were the best comps. Like, that's what they thought would win them the game. This implies to me, dude, that their practice must be all over the fucking place. If they end up, that's the conclusion. That's the team you make. Like, remember, if you're a super team, it's the other way around. The reason the G2 super team was the best is because they could flex everything, they could pick everything, they could play everything, they could adapt on a moment, they could do comps they've never ever run before. That's the power of a super team. This is just a flawed team where people don't live up to who they are on paper. Like, dude, with no exaggeration, I think every player of this team is worse than all the other teams I've seen them on. Whippo <laughs> is probably true, the closest actually. to good, but even he's not that good. Core JJ is terrible compared to old Core JJ. Hans Sammer's worse, and Bjergs is a shadow of himself. Santorin's. I guess he's maybe close to what he was. That's about it, though. Like, actually, the whole team's kind of underwhelming if you think about it. They're almost one of those squads where I get the vibe. This is like anti-chemistry. It's like these players don't work when they play together. Like, I, for me, the Kodjeje one was the canary in the coal mine. When I saw that, just never, ever improved. I was like, dude... Is no one aware? The reason this guy's won all those MVPs is he's basically been the best player in LCS for about four years or something mad. And he can't ever work with this ADC. Like... That's getting worrying for me now, mate. Like, I really feel like this team, there's a world where this team, just from this fucked up, like, lack of chemistry, that could actually cost them worlds. I thought that was impossible when this roster was made, mate. Yep. If you'd have told me, I'd have said, guaranteed at least they're getting third. There's, like, an outside chance they don't go to worlds, mate. I, I think there is. I think it's fortunate for Team Liquid that Jensen looks like he's struggling. Uh, it does help. Yes, <laughs> it helps certainly. Yeah. And also 100 Thieves looks kind of shaky as well so it does feel like beyond eg it is more or less of a, a grab bag like flyquest every time you think they're good they just go and get insanely bodied by tsm with this rookie roster which don't know how that happens flyquest you also wouldn't want this tl to go to world's mate this would this would do really badly i think yeah um i mean i i think it would go real badly uh, I, and honestly the most baffling thing about all of this to me is that people are lavishing praise on eg which is deserved, but it is shocking that EG is the only team that seems to identify a style that they want to play in and be able to see win conditions. Like, TL plays comps, and they have no idea how to actually identify win conditions. Sometimes they luck into it, but this game was so clear-cut in terms of what they had to do, and Inspired knew exactly what they had to do, and he shut it down. And then there was nothing left for TL. There was no attempt to actually get people properly ahead in this game, and that's that's not even excusing like Hansama's legit, super bad teamfight play. Um, but EG... They, I guess they're just going to win based on the virtue that they can identify simple win conditions in their games and play out comps somewhat correctly in spite of potential weaknesses that they might have. So congrats to them, I guess. Like Their coaching staff is certainly doing a good job of that and drafting, but maybe that's all it takes. <laughs> maybe that's all it takes to win LCS. Uh, sad. It's really sad to see that we can't have we can't have a duel between two teams where they're actually trying to accomplish their own goals. It's just EG accomplishing their goal and the other team just doing nothing, I guess. That's fun, I suppose.
No, to me, that's why, if you notice, the dis- the divide in the community continuously between this show and the fans is they just pick the player that got the most kills for EG and go, holy moly, he's good, Batman. Whereas what we do is we go, holy fuck, this coaching staff's shrewd. How do they get what? <laughs> it's clean holy up holy moly, Danny exactly. looks good when he has given been given every advantage to win this game and the only guy on the other team, on the opposing team who can do damage is literally flashing into your front line. Mate, I get the vibe. This reminds me of what happened when I first started getting into the NFL because it was the same thing. I kept looking and because the Patriots won so many times I went to the Super Bowl, fans were trying to tell me the players were the best on the Patriots. Like They were trying to tell me like, oh yeah, actually, like, he's mad underrated, Danny Amendola. It's like, Look at what he's on the wrong teams. He's nobody. It's the other way around, you moron. The obviously the coaches staff are geniuses. They just know exactly how to use a player like that. They know how essentially to strip out all the negatives of that player and only get him to do the things that work for you. That's what EG's showing. That's why, in in for my money, the real revolution of EG isn't the NA players. That's just sort of the yes. fucking. That's the mushroom at the top of the mycelial network. The real revolution is that this is the first team ever, as far as I can tell, where an entire cohesive coaching staff from top to bottom actually has the power to make the practice decisions yes. the game decisions the recruitment decisions and even with lesser resources that's why the Patriots analogy even works they're actually better than the bigger teams like the joke is the fucking team liquid that's got to be like Kansas City or something mate. you're stacked with talent to the rafters you've got all the or the fucking Rams or something like this is ridiculous <laughs> Well, and also, I think in Team Liquid's case, it's again, I had hoped at the start of this split, seeing their Korean boot camp, that they would have like decided on a style. But it's almost like they have, they're all Swiss army knives and they can't figure out, they're all like pulling out different tools to use and none of them work together. Like you you guys need to decide a style based on your strengths. And unfortunately, I think it's hard to go to with Team Liquid. We'll get into this with Kaiser, I think. But as the meta shifts more towards AD carries, hyperscaling. Right now, we're seeing so many teams around the world focus jungle resources into bot lane to get Zeri, to get Aphelios, these kind of champions ahead. And they snowball very, very fast and very, very hard in these games. And as we see that more and more frequently, relying on Hansama, not sure I want to be there right now if I'm Team Liquid because he's the worst performing member of this roster. So the meta also moving away, I think, from Team Liquid's favor is going to be problematic for them as teams start to identify this and pick it up. Gonna be rough. Uh, All right, guys, we're gonna go ahead and grab Kaiser and bring him on after a break so we can talk about the meta, talk about LEC, talk about Niski joining Mad Lions. It's a great time to talk about Mad Lions because they are coming off a 2-0 week. They look like one of, I mean, right now, given the insanity of this last week, they, they may be the best team in the LEC. Who the hell knows anymore? Uh, We'll bring him on in just a few minutes. Obviously, this segment has been brought to you by esportsbet.io. Go ahead and use our referral link down below in the YouTube description or down below our Twitch. Um, And you can get that 50% deposit bonus up to $200. Also, be sure to subscribe to our channels. We have lots of new content. If you guys want to hear about LCK this week, Go head over to the Monty and Wolf show. It released this morning. It's on Spotify with video. Uh, I did a I did a short analysis video about Peanuts pathing in the LCK, which many of you will find interesting. I think If you guys like that kind of content. Please, of course, let us know so that we can keep making it for you and make decisions about the content that we're going to be putting on these channels. So we'll see you guys in just a couple. 
Right, we're back with our guest. That's going to, of course, be Kaiser here from Mad Lions, a two-time LEC champion. But here's the thing, Kaiser. If you know how I do shows, I like to sort of break the ice with a bit of friendly banter by <laughs> saying something insulting that you have to somehow respond to and play defense. So all I'll say is this. You are a two-time LEC champion, but most people just think it was humanoid. <laughs> well, I mean... I knew this was coming because I also wondered, thought this way. You know, the thing okay. is, I also thought this way after this spring because we had like the worst spring yeah. ever, right? And sure. I was like thinking, I mean, you always get to think like, where did it go wrong, right? Like, what is the problem? Sure. Is it me or like, is it like someone else, right? And of course, you look at who left the team and it was Humanoid and Kazi, right? And of course, then people might think, uh, I mean, they, they have been really good carries for us, right? Uh, but I think... At least in summer, we could actually prove that it wasn't only them, right? It was still, yes. like, we still had a good core. And I think I'm really glad that we could actually prove that we are still good players and not like just getting carried by, yeah, by yeah. humanoid, for example. Well, sure. you, you guys got the closest thing to a humanoid. You guys got humanoid at home, uh, which is Niski, <laughs> of course, the guy who's constantly replaced by humanoid on various rosters. And finally, I was I was very thrilled, by the way, that you guys did, in fact, get your revenge on humanoid. I was very much looking forward to the humanoid versus Niski revenge match, uh, grudge match that you guys had. Um, going back to the start of the season, oh. though, I am curious, like, you you guys had Reeker, who was a, uh, I'll, I'll be nice, unique uh, mid laner who is quite different from Humanoid. And considering that so much of your success, at least last year, was your synergy with El Yoya, and you guys were really stand out as a support and jungle pair, but that requires certain amounts of pressure or coordination from your mid laner. And as soon as he comes into the roster, he's a rookie. He's not maybe used to that level of macro. A lot of that seemed to dry up. And then your and El Yoyo's performance started to go down as well. I mean, yeah, I can agree with that. I think uh, uh, the thing is, like, a lot of people uh, put in, like, for example, support jungle, right? Or jungle mid. I think it's always like support jungle mid because those three roles kind of control the map altogether. And I feel like if one of the, the roles is like uh, maybe not performing as well or like it's not putting their weight right and then maybe it's like the whole map trumbles, right? I think Rika had his moments, but I think he was still maybe a bit too fresh uh, for LEC. Like he, uh, and it's not really what we needed as well. Like we needed more of a voice, I think, because a lot of the shot calling was on Yoya. And uh, I don't think he, I mean, he was good at doing it alone, but I think after some time he just maybe burnt out or something. And uh, yeah, we just needed like a secondary voice, and Niski kind of is a perfect fit for that because he's really vocal. Sure. And yeah, and he's basically plays a similar side to what Merrick used to play, like Humanoid. Uh, he used to like roam a lot, right? And uh, Niski basically fulfills that style as well. And yeah, I think Rika, while he did uh, play a good roaming style, I think it was mostly like on certain champions, right? Like, for example, his TF was really good, his Rise was really good. But after that, like, if, if those two champions, for example, were not meta, I think we had, like, a big kind of performance drop-off. And, uh, yeah, so we were, like, really meta uh, depending. The thing is, though, as Monty says, I actually think more than Rika get flame. I actually think it was you and El Yoya that got the most flame because the problem is coming into that year because you were champions, you've been a world's night. You were all like all LEC type players. Like you're supposed to be the best at your roles. Like in your case, for example, like dude, 
on these shores, if you haven't been watching, on these shores, I always try to bill you as like the next in the heritage of like the fucking, the mythy, yellow star, like genius fucking spot. You did a great fucking job with that in spring, mate. You get caught all over the fucking map. <laughs> Here's the problem though. I'll tie it into a real point. Because I remember watching my boy Perks, who I do think is a genius, go to NA and get caught all over the map. And here's what I will say, right? The flaw in this sense is, right? When you go for a play, or if you're a support and you roam and you try and make something happen, you have to also rely on things like good communication from your teammates, that they give you like the correct follow-up that they, sometimes if people don't understand, you don't have time to communicate, they just have to react. So that's where like synergy, chemistry, like good community, like that stuff can make that look shit. Like, cause I always think this, think about Hillisang, right? Hillisang either has splits where he's an MVP candidate or people think he runs it down. He's not really like changing 180. That's the same type of play. It's just the outcome's different. So what do you think of that? Cause in spring, like I say, it was making you look like you were an idiot, mate. You were just getting caught all over. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I can partly agree with that. I think uh, team uh, chemistry has a lot of, like, part in that. Like, if you are, like, really good friends with your teammates, for example, and you trust them, and you basically follow all their calls, like, in a heartbeat, like, the game looks really easy. Uh, I think we didn't really have that last season. Uh, like, we were, like, mostly a bit more distant, I would say, to each other, and maybe it was a bit like that, but I think, of course, I played bad as well, right? I, I tried more, playing more aggressively. Uh, because I, I felt like I needed to yeah, like be more more aggressive. I think, uh, for example, Humanoid, he was always calling us, for example, to, to side lane. Like he was uh, side laning with Oriana or whatever. Like he was calling us, if you play for us, uh, for play for me here, I get this farm, I get this tower, uh, we will win the game, right? And because of that voice was kind of missing, I had to maybe change my place a little bit and like look for a more aggressive place myself uh, without like having anyone else to rely on it mostly. Like maybe a Yoya, right? Like a Yoya was. Uh, our short color back then, but um, yeah, I think it's as you said, it's really easy or like much easier to play when someone else is talking. Because I mean, for example, for me at least, I didn't really short color in any team, so it was harder for me for sure to have like one less voice in, in the team. And Kazi was also like a big uh, short color, I would say. So uh, Unforgiven joining kind of amplified that effect a bit because Unforgiven was also like a rookie, right? And yes. uh, rookies are usually. A bit more quiet, right? And he's so Swedish. They more... tend to be a bit more reserved, right? They're not so <laughs> fucking outgoing. <laughs> yeah. But I think, like, all these factors kind of came together, and it was a bit too much for me, and a bit too much for Ayoya as well. And I think you could see that in our gameplay. I think we played bad as well, right? We can't just play, blame everything on, like, the new guys coming in. I think we should be able to step up more as well, right? And oh. I think we did at the, like, bit of the end of the season. I think we had, like, a 3-0 Super Week or something. And we figured out, like, some of our problems. But I think, uh, yeah, our start of the season was just too terrible, so we couldn't make it. Last split, I actually had an episode of Best Damn League Show, which, by the way, if people watch, you can find it on the YouTube channel here if you subscribe to Exciting Spots. <laughs> Next episode coming this week. Won't say who, but obviously me and Dom, right? When we had, On that show, we actually had Mac, your coach, as a guest, right? Once playoffs had begun, because obviously you were watching at home like the rest of us, right? And when we had him on the show, one of the things I found very interesting was he implied, actually, that if he could sort of go back in time and redo the split, that he actually thinks one of the mistakes was essentially, like, it's a big topic we often discuss on this show. It's like the idea of, like, do you practice to win the best of ones this week? Or do you practice to try and be, like, the best League of Legends team and win Worlds, basically? And he almost implied that in the spring, maybe you guys tried too many different things and too many comps and too many crazy... Like, maybe you should essentially have stripped it down a bit and sort of band-aided it and just tried to get the playoffs, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we tried a lot of different comps. Like, we tried front-to-back comps, like, flanking comps, right? Uh, row, like, early-game styles, late-game styles. There was a lot of... I mean, I wouldn't say chaos, right? Like, we just tried to find our own style uh, after some time because, like, 
nothing was really working for us, I would say. So we like went back and forth, back and forth. And yeah, I, I think at some point we just like, uh, we just said like, we just make this one style happen and it worked kind of, but I think it was way too late. And yeah, I think I agree with Mac that we should have just maybe committed to one style, like especially because rookies, like they kind of mm -hmm. have to learn slower, right? Like than, than us, because we know the basics and they have to still learn the basics. So uh, once we just play like some comfort champions for, for, for the rookies, right? And we just learn one team comp at a time. I think it would have been like way better, and uh, instead of like just trying to learn like twenty th different things at once, uh, each stream game, and like if something goes wrong, maybe it wasn't even the like the the macro that was wrong. Maybe it was like a micro mistake, for example, uh, stuff like this. So yeah, I think we should have gone uh, back to the roots. I would say like a bit more, like had a more slow approach, and then we would have maybe had a different performance, right? But yeah, it's hard to say. I think it's interesting that you, I hadn't thought of that point, but because your style as a team was so predicated on being active on the map with your mid jungle and support, the fact that, you know, you guys didn't have Karzy anymore and Karzy was very reliable. You could just put him on Ezreal and just, you could just leave him down there, right? You're just like, okay, I'm leaving now. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't die, um, which is a very, that's, that's not something that is as common a skill to develop out of solo queue if you're an ad carry player right it's a very professional yeah. those timings are very uh dependent on coordination that it, that a professional team has so in a way you were dealing with a rookie mid laner who doesn't know the nuances of the macro to follow you and el yoya on the map el yoya was unique by the way when he came in because he is one of the fastest he people i've ever know. seen yeah. like adapt to this so he was an outlier but you can't expect like Reeker to be able to follow you guys or understand this stuff instantly. And not only that, but you're just leaving Unforgiven down there and he's not, he doesn't have the, he may not play as passively as he needs to or understand how to min-max those situations. So I can see why having these two rookies in these two positions kind of caused your entire play style to crumble. In a way, if you had, re not to say that you should replace Armit, but if you had replaced Armit instead, it may not have been so devastating to you guys as a team. I mean, yeah, I for sure agree. For, for example, with, uh, Unforgiven, right? Uh, because he he told me that he used to be the sh main shot caller. He used to be the main guy to play around in SK mm. Prime. I think he was like the academy team. So he basically came in and he was like, "What do I do?" Now? He was a bit shy, right? And like he didn't want to like get hog all the resources because he's like on a new team, right? Like he he doesn't know his place yet, kind of. And it's always really hard to switch playstyles from one thing to the uh, to the other like, because like he was like really like he was always a strong side player, right? So. We had kind of had to learn uh, how to play weak side, like how to manu manipulate the wave, like when we could get dove and stuff like this. And it was a slow process for for sure. I think we maybe could have learned faster. But I think, for example, right now, I think we are like 10 times better already. Like we know how to play weak side now. And yeah, I think that was for sure th something we didn't like recognize uh, early enough that we just like we are not a good weak side bot lane uh, in, in spring. And uh, yeah, I mean, we did play like a lot of hyper carries, but even in um, uh, 2021, right? Like we always used to play around mid lane and top lane. Like we didn't really like play around bot lane too much, right? So uh, Ayoya and me were still in that style, right? I was hanging around mid lane like way, way too much, maybe. And Unforgiven just like didn't really know what to do at certain times because he just w was one v two laning, right? So it was uh, really hard for us to play for sure.
By the way, one thing I actually find really weird is normally people mega overhype rookies, right? So I must, oh, I have to conclude, I think it's just because Mad Lions didn't make playoffs and people kind of didn't care because, dude, I think that Unforgiven was absolutely robbed of rookie of the split. Like, first of all, Schlatan is just a fucking lease in player. He had about four good games. <laughs> that was just recency bias at the end of the split. Mate, if people go and watch, especially the first half of that split, Unforgiven is fucking smurfing, mate. He's a brand new player to the LEC and he was having really good games. He was so reliable as well. Like, that guy's champion pool is legit, mate. Yeah, I mean, he was like playing Jinx Aphelios, like, I don't know, like Ruler or Defter, you know? Like, he, he's really he was good, like, yeah. Yeah, like, he, he was super playing clean really and fights, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, the thing is, I was um, <coughs> always really worried, like, when a new guy comes in, that he's like, in game, he's like too shy, like, he doesn't want to go for plays, but like, Unforgiven was like, right from the get go, he was like super aggressive and like, he wasn't like calling for too much, right? Like, he wasn't calling for the resources, like, he maybe needed to. Like an ADC should kind of go for like the how do you say he should hog all the farm right uh, especially in the in the meta like Jinx Apelios like if you get three, uh, ten CS per minute but your jungler starts like who cares right like he can one unite the game and I think that was what was missing for us like we kind of starved um, Unforgiven instead of maybe a Yoya right. at the time and if I think we, uh, uh, if he made sure that Unforgiven was good in the game I think he would just one unite team fights uh, like he sometimes did in uh, in in yeah in spring. By the way, because obviously one unique opportunity we have now is we can ask you about some of your teammates that aren't your teammates anymore and what they're doing the other teams. So, like, let's do a little bit of that, right? So, first of all, let's get the humanoid one out of the way because here's my question to you. The joke is, Humanoid himself almost ruined the, his own narrative. Because here's how it went in this order, right? At the end of last year, the main storyline was like, Humanoid is the new Caps. He is Caps 2.0. He is not just a great mid laner. He is he's, like a transcendent He's the most talent. valuable yeah. free agent. He, he <laughs> shot calls and he's going to outlane everyone and he's a beast and he has a great mentality. So then, right, when he left your team and he's on Fnatic, who's one of the best teams in the league with the super team. And then as we say, the Rika lineup comes along and the team's falling apart. You and Nelloy are not looking as good. Everyone was like right it really was only humanoid it wasn't like guys did nothing El Yoyo just got lucky it was all humanoid but then what happened was they watched the playoffs like you were at home with us so when we were all watching the playoffs mate that whole narrative of like he's the most clutch Caps 2.0 player like he fucking did a great job removing that storyline with those last six games of the fucking playoffs. Like, that looked like he was there. Dude, like, Aldrin, the joke there is, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but in CSGO, sometimes the observer of a pro game, as a joke, if someone did an amazing round, would do a fake report as though, like, he's cheating, you know, like, he's wallhacking. <laughs> the joke is, I would, like, fucking report that guy for, like, running it down in my LEC playoff game. Like, this fucking, just, like, ruined my promo series, Riot. Like... What did you think of that? Because that I thought that that was shocking to me. Dude, I really this guy was a really clutch player, and in those moments, it's like I don't know what happened to him that that playoff run, but that was that was disturbing shit. Yeah, I mean, I don't really remember it too much anymore, but I just remember, yeah, like Fnatic just crumbling apart, and I mean, I'm not really sure what it is either. Like maybe you can see signs of it right now as well, right? Like Humanoid just getting ganked, and he always dies to it, right? Like I think it's become a bit of a meme in the LEC that like Humanoid just dies to every gang. And is he a guy who comes that like if he was in your team and is he a guy who's sort of a cognizant? Does he, what does he like? Does he not like you to say it? Does he play off instinct? What does he do? Uh, I mean, I think he's a really, really smart guy. Uh, so I'm not really sure why he always dies to like random <laughs> gangs, right? Like because usually we know, like we knew where, where the jungler is and stuff like this. But I think he maybe he's a bit cocky. I would say like he's for sure cocky. So maybe he tries to outplay it or something. Like uh, he he tries to save his life for the last second and then he. Maybe just doesn't flash. For example, the, the yeah, in that regard, he is Caps 2.0. Like that is also yeah. the old classic Caps. Like it's, I'll just save this flash forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And 
Yeah, sometimes he just looks really in because he, he just doesn't use it sure. uh, and, and then he just dies and the game is fucked, right? And yeah, I mean, it's, it's really hard to say, but uh, for example, in, in our team, he was really like methodical. He was like uh, really smart uh, as a player. Like he, he knew what we had to do to win the game. Like he knew our win conditions. And yeah, he just commanded the game, basically. And Can I ask you something without sounding rude? Spoiler, I'm going to do that anyway. But let's just pretend I was being polite or whatever. Also, he is German, so he is just interpreting all the words I'm saying literally. Much. So technically, I'm not most rude now when I said it. So I've fucking hacked the system. I've been there all before. So here's the question, right? Which goes like this. When you said earlier, like, and he was really good at comment, like he'd explain, like, if you play for me now, I can get this side with. That does also make it sound like the entire team was like, he just ran it through himself. Like, to be fair, he is the midland, which is the most impactful role. If you are the star, in my opinion, League of Legends, you should actually call around yourself for the resources you're going to use. But was, like, what did the team actually have, like, varied styles or was it largely about, like, Humanoid carries the game? What was the, I mean, the old team like? It kind of depended as well, like, on how maybe sometimes his laning phase went, right? Like, if he's behind or something, he's not as vocal. So then okay. maybe Amut, uh, like, Get more or got more resources, right? I think it really depends on the game. Like, usually he played actually hyper carries, or like, for example, Oriana, right? Or when he, he was on TF, he was also like really, really vocal. Like, what, for example, Amut had to do with this wave, right? He uh, he basically right, taught okay. Amut wave control uh, in, in, in the splits, and I think we got really good at that, like, uh, because, uh, yeah, like, uh, Humanoid was just really smart about that. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't really say like he was running the team. I mean, in a, in a sort of way, he was, but uh, I would say that Elioia was also like a big voice, right? And uh, sometimes Elioia just saw something differently, and then he maybe overruled him sometimes, right? Uh, for example, uh, when Armut was playing his Wukong or something, right? And you just had to play around him because uh, he was going to 1v9 the game. Then Elioia just said, like, I'm going to play for Armut this game, and uh, Humanoid was like fine with it, right? Like, he was, not, he was not really like saying, you have to play around me, or else I'm like going to throw the game or something. Uh, so, yeah, I think he was just really smart. and he knew when he had to like step, take a step back and let someone else carry. The other player is, I obviously want to ask her something about Kazi. So there's two angles to this. One goes like this. Luckily, he actually did make you look a bit better, though. He actually almost saved you in the spring. Because here's the thing. Between him and Labrov, I was like, actually, Kaiser must be pretty good, actually. After seeing Labrov play all these games. <laughs> Kaiser was pretty good, actually. Let's be real. He was. You know, he could definitely do something. And then the other angle is this. As you alluded to earlier, I always tell fans on my shows, I've never seen a player ever in pro play in European League of Legends who has a bigger disparity between, like, the fan and the analyst, like, the experts from the outside, what they think of the player and what pro players and his teammates think of him because I've told people it's not a surprise to me that Kazi's on like the super team with Perks and Alfari like among the pro players they do think he's like some amazing player and I always hear all the time from pro players Kaiser what you said earlier that like it's like his comms and his shot calling and he's doing something unique for an ADC so give us the lowdown like from your perspective what is Kazi actually good at because the problem we have obviously is we're not in the service we're not hearing if he does a brilliant call we're just judging him as an ADC and the problem is as an ADC he also traditionally sometimes dies randomly or couldn't play Athelios, etc. So people actually, I think, think he's a bit overrated as an ADC. So what is it? What are these extra things he's bringing to the team that's making him so valued? I mean, one thing, like out of game related at least, like he was really, really funny. And I think that's really underrated as a, oh. as a, as a <laughs> like, I don't know, just like a team thing, right? Like that you have like a funny yeah. guy, like an yeah, yeah. basically, who like brings up the team morale because like when we were like, feeling low and stuff like this. Maybe sometimes Kazi was also feeling depressed, right? Uh, but I think he was just really funny and that kind of, like, 
glue the team together even in like bad moments, right? And I think that's also maybe a bit of a reason why we are so good at coming back in, in games because we didn't like. Uh, take it too yeah, serious. We, we, yeah, like if we get too serious, maybe we would just like think about FFing the game or something okay. like that. Right? Uh, sure. and I think I think Kazi was just like the the glue of the team, kind of. And in game, I, I think he was also like. Mm, I'm, I wouldn't say he was a shot caller because he was um, mostly about, like vocal in team fights. He was like calling targets. And he was oh, like, yeah, they also say that they always say he's amazing at like calling the exact right target in the fight or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's really fair. A lot of ADCs are just fucking clicking, they are just silently clicking. Yeah, so, yeah. If people don't get if you're a random fan, like actually, the ADC is usually the silent ones. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like the hardest thing to do, right? But I think it's still important that you have someone like that. And yeah, yeah. That Kazi can do it because, like, usually you play around your ADC in team fights because your ADC is like the strongest guy. And for him, for example, with Willy, like with Unforgiven, sorry, uh, we have the same problem right now that like sometimes he just goes silent in team fights because like any carry is like a really mechanically intensive role, right? So you kind of have to like look at your fingers and like so guys, you gotta get in the zone, things, you know? <laughs> exactly, yeah, for sure, yeah. And and you can kind of feel it with Unforgiven right now that sometimes he just goes in the zone, he just doesn't say anything, he just goes for a one v five play. No one knows what's happening, right? <laughs> but I think with Kazi. He was always gonna tell you like I'm gonna jump in here in like two seconds and I'm gonna one unite this game or uh, like something like that, right? And wait example, a minute, Unforgiven's name is Willy. <laughs> it's it's William, but we call him just William. Oh, okay, so, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Technically, you said earlier the problem in Spring was you just sort of had him low econ and you didn't put enough resources. So essentially, the solution to the team is you need to free Willy. <laughs> I want my fans to make a Photoshop of Kaiser as the kid like that, and then Unforgiven as the whale coming over the top. Classic movie. I, yeah, I, but yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go on. Go on. Uh, wait. We'll see. Sorry. What did you want to say, actually? Uh... Roll, roll it back and roll it. I've got a question then. Oh, yeah. Let me do it. One last thing. One last thing. I'll actually do you a favor here, right? Or maybe I'm doing Kazi a favor, right? Which is I'll let you play defense, right? You're, let's see if you can make a compelling case, <laughs> right? Because as I alluded to, the joke also is, I also actually, shout out to Labrov, you actually have made me sort of appreciate Kazi. I used to be a bit of a fucking hater before. Like, no, I think he's not quite as bad as I thought he was. <laughs> the problem now, though, is this. Do you have any explanation for me for the Labrov angle, though? Because here's the problem, mate. As a layman, when I watch him playing Vitality, I think he does nothing, mate. I, I have no clue what he's doing on the map or if he understands what he's doing with some of these players. Sometimes he just looks like he either does nothing or dies randomly. Like, why is this guy so revered? Because he's another person behind the scenes. I know he's like a solo key monster, but again, there's a reason he's in the super team. People valued this guy very highly. So do you have any thoughts on Labrov? Uh, I mean, I agree that... For example, in solo queue or in scrims, he always kind of plays well and he knows the map really well. Like, I think okay. he's he's rarely in the wrong spot, kind of. Uh, so I think that's, like, a good part about him. And, like, his mechanics are also, like, really, like, decent, right? Okay. And the problem I see is, like, maybe sometimes in uh, competitive games, like, in on stage games, like, he... I mean, I'm not really sure if it's just, like, like a Labro thing, right? It's really hard to say with, like, teams like this because oh, of course, as yes. a team, like... They just don't know really, don't really have any clue how to teamfight, for example, sure. or like how to set up objectives. Maybe sometimes, and I feel like that's a big part of why, like maybe Labrov has like some in moments, for example, right? Uh, because like they just don't know really know how to teamfight, and then he just goes in with like no one, no one on his side or something, right? And then everything goes to shit, and then yeah, maybe people blame Labrov, right? I think he's he's a good player, uh, but yeah, I think on stage, I'm not sure what it is, but I think they are like way less uh, scary, I would say. Like, in scrims and in solo queues, it's, like, always really good. 
but yeah, one last question to ask you. One last, and then Monty can go as deep as he wants. The one last question is this, and this is mildly insulting. Mildly. So are you ready? Here's the question, right? Does the fact that Kazi went to Vitality with Labrov and Humanoid went to Fnatic, he's with Hillisat, does that imply they actually think those players are better than you? Not really, I would say. I, I don't think... What, 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 you're like, thanks for the invite, fucker. Can I have millions of dollars being super team? Like, you know? I mean, I don't think they, they really... Uh, I mean, I'm not, I, I didn't really ask him specifically, right? But I think uh, it was obvious that uh, we as a team, as Mad Lions, we won two splits in a row. And in summer, we won convincingly. I think it was kind of obvious that we were like the, the best team. And also the best players, I would say. I mean, maybe... Like some roles are contested, right? For example, I think Hilisang had like a really good split in, in summer, oh, right? Gosh, or yeah. uh, some top laners were really good, or like, I mean, even Caps, right? Uh, even though we, he was something, it's still Caps. Uh, they were like in all positions, they were like contestants, right? But I don't think uh, it was necessarily they, they left because of uh, like bad team morale, for example, or like, uh, like because they didn't think we could win another split, right? I think uh, we, like, if we stayed together, I think we would have won another two splits. And uh, yeah, I think it was just because of like monetary decisions, maybe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's. But, but you, by the way, you re signed your contract at the end of 2021 for an additional two years through the end of next year. So, what was, what was your decision that you made? Why did you want to stay with Mad Lions? Because you're coming off these like really big wins. You're obviously an extremely good support player. What made you want to stick around? I mean,. I think it was. Uh, I, I think we have a really good coaching staff. I mean, that's that's for sure. Nope. I think uh, the coaches are really uh, smart about the game. They are really like like friendly. They know how to create a good team atmosphere. I would say, and I think atmosphere is like really important for me uh, because I think uh, like not enjoying to play with your team, I guess, is like the worst thing that can happen. Like if 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 I didn't enjoy my job, I would just like chill playing i don't know wow or something and and just like not care about the game anymore because like having fun is like for me the most important thing and i think that's what drives me kind of to, to play more solo queue to to actually try and scrims to actually like play competitive games uh because i just uh, yeah i just like having fun kind of and and i think i i could have the most fun i, I thought i could have the most fun in in mad lines because yeah just because of like uh, coaching staff atmosphere and yeah i mean like sometimes I do regret it, right? Like I, I think about like what could have been uh, if I didn't resign. Uh, for example, if especially after spring, right? I mean, it is kind of obvious that yeah, if of you, course, if yeah. you went seventh, like you kind of regret your decisions, right? Uh, I, I think it's hard to say uh, whether it was the right call to resign, but uh, I don't really regret it at this point anymore. Uh, I just like yeah, live, the, live with the fact. Did you um, actually have offers from the top teams? Was any, were any of these massive teams trying to get you? You don't have to say who, obviously. I just mean, were there big offers out there? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, for actual good teams, not like TSM or some <laughs> shit. I mean, like, 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 oh, G2 or something. Like, were there real big offers there, too? Yeah, I'm sure there were. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I could have I went to the good team. I've got one last question, then. This is the one last one, because this is a cultural question. I actually value what you said. I think it's cool, the idea that you've actually chose it based on like atmosphere, and you want to play with these people, and you want to see what the staff can do on that. But I have to say, a lot of people, especially in the modern day, the sickness of the modern age is everyone's worships money. So most people go, well, just go for your biggest offer, or go to NA, or whatever. Like, did you tell, if you tell your parents, like, I have an offer for like four times more money, like, your parents are just like, yeah, no problem, just turn that down. Yeah, you enjoy playing with those guys, do you? Like, I mean, they're not just like, take the big offer. 
no, no, no. Actually, my parents, or like at least my mother, is like she really values the same things as me. Like she, she really values like having, I mean, having an enjoyable life, kind of, right? And like for her, money is not everything, right? And she also told me that that she like just don't go for money. Don't go for like, uh, yeah, just like. If if you can if you know you can enjoy your like time in, in Milan for example just stay right like it, you still get a lot of money right like uh, two prayers on a decent amount right and of course, she yeah. was just like might as well enjoy your time there uh, instead of like suffering right and Absolutely. I feel like it, there's it could, always uh, more time to sell out anyway right you can always sell exactly, out later exactly exactly <laughs> exactly I mean it was it was the best time to sell out right after, right after worlds right but True. I think they, they uh, make quarters. I'm, I, I still think I'm like at the not start of my career, right? I'm in the like midterms, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think I didn't want to go to NA or something like that because uh, yeah, I like Europe and uh, yeah, maybe in the future. But yeah. well, also I she think... don't need to go to LA for the weather now anyway. Berlin's basically LA right now. <laughs> Just enjoy it. <laughs> it's <great. Yeah. laughs> Uh, yeah, it's actually way hotter than LA. I'll tell you that. Like, I, mean, I, I live on the west side of LA. When it when it starts to get above eighty five degrees here, which I don't know what that is, 30, 30 degrees Celsius, something like that, thirty two. I start to get hot, so I can't even imagine, imagine what difference. it's like in Berlin. You have like air conditioning. Celsius. None of us do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. None of us have air conditioning. I mean, I don't need it really, but yeah, sure, I do. Have it. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I, Kaiser, I want to talk to you too. I mean, part of your faith should be, I would imagine, is in the fact that the the GM and the coaching staff has, have consistently made good moves for Mad Lions. So that must encourage you to have faith in the organization because when you guys were doing well, but you weren't quite over the top, that's when they identified El Yoyo, you guys switched out Shadow, then you start winning titles, right? And so they've been very good at identifying up and coming talent. And even if maybe Reeker wasn't quite yet ready yet, and you, you guys lost Carzy, um, and you know, unforgiven, you're trying to like turn him into a great player. And humanoid was obviously exceptional. You should have some level of faith that they can fix things. And indeed I would say your faith is being well rewarded because Nisky wasn't, it was insane that Nisky wasn't part of a team. Let's be honest. Yeah, um, yeah. But they, you guys went and got him, and all of a sudden, that seems to be fixing a lot of your issues. And your point earlier about Humanoid maybe not having the most depth to his champion pool, I think one thing that we can laud Niski for is that he's a player that has kind of just consistently gotten better over the course of his career. It just feels like every split that goes along, Niski becomes more versatile in his champion pool, a better player. He's one of the few players that we can look at over like five or six years and say, yeah, they've had a pretty steady like upward trajectory. So it feels like... They basically had one slump ever. Ever. <laughs> one cloud nine, someone's yeah. about. That's about it. And and criticisms that you could levy against him, such as, oh, he doesn't play that many champions. Well, that a lot of those issues have been solved. He can play a variety of roles in the mid lane, but he's still... That's an overcome my main criticism of not being frogging, but that is hard. It is hard <laughs> to do, I have to say so. Uh, but, it's, but it's also that he's a very selfless player, as you alluded to earlier. He's a very vocal player when it comes to contributing to the shot calling. So it, it was, in a way, kind of weird to see this very good player at the oh. peak of his personal play not be in a team for the spring split but they bring him in immediately they're willing to you know to pay whatever price was was necessary to pay because i'm sure he had multiple offers right and so in a way your faith in the mad lions organization has been rewarded again you guys seem to be back on track um you're, you're looking at a roster that is certainly capable of winning the championship and i think the meta is moving in a favorable direction for you guys which i want to talk to you about in a minute but 
how has Niski been with this new team? It seems like he's integrated really quickly and that the the coaches and gyms have done a very good job of making sure that he clicks right away. So what were you guys doing between spring and summer with Niski that allowed you guys to uh, engineer your synergy and this play style together? I mean, we actually didn't have to do much. Uh, I would say like Niski is kind of similar to Kazi in a way. Like, uh, like like what I said uh, earlier, uh, that he's like more of a. I mean, he's not a clown. He's not as clowny as Kazi, right? But he's still a really funny guy, and uh, he's really fun to be around uh, with. And I think, like personality-wise, like he didn't have like. I mean, I think he was. He also knew actually everyone except for me in the team. So he was already like friends with almost everyone, right? And that was kind of. And I think he also uh, played with Mac uh, before in in Spice or something, right? So like, he basically didn't have any. Downtime in like we had to get to know him or anything, right? Like only me and uh, like only I and him uh, had to like maybe have a talk, right? And uh, see how the other guy like uh, ticks, right? And I think it was really easy to to integrate him in, into the team. I mean, playstyle wise, we kind of knew what we would get, and he kind of delivered on that, right? He he's always really a selfless guy. He's really vocal. Uh, he plays the champions he plays kind of uh, to to a good level, right? He's I mean, I wouldn't say he's like a carry, like humanoid, for example. Like he doesn't uh, tell you, yeah, I need this farm. Like give me ten CS per minute, stuff like this. Uh, and I don't think that's what we wanted either. I think we wanted more of a, yeah, uh, like Eniski, right? Like a selfless player that roams with me and the Yoya to sidelines, and we get the sidelines ahead, and these sidelines will carry us, right? And I think that was our game plan, and uh, Niski wanted to do that as well. So we basically were on the same page from middle one. And yeah, basically no problems. What I find so crazy is like, obviously, if you go back even beyond like one or two years, there never used to even be roster changes between spring and summer. People just go sign five players and you just see how the year works out. Basically, it was like the Abedaga to 100 Thieves move last year, sort of woke everyone up to like, wait a minute, actually, you could maybe turn your fortunes around if you sign the right player. Dude, the two players that got signed are the most ridiculous slam dunks I've ever seen. This shows that people are actually doing a decent job, Monty, of actually like identifying what they need in a team. The two signings were Mickey X to XL, and then this key to Mad Lions. Both signings, like, instantly you drop the player in, they do exactly what you want, and they fix the team. Like, well, Mickey X, guess what? He can play a support engaged champion and help you win team fights. Done it. <laughs> then you have Niski. Well, problem is our jungler and our support sort of like seem a bit lost. They haven't got the That's literally like all Niski does like, his entire career. Like these are the most easy fucking signings of all time. So great job by the team signing. <laughs> these were the perfect teams for these guys to go to. Well, it's also funny because like Niski, Niski's has been extremely selfless for this team. And, and to to uh, to Kaiser's point, if you look at the games that they've played this split. Uh, Niski is the he's basically the lowest economy mid laner in the entire league. He does the least amount of damage after 15 minutes by his percentage. He's only doing like 22 percent of his team's damage compared to humanoid. But then you have to get, go, OK, what what champions has he been playing? Well, he's been playing like Lissandra, Silas, Swain, Zoe, TF. So I would say more roaming oriented champions for the most part. Um, and the, the counterpoint to all of this is you might say, well, he's not if he's not doing damage, what what exactly is he doing? Well, he's not taking any gold. He takes the lowest percentage of CS after 15 minutes of any mid laner. And guess what? Here's the kicker. He has the highest kill participation of any mid laner in the league. He may not be dealing the most damage or getting the most farm, but he is, in fact, being 
in the right place when the fights are happening on the map and really contributing to that teamwork. And if you look at where the resources are going, they're mostly going, as as you noted earlier, into Unforgiven. And this is a very, very good place to be in the current meta in terms of play style, because we're, I, I want to talk to you and get your thoughts on this, Kaiser. We're going to go down a rabbit hole for a while and get kind of technical just because I'm, I'm you in particular I want to hear from uh, because you guys were known last year for like Senna uh, Wukong and like I want to see you do that again. Uh, and we're moving in that direction in the meta, I would say. But so many teams in like LCK and LPL are really putting an emphasis on the getting scaling hyper carries ahead in the early game um, and then kind of unleashing them on the map. You guys have been playing a lot of Zoe for Unforgiven and that's been highly successful for you. But it just seems like the Niski ad as the meta goes into this direction uh, is really going to empower you. And especially for you guys, uh, for example, in LCK, we're seeing like Senna become like blue side first pick at certain times, but I haven't seen it from you guys, which it hurts me because I watch these T1 games where Korea gets to play Yasuo yeah. or like Camille, and you are the fucking perfect player uh, in the West for these kind of comps. And indeed, you guys innovated a lot of these play styles. You are responsible for you know creating these ideas that are still being played around the world, um, which is really fun. And so you guys have the perfect team to activate across all of these fronts in this meta. So what is your what are your thoughts on the current bot lane meta? Because I think you guys could be absolutely amazing in this in these conditions. Uh yeah, I mean about the Senna, I think uh the champion is just kind of mm, it's kind of hard to to play with our style because uh like we like to roam a lot, right, with our support. And if you have a Senna like she doesn't really want to be alone in the lane, right? Sure. Like you kind of want to uh, like farm with your support or like the support farms, and Senna just like takes the source, right? So you basically have like a a two man team on bot lane, stuck on bot lane that is just like farming or like maybe goes into mid lane after some time, right? Uh, but they kind of have to stay together, right? And kind of, I mean, while we did play a lot of Senna, like or some Senna in, in scrims, right? We just thought that maybe it didn't really fit our style too much, and we just didn't really want to play it in, in, in stage games because, uh, yeah, it just kind of clashed with our, like, normal game plan. And I th we just felt like the normal game plan we had was just, like, better. And uh, Senna got nerfed as well. So I don't think we will see that much Senna anymore. Uh, especially in Europe, I think the, the champion just didn't really see any play uh, for various reasons. But I think, like, Tom Kench got nerfed as well now, uh, which was always the, the, the most blind-pickable lane, I would say. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, maybe, like, we will still see some Seraphine Senna, for example. I think that is still a bit of a huge pick in, in LCK, LPL. Uh, yeah. mostly, mostly LCK, I think. But uh, yeah, we will see. But uh, I think you are correct on the on the fact that like the hyper carries are coming back into the meta a bit. Uh, like Aphidos Jinx uh, having more prio because every ADC got kind of got nerfed a bit. Like, for example, Seri was really broken. She got nerfed a bit. I think she's still strong. You can still pick her. She just has like more bad matchups, I would say. Then Aphidos, who you can basically blind pick into anything. Uh, then there's like uh, Kalista, who's like the only really strong ADC right now in the meta, like early game pick. Uh, but most teams actually figured out how to counter Kalista uh, nowadays in the in, in drafts. And well, you happen to have a Draven like, player, so that helps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like people don't really like to pick uh, Kalista into us because we have uh, Unforgiven, who's like probably the best Draven player in, in LEC. And uh, yeah, I mean the thing is like. 
Also, the jungle meta changed a lot. Which I mean, the, also... the Poppy is very annoying with Callista also. Exactly. Like, Poppy, Trundle is really, really hard uh, for, for Callista to, to, to deal with. So I think we'll see her prior drop a bit. Uh, and Aphelios just yeah doesn't really care about Trundle or Poppy, right? He can just go, like, cleanse or uh, whatever and, like, just one-shot them later, right? Like, he doesn't have to be scared of, like, a V-Sync kick from a flank or, like, a Vigo just one-shotting him uh, from out of nowhere or something, right? So, uh, yeah, I think the meta just favors, like, the more tanky the meta becomes, the more uh, prior hyper carries we'll have. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's why Aphelios is popping more out uh, in the meta right now. Well, it's it is also- a weird piece of trivia. This has to be one of the only teams ever that has three fucking Wukong players on it. <laughs> I mean, that's actually, an, that's actually a running joke in our, in our, oh, okay. uh, that, like, Ayura is, like, He's not even the best Wukong in the team. Oh, is like, Yeah. Because they nerfed your team by making Wukong a jungler. That's <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of true. Like, he, he's always like, yeah, I'm the second best. Uh, like, I'm, I'm going to be the best Wukong soon. But he has to get through me first and then through Armut. Like, we're always coaching him how, like, like, for example, I think it was always really funny in view use, right? Uh, Armut was coaching him how to use W. I was coaching him how to, how to use W and stuff like this. It was always really funny because, yeah, I'm just a support player and I'm coaching him. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't coaching him that much. You know, I was, I was like mostly letting Amu do it because he, sure. he's obviously the best player, but uh, on on Wukong at least. But uh, yeah, I, I think it was always really, really funny to uh, just joke around. Yeah, it's unfortunate that uh, you know the changes mean it, mean it's not. I guess it it probably uh, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say it might still be if you had the if you had the setup, it might still be occasionally feas- feasible as support. But like flexing into the top lane is not so much of a threat at the current time. Um, Monty, let's be real. If it was vaguely plausible, we'd be fucking. We're <laughs> well, playing it right now. I think of, of, of all the teams in history, buddy, this one I feel fairly confident in. It isn't viable top but, lane. But I mean, uh, also Armut's champion pool looking super good for the top lane right now because there's so many, sure. there's so much agency when you can like first pick Nar or like blind pick <laughs> Nar in so many different situations. It really just feels like the stars are aligning for Mad Lions right now with this new player Unforgiven, you guys able to play around him. Um and the addition of Niski being kind of more or less perfect. He's a selfless player who can play some of these like scaling control mages, but also is absolutely willing to go out there with some more roaming picks. Uh it, it, it it feels good. I'm still waiting for the you guys to play the mid Talia. Like that seems right up your alley in a lot of ways. He smiled knowingly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we watch a lot of LPL. Yeah, and we always like Knights Talia is pretty cool. Say, like, <laughs> yeah, and rookies as well. Like rookie is the only Talia that is like like we watch a lot of Talia, and we were like maybe this champion is not too good because only rookie made it work, right? But we will see. We will see. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's it's certainly it's certainly a champion that uh, that's been that's been doing well over there. And, you know, also, I think if you are uh, who knows if El Yoyo will play it, but at least Dom wants a team that is threatening the flex on that. And uh, they've they've started to play it outside of. Basically, it used to be a, a pick that Canyon would pick into Callista because it really fucks up Callista with the E. Um, but now they've they've started to use it without Callista being played, so it's fun. That's a, another 
Callista counter that we didn't mention that people are are starting to figure out uh, within the game. Anyway, since we talked about basically every other member of the team, we should talk a little bit about armor because here's the problem, right? This is where sometimes people use narratives in a way that I'm like, that doesn't check out. So I'll give you the angle, right? When I do my show with Dom, best damn league show period on this channel, Inside Xbox CSGO, well, League of Legends in this case, this <laughs> channel though. If it's on YouTube, this channel or this Twitch channel, whatever. Right? When we do that show, because Dom is like actually like a fan of armuts his whole narrative for armor is he's a playoff player like he phones it in the regular split but then when it matters you know he's gonna play so his logic even though this doesn't quite work like i said it's because they didn't make playoffs monty we can't really judge armor can we just like ah that's the problem it's like right until then it almost made sense like the point is if he's only a playoff player and he didn't make playoffs Finish the thought, Dom. He's not even a player, is he? You idiot? Like, just mad. So I have to ask the real question, which is, I think what people actually think is, you can't just pick Wukong as often. Maybe he, like, maybe because the team setup changed, it changed, like, what his priority in the team was, or it was also how you play around him. So what would you what would you say the armor journey for this year has been like? What's it been like in this squad with Niski and with Rika? I mean, it's been much easier with Niski for sure, because we've been, like, supporting him more. Like, he, we were basically playing... More of a humanoid style because we used to always play around top lane. Like uh, we was used to just stack waves and like help Armut out in laning phase, right? And we didn't do that as much with Rika. Now with Niski, we play more more of that style, and I think maybe that's why Armut looked a bit weaker in spring, like all of us, right? Uh, because we just changed our play style a bit more, and like he had to maybe be a bit more alone on, on top lane, right? Uh, which is, uh, I mean, if you change anything like from your team, like if you play around any lane. Differently, like always, like kind of fucks up your your muscle memory a bit. I mean, not muscle memory, but, right? But like your your training patterns, everything kind of have to adapt, right? And um, yeah, I think I think Amut. I mean, I always like get really like angry at people when they say like Amut is bad or something because like this guy got two finals MVPs. Like he he always made it work in in, in playoffs, right? And to for people to say like this guy can only play Amut, uh, nah, or something, oh, right? Gone. I think it, yeah, sure. I think it's 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 really like. Yes, you know, and uh, because like he, of course, like, he cool, have... at least they do the joke properly, like because you know the way they do the joke, money. They don't say you can only play nah. nah they say he's a white chocolate. You can dino. put the glitz here, nah, exactly. Like, so the old skin nah, 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 exactly. yeah, It is funny. <laughs> it's well, yeah. it's well executed joke, at least. <laughs> it's it's, it's funny, but also, the is... other problem he has is this dude. You're maybe you're about to say it. He doesn't ever play defense. He plays the opposite. His whole style. I even made a joke. He's actually like one of the only natural counters to my style of banter. Because what happens when I bring him on the show? Like I brought him on that show when he won the first split and I basically just immediately told him like you robbed that split like they should have just won in game five obviously and he just was sort of like uh, yeah lol <laughs> <laughs> that, he, he, he just neutralized it completely he didn't take offense he didn't he just was like yeah maybe and his whole shit basically is just like yeah fuck it maybe I am bad who cares <laughs> it's got a wild mindset though <laughs> I mean yeah I mean the the thing is like uh, I mean I don't really like to to like should talk too much, you know, uh, to players because I think like everyone that made LEC or not, I mean, maybe not everyone, right? But like most of the people that made LEC also like deserve to be there or like have a, uh, have a shot at it. So like calling these players bad is like, I don't know, it, it's, it's just really like, uh, I mean, maybe if you compare them to like the best of the, the best of the West or something, right? But it's just really like, it, it just doesn't sound right to me. And I think like Amut, like why he did have like champion pool problems, right? Like he's always really willing to to learn sure. things like he's not like yeah just pick me now again or like just pick me wukong even if it's not matter right like he's always 
willing to learn new champions and he's always willing to like learn new styles right and oh. like, he's really a, 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 a chill guy so yeah i i don't think uh, many of the complaints were like valid i'm gonna push back a bit though here's my counterpoint i appreciate what you said there and in your context more of it was very reasonable points but i would say this you are in Mad Lions, and you were the two-time champions. And as you said, he's a finals MVP. That means you will get more scrutiny. You will not just be treated like another random player. It's like, spoiler, if I'm at once, no criticism at all, go join SK Gaming and play in the fucking witness protection scheme that is their top lane. Like, how is that guy even in LEC still? Like, I don't get that. As far as I can tell, like, like he must just be like Mr. SK Gaming's fucking son or something, or like fucking bastard child. Like, what's going on here? So yeah, if I'm doesn't want criticism, just fuck off playing Astralis or something, mate. If you want to play in Mad Lions and be a champion, though... You better be really good. True, if you have some hidden reason he's good, we don't know. Tell us, sure. But, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I do agree with that, uh, that like you have to be held to a higher standard, right? If you yeah. uh, have previous performances, right? But I think that's also why like it was like fair to get shed on by like uh, the, the public uh, when we didn't even make playoffs in, in spring, right? I think that's inexcusable, right? And we did play too hard now, though, really you think? Garbage. I mean, I think, like, sometimes for sure, like, for example, if we lose one game, and all of a sudden, like, now uh, Amut is, like, just the worst player in the world or, like, something like that, right? Or, I mean, of course, like, it's not that uh, terrible or something, right? But I think uh, I can kind of have, a, have like, this... Uh, it's, it's like a reoccurring uh, theme, I would say. Maybe, like, uh, for example, mm, I think a lot of the time, like, the public has uh, an opinion and they basically stick to it. That, like, yes. stick that opinion to a player for the entirety of their career, yeah, uh, even sure. if they change, like the, the opinion just, it doesn't go away, right? I'll give you a classic example. You might know it because you were in the RLs at the time. Woo Light. Dude, this player is never going to get to play an LEC ever again in his career. I can tell you right now. But everyone I talked to for the last four years, it's like, dude, that narrative about him just in, in randomly. It's like from seven years ago or something. Like, he's supposedly been one of the best ERL AD carries for years now, but he's never, ever going to get a chance because that narrative is set in everyone's brain that he's just whoever he was on, like, Rocket or whatever years ago, you know? Like, that's an example, dude. That's probably ruined that guy's whole career because he's never allowed to change and improve and grow and be a different player, you know? Yeah. No. You think they've done that to Armut then? He's just like, they think he's still the first split, basically, the same player. I mean, not really. I think uh, it's not that extreme, right? I, I just see like popping up sometimes. Okay. And, uh, in losses, for example, right? Like, I mean, of course, like people are always harsher in losses, right? But I think uh, sometimes it was really unfair uh, that Armut was like getting criticized. And, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it can also like just be like, some random Armut haters, you know, like some some people just have haters for for some reason, right? True. And yeah, yeah. Maybe I just read their comments and stuff like this, but yeah, it just I just noticed it. Sorry. Well, it, I think it's also that it it hasn't really been necessary for Armut to have the largest champion pool because he he fills a very specific role on your team and the play style that has made you successful, and at least in this meta as well. Uh, with as we alluded to earlier, the blind pick NAR capability and the fact that he's not going to absorb very many bans. And if they ban those champions, then other players are going to have really good meta picks unlocked. And so he can do his job perfectly well. And he's perfectly good. I mean, he's good at a lot of these champions, right? He's a very good player on the picks that, that uh, he, he selects the most. So I don't really even see it as an issue. Not everybody has to have the most versatility or the biggest star potential on a given roster. If that's not how moment. you're going to play. 
he, he, like everyone else, can just pick Gangplank because there are only one and a half players in the entire West. Know how they, there's like half of Alfari's brain that still operates somehow. Like, oh, help me. And then there's like fucking Whip or something. That's about it, right? No one, no one else can even play that championship. The joke is you can let it get picked against her. You pick it yourself. No one knows how to hit the barrels anyway. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of true, actually. Like, just press R. I think that's kind of true, actually. Like, I think most, most uh, Euro GPs are not very good, right? Like you, you mentioned yeah. Alfari. I think he's. I think he's really good, but I think GP as a champion is just so hard to play that, like even pro players, like imagine like you you play 50 games like of a champion and you still can't play him as a pro player. Like yeah. imagine how hard that champion is, right? Uh, because it's just like so many things that are like you have to you have to hit the barrels, you have to make sure that no one hits it. You are super squishy. Like yeah. it's basically unlike any other champion on top lane. Yes. So yeah, I mean that he's meta and like first pickable is like basically a death sentence to a lot of teams because they just can't yes. play. GP. And Dude, that's why the, what tilts me is when I'm watching like core streams and stuff and then they're doing it and they're like perfect to end out the draft would be a GP pick I was like you're thinking of a really good GP you idiot this is going to be really bad if this guy doesn't hit any barrels like it's going to be terrible <laughs> the, the thing is right now at least it's not that like hard to be actually impactful with GP because sure. the ult is just so so broken yes. like you don't even yes. have to hit barrels like you, you can maybe just like I mean you can just like farm uh, 10 CS per minute because it's super easy like you, you just like either the wave then go to farm a jungle camp and you get like uh, so much free gold as well you have like four items when, when the enemy top lane has like two and how do you lose at that point right like you don't even have to hit any barrels you could just press ult and <laughs> enemy ADC just can't play the game like he's crying uh, and yeah it's, it's by the way I've even realized earlier if now not Almut is just a fucking Nar main obviously the meme needs to be that mini Nar is fucking regular split armor and then fucking <laughs> mega Nar is playoff armor isn't it it's so perfect you've got, to, you've got to kite that out properly if you're the other teams make sure he doesn't make the playoffs <laughs> I, I mean he did win that finals versus Rogue if he hadn't been playing Nar good, and they yeah. didn't walk into the jungle and yes. just get Nar ulted you guys would have lost that final uh, so uh, he deserves it. it may, he made the big play that turned game five around. That's uh, true. It reminded me actually a lot of the uh, <laughs> this last week when we saw the game uh, between uh, what was it, Fnatic and Misfits. It reminded me a lot of uh, you guys turning the game around against Rogue when they had that huge early game lead in the final because all Fnatic had to do was not walk into the jungle versus Nar. <laughs> Amumu <laughs> and, and uh, the Wukong and just take the lead that they got with Caitlyn and Morgana set up around objectives with sand soldiers and Caitlyn traps and then just just win. And instead they were like, we should definitely walk into this jungle with all this CC and, and then throw the whole game. It's beautiful. And fight this mega now while it's running out. We can't wait like five seconds. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny to me because people, I saw a lot of comments talking about we, we, this will tie into Humanoid as well in your experience with them, but the Razork Humanoid synergy has been an issue. Uh, it has to be said, one of the core issues. But that's not even really why they lost this game. But I look at things that happen, such as in the in that early Fnatic. I don't know if you remember specifically, uh, Kaiser, but basically Razork was like farming chick enemy chickens and then Humanoid has no mana, so he can't rotate and then Razork dies. And it's I, I'm like... How can these guys not talk to each other about the yeah, game yeah. state where it's like Razork, who is not saying like if Razork's saying I am going to go to enemy chickens and humanoids not telling him I can't follow. I have no mana. Uh, 
how does that play occur? Or it's like humanoid says, I don't have mana. And Razork's like, well, fuck it. I'm going to go farm enemy chicken. Like these plays are so ridiculous yeah. because it just seems like they're not even communicating game state to each other at all. But it even then it wasn't Razork died a couple of times. Part of it was Mercer, like on a good roam at the blue yeah. buff as well. Um, that kind of fooled him. Uh, but again, there was very little communication about that within the team. But even then, yeah, Upset and Hillisang get this huge lead. They start rotating around the map. And it's like the real issue with that game was that Fnatic didn't just sit in the river clogging choke points with Sand Soldiers and Caitlyn Traps and then just snowballing objectives. Like the only thing they had to, to not do was fucking walk into the CC traps in the enemy jungle. Like just don't go in there. It's not that it's not that challenging. Be it early to objectives, push your lead early towers um so i think i see the issues with Razork and humanoid but i think they're a little bit overblown because that was just a complete disaster when it came to playing out a team composition that had the lead in the right place like it didn't matter that Razork died a couple of times really so what was you, what would your take be on like the humanoid Razork synergy and like why don't you think that's working i'm actually not sure either but uh i mean maybe it's a bit of a yeah, I mean it's really hard to say because you you never know like their their team uh, how to say like who who shots cross and stuff like this, right? But the thing is like from what I know from Humanoid, like he he should be able to command like uh, his jungler what he wants to do and like what he should do, right? So I'm I'm really like curious what's happening in that team because like maybe someone else is just talking over Humanoid, like maybe I'm not sure, like maybe Upset is demanding resources or like I don't know maybe. Hillisang wants to go for like a, di a different play, right? I'm not really sure what's happening. Maybe they, maybe they are like kind of hierarchy is like a bit out of like sync. Like they don't really know like who's the main shot caller or something, yeah, yeah. and then they just like make their own plays. And if if it goes to shit, like it's your fault, you know, stuff like this. Uh, so it really looks like they're just dis disjointed. I would say like jungle is alone, mid lane plays alone. Uh, like I don't really see humanoid roaming as much anymore as he used to. I mean, he is playing like a lot of Azir and stuff like this, so it's um, it's uh, of course not gonna not gonna happen as much, right? Uh, but for example, Botlane usually plays on an island as well, right? Or like maybe maybe Razor had like his volleyball games where he was like spamming botlane, right? Uh, which worked out for them pretty good. But uh, since Meta is moving away a bit from that uh, now, maybe it's getting harder for them, and they just want to try different styles, right? I'm not really sure what's wrong with them. I mean, I, I, I can only think of, like, just the, yeah, the hierarchy just not uh, being clear enough and them just, like, not being, uh, not communicating, yeah? I mean, that's, that's actually a theory weird. I had along those lines, because basically, when you have this many players that have all been, like, team-defining players, etc., I wonder if it's, like, the premise of, like, too many cooks in the kitchen. Because the problem is, the, the best thing I always say when you watch your lesser teams, like teams that are, like, not considered super teams, is it's just obvious who should be played through and who should set the tone and who should be the leader and who should be the guy with the shot. It just makes it obvious. Like, if, like for example, if you had, like, a past Fnatic team, of course Hillisang's going to set so much what you're going to do in the game. So you're like, Hillisang, dude. The problem they have in this team, as far as I can tell, goes like this, right? Razork looked at the best when he was on Misfits when basically he just had two strong solo laners who were both rookies. Like, in that scenario, maybe he gets all the same. Maybe he, uh, he's the he's actually a veteran compared to them. Maybe he gets to tell them what to do. Maybe they listen because they're rookies. But you look in this team now, you've got him who was on a lesser team where he was played around completely. You have Upset, lesser teams, played around completely his whole career. But then you have Humanoid and Hillisang who were incredibly team defined 
finding players who normally have to play around. So if, so if you have four players who potentially all used to be the defining factor or one of them, like you can't all be at the same time. And in fact, as you said, sometimes the hierarchy mistake is going to be it's a democracy. We're all purely equal. We can all say what we want in that scenario. But the, the downside of that approach, as much as in a perfect world, if all five were geniuses, that'd be the best system. Wow. But if you have a player like Humanoid, maybe he's making a brilliant call, but he doesn't make the call because someone else is talking or someone else made the play already. You know what I mean? So like sometimes in that sense, like that's why I think super teams are really tricky because actually the fact that you have all this, we could do anything, makes it harder to know what to do. Yeah, and that's what I really like about Mad Lions as a, like as a like the staff about Mad Lions because they they actually think about what do we actually need as a team because right. like you could you could sign the best like yes. player in like each role and like just like stick them together right like yeah, so yeah. many other teams are trying yeah. right but the thing is like time and time again like it just turns out like Razok is a really good player like no doubt about that but he's not fitting into the team kind of right and <clears throat> I think that's what Mad, Mad Lions does really well like they identify like we have a hole in the mid lane. We need someone to uh, to roam with our mid jungle, uh, mid uh, support jungle, right? So they just get Nisky, right? Like they, maybe they could have gotten like I don't know, uh, like a Caps like player, right? That plays around himself and stuff like this. Uh, I mean, Caps also roams, but let's I mean, just say the like actually was, yeah. you could have had like a Vethi or something. That was like one of the rumors, yeah, wasn't exactly, it? Like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, like, I don't think that would have worked as well as Nisky because we just needed that specific niche. And I feel like most teams they don't really care about that. They just Sign the best player or like yes. the biggest name, and then they stick like all this like mishmash together and like wonder why it doesn't work out, right? And I think that's really underrated uh, in like scouting, for example. Yeah, uh, that, that yeah, you just don't care about like uh, what you actually need as a team, but just about the. Defense. I mean, I would actually say I think a lot of people did give Mad Lions credit specifically for the El Yoya signing in that case because that was like a that was a really clever. Remember before that, Shadow used to have games when he was smurfing when on Lee he, he had looked like a really dynamic player. So like the change to El Yoya, I think a lot of people were impressed by it. That was exactly the player you needed for that team to make it to make it better. It seemed like yeah. By the way, Monty said it earlier on when he was saying that we were going to come on the show. Right, even though technically you're in second place in the LEC. Because the team that's in first is Rogue, who you literally are so kind. <laughs> you just said, you knew that, you know, they were feeling down the looks. You were like, you know what? You guys can be top of the league in. And you <laughs> gave them that win, didn't you? Because obviously they did no part in that win. You just gave them that win. <laughs> you know, obviously a gentleman before you, ladies first, you know. But that's the thing. Like, a lot of people. That was I think the Monty's karmic got... price they had to pay yeah, for, for Rogue throwing the well, final to them. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. a good price. It was a good price. Just, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll give yeah, you, yeah. in like a year, we'll give you just a regular split game. No problem. <laughs> Guys. Just win, trade, the thing, win trading up. <laughs> Obviously, people are going to think because of that historical narrative of like it was all humanoid. Dude, I actually think Monty's not too far off. If I just took the name plates off and I watched Mad Lions play, this Mad Lions might be the best LEC team. Like it looks like actually the team's yep. looking really fucking strong, mate. Well, let, let's 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 diagnose this. Like Kaiser can play doctor here and diagnose some of the other teams and their issues, right? Like Fnatic doesn't seem to know how to play out these team compositions and has problems with synergies between Humanoid and Razark, where they just randomly die for no reason in the early game. Uh, XL, maybe this was a bad week for them. I think you could say, like, they, they probably should have won that Astralis game, so maybe it was just an off week. They were looking pretty strong. Uh, G2, no clue what's going on there. Why do you fill, uh, feed Certus as a colleague four kills in the start of the game and get yourself into a really terrible game state, right? I believe, dude, that, can you even believe G2 has the same record as Astralis? Like, how is that even possible? <laughs> that can't even be possible. What is that? Pinch me. Am I awake? 
I, I mean, they also kind of threw the the Misfits game as well. They were they they were in a pretty good spot, uh, I would say. In Where's the game. thing, Monty? I will say this because I actually came into this split thinking Misfits is terrible, and I thought for the first few games they looked really bad. But I actually think, dude, no joke. I think Misfits gets better every week. Like they actually look now, like as much as everyone thinks everyone's throwing against them, dude, they can catch these throws like a motherfucker though. Like they actually look pretty good at sort of like exploiting some of the like mistakes people make. As much as I don't think they're a good team, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean. The game versus Fnatic, I think, was that one was Fnatic a bit dodgy, but themselves. That was Fnatic, <laughs> yeah. sure. uh, and w- when they were more proactive in G two, like I-, I don't know, VTO's quirky made me kind of sad in that game. Uh, the the package usage was uh, questionable. Um, and Rogue, at least, I would say you guys and Rogue, especially after this last week where there were just so many upsets, uh, Rogue, Rogue and you at least seem to have a very good read on the current meta. Now, one of these games is a complete stomp against BDS, but at least Rogue versus Vitality, um, they they appear they've just kind of gotten better and better as time has gone on, and they're like they've won. They're like a they were six and zero oh in their last sure. six games, so it's really only that first week. We lost seven games in a row. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Seven was the seventh was you in week one, uh, unfortunately for you. But uh, Rogue has has been kind of quietly getting better. It seems like they fixed some of their issues. They're playing some really meta compositions. Um, you know. My favorite piece of trivia is just that stupid one that BDS lost to every team except the good duty. <laughs> that is just so stupid because that is like some bizarre or fucking blue shell shit. And like, what well, is that? It was that the, it was the revenge of grabs, and now G two. Yes, he, he like he's like siphoned. He came and he siphoned G yes. two's power <laughs> after that win. <laughs> Too funny. Um, but yeah, like Rogue looks pretty legit. I, I think their drafts, if you compare them to what's going on on this patch, because finally we have like all of the major regions on the same patch now. So I can say like you guys and, and Rogue look like you've adopted a lot of the powerful strats from other regions um, and are, are playing are playing well around this. And Rogue, maybe I would say you guys are a little bit more because there's kind of two bot lane schools of thought right now that we alluded to, one of which is like, Lucian, Nami, and Callista, plus, you know, strong engaged supports. Um, you know, at least in Korea, Callista, the most successful Callista player has been Deft uh, with Barrel, and they play like a Mumu support and like really heavy engage. Uh, and so those styles have been, if you're good and you can snowball around those styles, and that's like we have seen, we have seen Rogue do that. And we saw them with the, the Taric kind of very similar similar style of composition where they wanted to dive into the back line and power up like Odo is just unkillable on Gwen between Tarek Ult and his W. Um, and then the other school of thought has been like, okay, let's play Aphelios. Let's play Zeri. Let's like scale for the late game. And I would say you guys are more that camp. So you've kind of taken on these, uh, these cool identities of the two, the two faces of the meta right now. I mean, I would say we are like a bit in the middle Like we can kind of play like, both botland sides, we, we can play Kalista Draven, right? We can play Zeri, uh, yeah, Aphelios, Jinx, right? I think Bully is good on, on all of those champions. So I think we're actually really versatile as a botlane, at least. Um, the thing is, uh, what we are like um, right now, like we, we, we think that LPL is the best region, right? And LPL likes to fight a lot, a lot in the early game. And that's why we kind of all also draft like a really heavy top side with like early game. Uh, how do you say, like, fighting power, right? For example, there was, like, a lot of uh, the times there were Azir first picks, Corky first picks in LEC, right? We didn't really do that that, um, that much, um, even though there were, like, strong champions, right? Uh, we just thought that the LPL style of, like, uh, just fighting you and, like, diving top lane at 
minute three or something, right? I think we just thought that was uh, the best style. And as a bot lane, uh, you don't really have to like pick an early game bot lane for that to happen, right? Your top top side can kind of do their own thing, right? And you can still pick up Helios, Renato, or whatever, and just like push your lane and have a have a safety net basically if uh, something goes wrong top side maybe. Uh, but you can also like play like Kalista and just play full for early game, right? It, it is really dependent on the on the comps that the enemy drafted. I think that's why most teams also like dropped their bot lane sometimes. For example, if if Yumi is out or uh, maybe if uh, Renata is out or something, usually uh, some teams dropped or like like dropping bot lane and just picking. Nah, jungle mid, uh, one two three, and because mid lane does really have like many counter picks right now. Like for example, you can just blind pick Lissandra. Like what are the enemies gonna pick into it? Right, like Silas maybe or maybe uh, uh, control mate, right? But you can still do your thing, uh, diving top lane or diving bot lane on on your on your push, and yeah, that's basically what LPL plays, and I think uh, what we play as well because we just like LPL a lot. Do you have? I'm curious. Do you have any players that you particularly enjoy watching as a as a support from LPL? Like, who do you pay attention to, and and what do you like about their play? I mean, I watch Carrier a lot. I mean, he's from LCK, right? But of course, I that's Carrier what I'm saying like, about that. He's your fucking dream, dude. Like, yeah, exactly. That's why I want to see some of that shit, Kaiser. Yeah. Like, you should be out there with the Yasuo and the and the Camille. <laughs> I mean, my team I, this me is my maybe. dream for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is, like in in LPL, I just like to watch the the, the good teams, right? Uh, like V5. Uh, I mean, for example, Viper Mako, really good bot lane. Uh, Mingala, of course. Uh, like basically the the top teams, right? I think they all have decent supports. I would say, or like I mean, really good supports. Some have like only decent ones, but I think the the really good teams always have like good supports. Uh, so yeah, I I don't really watch like one player kind of like i just watch all of them and aside from carrier i i watch carrier really closely of course uh but uh yeah i think uh yeah they're all really good and i think they play mostly similar styles i, I don't think there's like many outliers in lpl i think they mostly play the same style so you can basically copy and paste kind of uh so yeah what I would recommend if you're a Westerner, you don't ever watch LPL, but you play a support, just watch Ming. That guy is the fucking truth. That is a really entertaining <laughs> player as well. And he's a shot caller himself as well. So he's, just, he's a really smart player. He's a complete support, in my opinion. So do we want to talk about some of the other teams? Like, do you do you have thoughts, at least on, on Rogue so far this season? Who do you consider the most I'm, dangerous team in LEC? I'm, I'm, yeah, go on. First of all, who is the best team for real? Ignore the standings. Who is the actual best LEC team? I mean, aside, I mean, excluding us, of course. Uh, it could be you if you think it's you. Uh, excluding us, I think either Rogue or Excel. The thing is, it's really hard to say because I feel like when we play against Rogue, they always play worse than in scrims, I would say. I think, and actually a lot of teams are like this in LEC. Yeah. They like, I mean, maybe we're just so bad at scrimming that we just get stomped every game and then on stage, like, everything is just changed, right? You but, know what I'm going to say is, if Armut doesn't even fucking turn up for the regular season games, my God, I can't even imagine what his scrims are like. <laughs> Holy fucking shit. Wait, is he just, does he just fucking phone him in? What's he doing? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, I don't think it's on Armut, I think. Okay, fair enough. There's, yeah. there's other problems sometimes, okay. but the thing is, uh, I think Rogue really, like, they have insane fundamentals. I think they, their macro game is, like, really solid. Like, they kind of never really make glaring mistakes that you just abuse, right? Uh, I think, uh, I mean, sometimes, yeah, I mean, I think that's just their biggest strength, kind of, and, like, 
they don't really have a weak point in, in their laning as well. Like they, they just play lane well. And uh, I think that's why they're like a really complete team. And that's why they're also really good at best of ones, right? Because uh, you don't really have to like adapt too much. You just play your own game. And then if the enemy team like makes a mistake, you just punish it and you just do your one, two, three steps and then you finish the game, right? And I think Rogue is really, really good at that. I think when it comes to like adaptation, maybe they mm, fall flat a bit sometimes, but I think they're not like the worst, right? I mean, uh, it's really hard to say because we didn't play any best of five lately, right? So, uh, yeah. But I think Excel as a team, they're kind of similar. I think they also play kind of like us, like uh, LPS style, that they really like to dive side lanes. They like to play aggressive early games, uh, especially their bot lane is like really aggressive, right? And I think. Uh, they, up to maybe last week, they had a really good meta read as well. I think meta reads are actually like the most important thing right now in the in the meta, uh, because drafting just I don't know is like eighty percent of the game is so broken right now. Uh, like if if you have a good draft, it's so hard to lose the game. Uh, and I think Excel, us and Rogue were kind of the the draft kings, I would say, in 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 the past four weeks. Uh, for example, we figured out the Yumi, right? Some teams just didn't think it was that broken. And then they got like stomped. Like, I think it was like 9 1 or something in the LEC, uh, the Yumi pick. So, yeah, I think mostly the, the, the meta reads were like on point for, for Axel, us, and uh, Rogue. I mean, Axel kind of play, played Jenna uh, last week. So maybe that was. Maybe gave them fake info <laughs> in scrims. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, the meta reads were like. Uh, as I said, uh, really good for them, and of course their fundamentals are also really good, and yeah, that's basically it. But the thing is, both of those teams, Rogue and XL, which are your main competition right now for the top standings, they both have like this out-of-the-game narrative like fucking hype that they're like the secret masters of LEC. Because what happened was, Nelson, and the fact that they did that boot camp, well, he even said on some show like, uh, I think it was in someone inside. I can't remember, or maybe it was my show. I can't remember which one. He basically said, like, "Oh, you know, we're the only like Western team that know how to play like the macro against the team." Yep. He did that he like, that and then and then Seal came on Best Damn League Show the other week, and he was uh, his whole thing was like he did that annoying thing where he was like, "I can't comment on Fnatic because I've sort of figured out how to beat them with the secrets. So I can't give you the secrets." Like. All right, mate, whatever, fuck, you know, all right, yeah, sure you have, sure, all the secrets. So they're both making it sound like they just know the game. They're, those teams know the game the best, like, got everything done. In scrims, it's the best. Like, are they overselling that? Are they? Are these actually the teams with, like, the best understanding? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, probably, like, I, I think they, they have really good understanding, that's for sure. I think stage is always different, kind of. Like, I think people still underestimate, like, how, how different playing on stage feels like, because... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just feel so much more confidence, kind of. But I think most other teams are the opposite. I, I don't know why, but uh, like, we, we as a team just play so much better on stage, and enemy teams just play more scared. I would say maybe they play like they wouldn't go for like fifty fifties, and that they would go for in scrims or something like that. Right. Like, it just makes it so much easier to play. I think that's like the biggest issue for some other teams, right? That they just like play more scared. I would say. And I mean, about the 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 how to beat teams and stuff like this, I think. There is not really a blueprint usually. Uh, I mean, of course, you have like better chances at winning against them, right? And uh, there's like uh, things you can do to improve your chances. But I think uh, most teams also like know themselves pretty well. So like like sometimes you make, uh, for example, reports about yourself, right? And you you figure out like what do en do enemy teams think of us, for example? And then you kind of adapt your playstyle. Uh, so the the it's not as obvious. For example, Astralis, we played against Astralis. 
usually Astralis only picks tanks, right? Like they, they play Scion, on. that's basically it. And they just pick one, two Camille. You can't really expect that, right? And I think that's a kind of a good thing <laughs> to do you, if you can Were you them. scared? <laughs> like, I guess my next uh, question is like, do you do you care if from a different thing because you're like wow is he being practicing this if he picks it it's like you have problems to home son what's look, going on here look, like look, <laughs> look, look, look man like the only reason they were in that game is because you guys you guys were destroying them and then you were like <laughs> what would happen if we dove tier two top tower right now uh but we let's let's not all be there uh and then samira is just gonna use her old like in in the range of like the the tier three tower let's just see what happens and you guys just threw it and gave up baron like that should have been an absolute destruction of a game personally i would have been having a party in champ selective visit chachi just like randomly picks camille like <laughs> i mean <laughs> like of course it, dep it depends on the player, each other. Right? <laughs> i think i think i think visit chachi can play camille but i think they just played it like i mean i think they underestimated our like early game because like we always have really good early games and we just like shut them down completely so you couldn't even like even if it was yes. like, like even if it was like the shy on camel maybe i mean maybe it would be different right like i can't really say that because i didn't see the laning phase but i think it was really hard for him to play because we just kept ganking and kept ganking yes and they just couldn't really save him because they had oriana mid lane who doesn't yep. really like to move and doesn't really like do anything in the early game so we kind of like drafted them in a hole kind of like if they pick Sion, then they have Sion into now right not the best matchup uh if they pick Camille. Then we have just we just pick Lisa Lisandro, right? And what do they pick that gives gets prior into Lisandro? There there is not really any like, any champion, right? So if we play the game correctly, I think we should should be able to win like uh, most of the time, right? And yeah, I mean we had some hiccups, right, at the tier two, but uh, I think overall it was like a pretty good game. Uh, but yeah. I, I guess I, mean, I, I I'm not sure about the the strat from Astralis of ban no junglers. Respond with Camille Trundle to Nar, and then leave up Lee Sin, knowing, and then take Oriana after you see Lee Sin Lissandra. Fully aware, fully aware, by the way, that Nar can dive with Lee Sin and Lissandra in the top lane, and you have Oriana Trundle to respond to a, a dive against Camille, and it's Visitrachi playing Camille. We go ahead and say probably not the greatest draft from Astralis. Well, if I had to, well, I would give it like a D. <laughs> well, may maybe they just saw the uh, Ayoya's decent game against Excel and they were like, yeah, I'm going to get on this guy. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that could be a thing. I guess. I guess. I, I, think, I think that's a reach. I think, uh, I, I think you guys absolutely smashed this week. I mean, if you, if you look at like the first 20 minutes of both of your games, you, you play extremely well. You have these massive leads, and the only reason that they were anywhere close to coming back into that game was because you guys... We're pushing your limits just a little bit with your advantages. Yeah, we've been doing that a lot more, actually. I think it can be a bad thing, right? I think we lost, like, two games that we shouldn't have against Misfits and Rogue as well uh, because we just overstepped. But I think it's it's fine to lose, like, oh, yeah. best of ones. We just, like, try things and, like... That's the Mad Lions mentality. That's what you guys do. Yeah. Take it easy, you know? I Push your limits, just activate in playoffs, right? The thing is, like, maybe we did that too much in spring, right? I think th there were some games that we threw in, in spring that really hurt us in the in the end, right? But I think at this point we are six three, right? Uh, I think we can afford some some losses, right? And we just have to to finish strong at the end, and yeah, then we then we will make uh, stuff happen in playoffs like usual.
obviously the team we haven't talked about, and that in itself is the storyline, is we haven't even had to mention fucking G2. Remember, not only are they the champions, but when they started the split, like aside from the BDS loss, they were smurfing on everyone. Everyone on the team was stomping. The score lines were crazy. Everyone was like 8 0 12 and shit, like in every game. What's happened to G2? What's, what's happened to these guys? I mean, from what I could see, is like in, uh, in spring, Yankos and Cavs were just like smurfing out of their minds, kind of. And I feel like those kind of performances are not there to last, kind of. Because, like, you can't just, like, be that good that you just beat every game, like, every team. Not 2v5, right? I think the rest of the team was also playing decent, right? But I think most, like, some, some of, most of the games were just, like, 1-2v5. Like, Caps and Yankos were just that, like, good, I would say. And I think those kind of performance are, performances are, like, not reliable enough. And I feel like those are, like, lacking more right now. I feel like those kind of performances are not... Yeah, happening right now with uh, with Caps and Yankos. Uh, they're still playing like decent, right? I mean, uh, maybe maybe against SK, like Caps got solo killed or something, right? It's not the same as it uh, as in spring. And yeah, I think that's the biggest issue right now is that they just yeah they they're playing worse than before. I, I would say like as a as a mid jungle. I mean, I would say it's understandable because you can't just keep playing like they were in in, in spring because uh, they were just playing too well. I would say and uh, yeah, I that's think kind of that problem right now. I think the problem is, is like to your to your point. I agree, but to be more specific, I think that it's really just a lack. They they don't seem to be able to get much done in the early game right now. Like they seem to lack a lot of agency. They're losing fights that they pick. Like they seem to they seem to be getting outplayed. I mean, you saw that in the game against SK where they just fed Akali four kills to start off the game and it was kind of unnecessary to have that level of, of aggression playing Volibear and Azir in the mid lane it's like what's the point in doing this like you don't need to force a play right now you can just sit there with Azir and scale up for the late game and you can play towards your Lucian and your Nami if you're the Volibear right you could you have other things that you can be doing on the map so I, I, I feel like they are not they are not reading the game state very well right now. And you can see that in the Misfits game as uh, too, because they should have won that game. But they let Misfits... First off, Misfits got three Barons in that game. And two of them were basically for free because they were forcing desperation plays on the bottom side of the map. And then they just, Misfits just walked to Baron and took it, right? And so I don't really understand how this team can make these really fundamental misreads on the game state or where they can apply pressure or when they can go to certain parts of the map because it's it's really just doing them in. They don't they don't have to play this aggressively and in the late game they need to make sure that they can cover their bases in terms of objective and macro play. Um, and not just give up objectives for free. I mean, these are really fundamental errors. So it's confusing. It's confusing why this level of pl of player uh, can do this. And to your point, Kaiser, yeah, they may have been peaking at the right time, but simultaneously, we don't expect Yankos and Caps to be playing this badly at the same time either. It's like they've gone, they've completely 180. I mean, yeah, but the thing is, like, the thing is, G2 was never like the cleanest team in the world. I would say, like, I, no. th I think they always had like a, a really messy style, right? And not unlike, for example, Excel and Rogue right now, they never had like the the perfect macro you just play out the game and the enemy can't do anything so there is always like um the enemy team can always kind of come back if they just play better fights than you right and for example in the misfits game they were like getting outscaled i would say and uh yeah i think at some point you just have to play the fights correctly or there is no coming back right and i think 
uh, yeah, I think they just had some issues with like maybe just getting caught out too much and like yeah, just making minor mistakes that like snowball into enemy team getting dragon, which delays the game for like another five minutes, which means a cocky gets like one more item, for example, or something like that. And then then the game is really really hard. And I think we also had that kind of issue because we also like to play messy, right? Uh, and that's kind of what's happening to G2, but I think G2 has like worse early game than us, and they also like pick, um, I think, worse early game champions, right? So uh, they have like a mix kind of sometimes, like where they, they don't really scale outscale, but they also don't really like stomp early game. So it's kind of hard to balance it. And yeah, I think like sometimes uh, maybe they just should just like commit to one style, which makes it easier to play because you just, I mean, if you if you get to 30 minutes, you lose the game, but at least you had like a better shot at making it making the enemy nexus explode at 25 minutes right and i think like sometimes maybe their draft has like a bit of like a bit too much of anything like everything kind of yeah i mean I, my counter argument would be they do have two rookies in the team still like, i yeah. think that part's underrated yeah uh, my counter argument would be that drx plays that style and actually has been successful it's just it, you have to play it's not very surprising, but, you know, if Def's playing Callista and they've got a, a Zir in the mid lane, you just play into the Callista early, try and stack dragons, and then scale into late game. So it's it's doable. It's doable, but it is very easy to predict what you're going to do in those scenarios. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, I think G2 as a team, they also like to play a lo lot around topside, I think. Uh, they usually like to leave Flacket alone. And, uh, yeah, Yankos and Caps just uh, do their thing together. And I think that's been kind of... Um, Harder to do maybe because GP is just so hard to make players on plays on. Like he he just presses yeah, out the whole broken blade broken blade can't play Gankabike either. <laughs> <laughs> he can't play that He can't play that I'm telling you. I think but his yeah, first like, gangplank games were actually at MSI ever. Pretty sure. Pretty sure that's okay. <laughs> I think, by the way, I think in general there's another fact I think why G2's been worse. I think Broken Blade's had a pretty dodgy split so far. Remember, he was called the best top player in the last split. I mean, yeah, I think I think Broken Blade as a player is like insane mechanically. Uh, I mean, not sure what, what's happening this split. Maybe his maybe his GP. I mean, I think his GP is like fine, but I mean, it's obviously like not not a Harry level or like the best GP, right? But I think it's like like you can play it in LEC, right? And yeah, I'm just not really sure like what's what's really going on. Maybe they just have like the wrong meta read and stuff uh, regarding topside because I think Caps has not been playing that much Lissandra and stuff like this, which could be. A really good pick for them if they want to like play more on top side to to set up dives and stuff like this. Uh, he's been playing more like uh, Ari, right? I mean, Ari is also like similar, I would say, but it's harder to execute, I would say. And so yeah, maybe maybe they just don't play as well as they used to, and the the picks that they usually usually like to pick uh, are just harder to execute because other teams just f figured out the, the counters, right? For example, the the Ari into uh, Lissandra into Ari, for example, right? That's fair. So yeah. Uh, sorry, gang. It was not Broken Blade's first Gangplank games in MSI. That's my mistake. He's played twenty-three games of Gangplank and six since MSI, including. So, just to correct the record there. But um, yeah, I mean, I think a, a lot. If we're if we're reflecting on um, on the performances at MSI and the kind of peak of G two before they slid down in the second round robin, a lot of that was you know the caps just absolutely popping off on the Ari and having these wonderful individual performances. And uh, I mean, to a certain degree, 
players or teams like have caps his teams have lived and died by caps he's he's not the most consistent player he's just transcendent when he hits his peaks right that's what the real danger and the real scariness of him is do you think that g2 might be uh you know taking the taking their foot off the gas a little bit in the regular season with the assumption oh we're gonna ramp up in time for playoffs or do you think this is a real problem with the team because Right now, they're on the outside of playoffs looking in. If the split ended today after the first round robin, they'd be four and five and they would be in seventh place and that would be it. I mean, yeah. I mean, the thing is, you never know because, like, I mean, MSI kind of hurts teams more than it, like, gains them anything, right, usually. As, I mean, at least in the in the short term. Like, I think we also had that problem when we went to MSI, like, the split started, like, I mean, two, three, two weeks later or something and we didn't have any break. And I think that might be affecting uh, G2 as well, that they just didn't have any time to cool off uh, so and of course maybe they they cooled off a bit more and then in turn they didn't scrim right uh, it's always like a a two-sided uh, i don't know maybe edge i guess like uh, either you scrim too much and then you burn out or like the other thing right uh, so it's really hard to say what's what the what's the problem right now i think msi could definitely be still in the back of their minds kind of uh, i mean at week four i would say you have to kind of start uh, pushing the pedal again because uh, there, there is gonna be, there are gonna be games that are just like lost in draw, for example, or like lost because you made one mistake early game and the enemy team got like three kills. You can't really control those kind of games. I mean, you can, but like it's it's hard to to kind of come back from those games. And if you are like four or five and you lose like two or three kind of games like that, then you kind of have to win against the good teams. And if you can't make that happen, then you're kind of out in, in playoffs already, right? And it's possible they could miss playoffs. Yeah, if people don't realize exactly. six teams in the league have more wins than them, so they have to get more wins than six teams. Well, not six, like a couple, at least like one or two. And they're tied so with again, Australis. Because <laughs> as you say, the part people misunderstand is that they're just going to look at the schedule and go, "Well, come on, you know they'll beat BDS and SK." Like no, because as you say, if the draft means so much, all you need is to fuck up one bad draft at they the lost time. to BDS that could, and SK. Oh, yeah, that, 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 that could be the reason you don't make playoffs, though. <laughs> No. I mean, they're they're not they're not having a great time right now. They're one in four, or they're zero and four in the last two weeks of competition. Like this is this is a really big problem for them after a strong start. And um, you know, it's it's going to be. I think it's going to be a rough uphill battle, especially because there there have been teams like SK and Astralis that have been on the up and up. Even arguably Vitality. Look, they didn't look good in their their first game uh this past week but in their second game they it was one of the rare vitality games where they had a successful early game and when they have that they are good it's just that that happens not so frequently um when they get the lead it's hard to beat them but they they rarely get that lead yeah i agree i mean the thing is like they also got kind of their best champions right Uh, i've already got his vp i think it's really comfortable for our to play right now as well because he's like the best gp in the league and he's so broken so I think if they get their champions and they can execute them, right, they're a really good team. Uh, I think sometimes they have some inconsistencies, as you said, like, uh, for example, Perks, like, sometimes uh, he's the best player in the world and, like, sometimes he just forgets his hands, right? I think uh, it's just, like, kind of a, a random team, I would say. Like, I mean, it's fitting with Kazi in the team as well, right? Like, he's, he's the same kind of player. And I feel like that's why they sometimes have, like, some, yeah, issues in, in like, uh, in the games because they, they just, like, they make some really questionable decisions, and like then the game is just lost from the from the start, right? But I think if they if they find their like footing and if they play well, they can be a really good team. All right. Do we have any other final teams in LEC we want to talk about right now, Thorin? Before we 
let Kaiser go? The problem is, in theory, the only other one's SK Gaming. And even though people are like, they're winning games now, it's like, who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck? <laughs> like, like, I'll tell you one thing. Maybe this will hurt people's feelings. Maybe Kaiser can jump in on this. Oh, you just ignore it if it's too offensive. Right? <laughs> the joke is, I said this joke on my other, on the other show on Side Select, but I don't get this. Right? You know that story you said earlier? Like, a lot of people won't even know this. Unforgiven was on the SK Gaming Academy team. So you're like, you look at that and you go, wait a minute, they had that guy that... Okay, right, forget that. Then you come to this split, right? So obviously there's a story that Jezu had COVID and he had to skip out, right? And then I saw they're promoting Gadget. Gadget's on their... Pro- Dude, is there some sort of law of SK that, like, the good ADC is only allowed to be in the Academy team and fucking Jezu just has to play... Again, is Jezu, like, the fucking right. cousin of the son of Mr. SK? You're like, what's going on here? Why is he just playing all the time? I don't get it. So I will, I will give SK some credit in that they are a team that I think has a good read on the meta right now. And even though I disagree strongly with the way that Gilius is both playing and building Poppy. Poppy is really fucking good right now. And so you can kind of mess it up and still do well. Plus, we've seen a lot of teams move into blind picking Silas. You've seen how powerful Silas can be in some of these team fights, even if you don't do well in the laning phase. They've picked up the top lane Shivana, which I think can situationally be quite good. Um, you know, they're playing aggressive bot lane picks as well. So I think they, they've actually nailed the meta in a way. And I'm really surprised it took Poppy this long to get into the meta because I thought when they buffed her before MSI, we would have seen a lot more of her at MSI just because the W cooldown is so fucking good at the professional level. But it really took, I think, some teams time to like figure out the like phase rush hex flash build that makes her so dominant yeah. in the early game. Like it's, I, I, I'm sure it's very annoying for you to play against her because she could just show up at any time and just fucking kill you, yeah. which is very, think- very irritating. And the funny thing about these kind of picks is like you would think that Poppy is like a, a counter pick, right? You just pick it into dash champions, right? And that's what people when people start playing a, a new champion, right? That's what they do, right? They just pick it in the niche situations where they're good. Like for example, Poppy into like Lee Sin and sure. Silas, right? Uh, so, and after some point I think people just figured out like Poppy is like you just first pick Poppy like who cares, right? Like it's still a good champion and even if the enemy to pick, uh, team picks Trundle, like you still have a Poppy, right? And and Poppy is just so useful that it just doesn't matter if even if enemy team just has one dash or something, you are still like you can still stun people in the wall, right? You, your ult is still super useful. Uh, you still have an insane early game. So yeah, I think that's really funny to like to watch with. I think it happened with Silas as well, kind of, because like Silas used to be just like a a pick that you can't pick in every scenario. Right now it's first pick sometimes because like the meta just changed a bit, and like now it's for example really blind pickable. Now it's now ult is insane. All the support ults like Amumu. Uh, Nautilus, Leona, whatever, right? Like, they're all super insane. So people just like pick Silas, right? And I think SK is a team that really figured that kind of out uh, early. And some teams just, like, made the mistake of, like, uh, not banning Kalista against Jezu. Like, uh, that's also a thing, right? I think that's his best champion. Why not just ban right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think they kind of outdrafted their enemy teams in, like, their two games. And I think yeah, I agree. the problem with, with SK is, like, I will not... I, I don't think it's going to happen that many times again, and I feel like if they don't outdraft the enemy team like so hard, I think it's going to be rougher for them to win. But uh, I like what I'm seeing from them because like they really figure out the meta like fast, and they kind of uh, yeah like they just play the champions that they think that that are good. 
and yeah, it's working for them. So yeah, I, I mean, I, like I think I think the poppy pick is just so insane right now because it gives you such flexibility and versatility when it comes to your jungle pathing. You can blow flash early, no problem. Really difficult to get away from ganks uh, when she hits level three. It's just it's incredibly incredibly annoying. And then the, the other reason. Uh, that I was, ta- I, you know, I was tweeting, I was like, I think before MSI, I was like, I think Poppy's going to be really good now and we'll probably see increased uh, pro play. But because her ult is always useful. It's just one of those things that is always going to be at the good at the professional level. So as long as she has a decent jungle clear or depending on the medic and like survive top lane, you can control objectives so effectively because instantly you have a 5v4 power play. Oh, they have Rift Herald? Who gives a fuck? I'm launching it to the moon. Like, you know, yeah. it's it's just so good at a macro level to take things for free or to deny plates that it, she she she's just strong. Like, she's just strong. She yeah. has the early game presence to make the plays on the ganks. She doesn't need a lot of farm. Um, and she's just incredibly useful at shutting down mobility within these team fights. I mean, the only thing that is, like, kind of holding her back is that She's really difficult to play because, like her ult, like some some people just don't know how to ult or like when to ult, and they just like throw it somewhere and like yeah maybe you get the support out or something right. But that's not really that uh, big of a deal sometimes. But like when I see for example Peanut, like this guy is crazy good on Poppy. Yeah, like, it's I so fun. In 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 every single game, like I think he sometimes even like first picks Poppy because he just knows like every single team fight I can just like carry the game with my ult, even though it's like a really hard ability to use. Like, if you use it correctly, like, it just wins you the game, like, on the spot, kind of. Yeah, and you have different ways you can use it, too. Like, if you see people grouped up, you can get a, just a quick knock-up with it. Um, so the decision-making, I agree, is very hard on Poppy. By the way, go watch my video on this channel about Peanut playing Poppy and his jungle path thing and how he plays it. I, I did some analysis, so you can enjoy that, fans. But, um, yeah, I, I agree. I think his Poppy play is kind of leading the 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 world right now when it comes to how you can use this champion and that's why the bands have been cropping up so significantly but it, it is it is a little bit interesting to me that it took a while for this to take hold because i think she's really good it's, you just have to have a very yeah, good I, the, the coordination of the team is really important too because if you blow your flash and your team isn't following up or like you use a hex flash like it can go very badly for you so the i i think it to a certain degree it's the individual decision making that you're talking about as well as the team coordination like everybody really has to be on the same page when you play poppy otherwise she sucks <laughs> she yeah. really sucks I mean, that's what, <laughs> yeah that's for sure true and i think we could have seen her at msi as well like i agree like she she was strong before I think just no one really realized it because it sounds kind of troll that Poppy is as a jungler, right? Like she used to always be a top laner, right? So like playing her jungler feels kind of like wrong maybe for, for a lot of players. So it just takes one guy to like show how it's done and the rest of the world will follow. And I think Peanut was that guy. And uh, yeah, now people just realize this champion is completely broken. And yeah, I think I, I, I think why it took a while too is because the professional rune set and itemization is very different than the solo queue rune set and itemization because you you can play phase rush and chem tank at a professional level but if you tried to do that shit in solo queue you would be terrible because you don't have the coordination to take advantage of it and it really if you're not running like dark harvest sunderer you lose a lot of damage so she probably felt kind of useless in solo queue running that build but when your whole team is working together holy shit is it scary yeah, that's true. I mean, it's it's kind of the same deal with like champions like 
like all tank junglers kind of right like Siani, I know Woolly Bear, they all feel a bit worse in if you can't build them carry in, in solo queue, right? And yeah. then you just like think champ tank, uh, it's boring, right? You might as well not play it, and then you just dismiss it, right? But I think uh, like yeah, I think it's just really really strong. Cool. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show, Kaiser. It's been Thank really awesome me. talking to you as usual. Uh, good luck to you and the rest of the split with Mad Lions. Glad things seem to be going. You guys are on the right page with the meta. And uh, we'll look forward to your games this next week. Uh, Thorne and I will be back after a quick break to take viewer questions. Right, we're going to be back now with viewer questions, which of course is activated by holding 25 of the Grog coin. If you go to our Discord server, the Insight and Esports Discord, and you go to the Grog coin channel, there will be a pinned tweet which tells you basically how to buy the coin, etc. In theory, it's on discount in the sense that crypto is obviously worth less at the moment anyway. <laughs> and secondly, another detail in case people don't know, when we first began the Grog stuff, because initially it was just some of the Insight and then Four Horsemen, etc., we used to just have one channel with all the questions in. So essentially, it was sort of like you just lock like you either could get richard lewis answering it or maybe it'd only be me and monty and sometimes we've had the guests on this show whereas now we've actually made separate channels so for some money insight there's a channel to put your questions there for horsemen there's different ones and there's even one now for uh, by the numbers which i do in csgo which obviously do a different host as well so that's the channel where we're going to be taking these questions from and usually i would say submit them you can submit them during the short thing but just submit them before this section like we're not going to be live checking it as much now so it's mainly whatever's in that like sort of stock right and we'll do our best to get through them guys uh there are a lot of them now so we'll we'll do our best uh, we may not get to all of them every week um well, oh, maybe we'll do something like I'll try and think of an angle. Like, like maybe, maybe if there's too many, we'll feed like one or two at the end of a competitive edge or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll find a way to fit. Yeah, them in. we'll we'll try and get them in for you guys. Yeah. Uh, what collection of esports people in a panel of experts would be the worst without a moderator? Ooh, because here's the funny thing about that. The actual last part is the part that makes it interesting because the key thing is there are lots of people, I've had this happen many times, mate, where it's all about the, as you say, is there the balance of people that make it great. Like there's some people, for example, essentially I'll give you a quick sidebar. So do you know that principle, Monty, where basically humans to some degree socially are sort of like self-organizing. So basically what they found was if you do like a prisoner's island scenario, Monty, you get a load of criminals and you chuck them all into one place. Even if one guy back home was the lead criminal of the gang, if all the leaders of the gangs get thrown in together, eventually one becomes the runt slash the bitch and he doesn't lead at all. And one's the ultimate leader and he's a king leader. Similarly, though. <laughs> If you take all the runts and you throw them on an island, one will become naturally the leader and will dominate the others and will be the one who is in charge. So basically, if you understand that principle, fuck, where was I going with this point? What was uh, the, the moderator? Part? The moderator. There you go. Yeah. The, the, pro the problem you have essentially is people who on their own, for example, might usually lead the discussion or be amazing at talking. If you put some of them together, sometimes one of them, when they're not the dominant person, some of them just quiet up and they never fucking say anything or vice versa. Sometimes a way you can bring out a quiet person is you put the right model. So the interesting thing is he probably thinks, because he says the worst one, that we're just going to pick people we think are shit and flame them. But there's actually people I might pick for this list that are really good. Like I'll give you an example. LS would be terrible yep. on this. Yes. He, by the way, 
he would be on my fucking starting roster if like I'm the horse. But if it's just there's more horse at all, he would be terrible. Like he would he like he actually would ruin the show. If you don't know, by the way, when you do desks, for example, or panel discussions, normally you don't always have like unlimited time. So there's already yeah. a problem. <laughs> Tangents. Like, again, people don't realise like how different the mediums are. Like, for example, if if people only watch League of Legends and you've never seen me in CSGO, you don't understand in CSGO, I am incredibly concise. I know I have 25 seconds to make my point on this show i have unlimited time so it's sidebar into sidebar in the sidebar into that like what was i saying about 10 minutes ago and then that's how you know if i've got a good host they can remember the problem is if people actually listen to everything i say like i don't know i was following you down a rabbit hole where were we for 10 minutes ago i need like, to the rewind so who, who else would you suggest like ellis is a pretty obvious one i think that's yeah, a pretty ellis good one. definitely an obvious who one you, who are you thinking loco doco probably That'd be pretty good. <laughs> like he needs he needs a lot of structure and to be made fun of because that's that's how you get good content out of him. It's like look, his, look his the leader. He's yeah. a reaction guy, right? Uh, so yeah, you need you need the problem he has made is if he's the leader insert all the jokes about fucking breaking point etc he just isn't he doesn't have the leader personality basically whereas if he's sort of like a member of the group he could be brilliant like i always to me loco is always the guy where like in our gang he's like the fucking little basically you all know the joke in our gang he's like the little brother that like fucking monty's mom was like take him along with you and he's like, i've gone out with all the guys like just take your brother with you and we're like all right little fucking rat but that's the thing here's the thing you have to understand about loco and this is a key principle to understand i can flame him because he's my little brother but you can't flame him because he's my little brother if you understand that principle then you understand how local local works because i've always told people by the way as weird as it might seem to people the reason why me and local have always had a totally like a good relationship where we know exactly where we're coming from is because the irony is because he's korean obviously he does that thing where like every male friendship is based on like you're the older brother or the younger brother well, what he doesn't know is that's almost what i do anyway with my friends anyway i have a small circle of friends and i treat them super i'm super loyal to them so that's actually we're just like the older brother younger brother dynamic aren't we so yeah that's another word on loco i'm trying to think who else said i mean an obvious one just listen this is what we're not going to be on this so if we think already in the panel we're making i'm just going to go immediately and chuck a little bit of frost scoring into there that's going to be some confetti i'm sprinkling all over this motherfucker that's some that's some spangly stardust right there this already is an amazing panel, but I tell you what, the structure is going to be a fucking nightmare. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, lift maybe, maybe chuck double lift in there as well. <laughs> oh, double lift for sure. Like he's, I mean, you see that when he hosts a podcast. What I can't happens. believe people are into that, mate. I know it's wild, isn't it? Because that's what people don't get. This is what you fans don't get. I consume a lot of esports content, but when I watch that, I'm always like. This would be great if I had a host. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is terrible without a host, though. It's just people going like, yeah, shit, man. You remember that team? Not really, but yeah, I guess. Like, also, just the, the factual inaccuracies that happen oh, because no one all. cares to actually be like... By the way, you can imagine how much that show triggers the fuck out. I mean, every year is wrong. Every teammate is wrong. Dude, half the shit there. They'll even do stuff like tell a story, but by getting the details chronologically wrong, wreck on their own life. Like, I've had stories where they're like, and then the next event, we did actually fail because we, the practice wasn't that good. And you go, lucky, like, that event was before that, though. And I they're mean, like, oh, okay. And they the, just retcon the whole memories the, and everything. The, the story <laughs> about Seraph is actually wild that he told on that show because what Isn't actually it? happened was that we had, we were doing trials for top laners and we had uh, Dexter, who was in Europe, who was practicing with Odo Omne Odo at Omne, the time. Yeah. Um, and we had basically Seraph was, you know, the, the idea that I said he was fluent in English is patently wrong because 
what I was doing was he was coming over, Seraph was coming to my house and he was playing solo queue and I was talking to him in English at the time and we were streaming it and recording it on secret streams for the players to watch. So everybody could hear his level of English, which was, I was getting him to a state where it was passable in game, but it's not like he was fluent. And here's the thing. Afro was also in the US. He was dueling with people in North America. So basically, we had people on three different continents trialing these top laners, and we were recording all of this and reviewing it. And all of the players had the opportunity in order to have their voices heard on who they wanted the top laner to be. And Odo Amne was still very early in his career. We wanted Zoro Zero, actually, but we couldn't. He, he basically had just retired from League and wasn't coming back. He was our first choice. And so all the players got together and had and had the opportunity to figure out who they wanted as a top laner. Here's the truth. Doublelift didn't watch any of the videos and he didn't have any say in it because he didn't know shit because he wasn't paying attention. And then he was like, oh, I guess Seraph's just here now. It's like, no, we had every opportunity for him to get involved in that situation. He chose not to. So it was a decision that was mostly made by like Link and and Dexter and Aphromill and me. I'll give you a thought exercise if you're a fan because this might ruin Doublelift's anecdotes for you. You know that story, right, that goes like this. If you go to a poker table, Monty, and you sit down and start playing, and you can't figure out who the fish is, the bad player who's losing, you're the fish. That's, yeah, yeah. The, that's the premise, right? Here's the, here's the food for thought I want you to all have next time Doublelift tells you a brilliant anecdote. Have you ever noticed how in Doublelift anecdotes, he's like a fucking anime like protagonist. Like He's always super smart, knows exactly what he's doing, reads everyone's minds, and he always is right. And even worse, they're always silly and stupid. All the other people in the story are silly and stupid. Meanwhile, in real life, Doublelift's that guy. So I always wonder, <laughs> mate, your stories are fraudulent as fuck, mate, because you're never the moron in them. Well, What's that it, all about? Like, How did that work, Doublelift? He, had, on, he had a voice in this situation and signed off on Seraph. So it, he always pretends like he's this passive person who never had any control. Of course we checked in with him on the roster. Of course we fed him tape that he could have reviewed in order to see this player's level of English fluency. He wasn't a bystander in, he had a voice in this conversation and approved it. So very weird that he would come up with these narratives right now because that's definitively not how it fucking happened at the time. And most of the time when Double is like, oh, this thing just happened, it's because he himself didn't care enough to get involved in it or to have his say. Obviously, we cared about what Doublelift thought about his potential teammates. It's ridiculous to imply otherwise. Uh, anyway... Let's enter the opposite world. What is the best thing the LCS broadcast has done and the worst thing the LEC broadcast has done? So for me, um, I always loved the features team at the LCS. The people who did like the, the drive, drive stuff, series. Guessing, right? yeah, 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 yeah. So the producer, Zach Winham, is a friend of mine and I thought he's always been extremely, extremely good. He actually did stuff for us on Flashpoint. Yeah, yeah. Um, did yep. some really good documentary features uh, with... Uh, with some like legacy players from the the NIP Magic days, like fifteen minute documentaries. If you guys saw those, did uh, documentaries for us for Pop Flash on some Valorant players as well. He's fucking great. Um, so the player feature part was honestly one of the best parts of LCS and always has been. Uh, he's he's a freelancer now. He's no longer with Riot. As for LEC, what's the worst? <laughs> what's the worst thing they have done? Interesting. I think generally they're quite strong. So. Honestly, it's hard to pick for LEC because I feel like a lot of the things that haven't worked were experiments that ended up turning into something good that if they hadn't taken that risk, like you're not going to say that every single monologue they've ever done has been good, but they've refined it over time to being really good. 
Um, There's a few ways we can go on this. I can give you some suggestions. So like for <laughs> LEC, I'll start with that one because that's the harder one in thieves. I'm trying to fit bad angles, right? I'll tell you one right off the bat. Even though I understand why they did it and why actually they don't really have a choice on the LEC level, I think it's almost an undeniable statement to say that LEC is very silly for refusing to let veteran in any way be a part of their broadcast. This is someone where if you don't know, you know how now everyone, every coach suddenly watches the RLs and know who the players are and then knows who those players are in solo queue and then asks people that he was doing that shit like four years ago he was the original guy who actually had the vision for that in fact if people don't even know the reason why it's even more egregious he came up with the term euphoria they just stole that from his twitter and made a fucking <laughs> podcast called that and so if you're gonna have this whole thing his whole career in life has been about europe right and he was totally correct about all these vistas of rookies and people in the rls who could do stuff and junglers that you could look at the pathing of and know they could maybe work in lec oh, and he was also against imports so there's so many areas he was right on and he essentially was like a super fan of eu so in my opinion if you don't know why by the way the reason he can never be on the broadcast is because he did a bunch of tweets where he said free hong kong and stuff that was essentially would be considered i wouldn't consider it anti-china sentiment but i would just say chinese people would right that's the issue and obviously tencent owns riot and at the end of the day riot is like lebron james they just fucking they come running anytime their chinese master calls so the problem is i understand politically why they won't let him on the broadcast but like i say to me look as i said with that earlier answer you definitely Definitely need to control him. You've got to have the right horse. You've got to get his buy-in. It certainly can't just be anyone. But it, he was just, to me, like a mega underutilized resource. He could have been really good for that broadcast, mate. Here's a little nugget for you guys. Riot was so paranoid about the Hong Kong stuff that when China was being run in Worlds, uh, not last year, but the previous two years. 2020, yeah. Yeah, they were putting player interviews on a multi-minute broadcast delay in case anybody said free Hong Kong so they could yeah. cut the broadcast yeah. immediately so you guys wouldn't see it. Uh, yep. They were taking really big steps to make sure that didn't. And by the way, that all, obviously all of that is to say, I still think he's a wanker, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't have a job <laughs> if he's fucking good at something. So there's one thing I think was silly because the problem I have basically there, Monty, is I don't ever want to see it that you're doing LEC and all the casters are like, I've heard this guy's in like an ARL team. Like, we've got people who know that shit, mate. Just bring those on the fucking broadcast, you idiots. You don't have to have three people speculate on what he might do from looking at the gamepedia of like, oh, I played four games of fucking Aphelios. Uh, like, how about just bring me someone who watches the guy? Have an expert come. So there's one. The other one, maybe I would pick would just be like, this is tenuous because at this point it's not really LEC, but I will say two things that were LEC related is one, technically LEC in some way is responsible for why that fucking Dracos Froscorian semi-finals cast happened because I guess they were like the main cast. That was a fucking atrocity. The other one is, I would just say, this is tangential, but I do care about it. This is my number one thing LEC didn't do. Ever address Froscorin, one of the most tenured casters ever to work on their broadcast, openly calling them literally racist and saying they have a discriminatory work environment. I think to not address that in light of the women's scandal years earlier and the, all the flexing about pride shit is fucking mental. Because what it tells me in action is this. You say you care about people 
women, gays, they're all people, but you get the premise, I'm doing the categories, but you actually in action don't care about any of them, or it was all a lie, and if it was all a lie, then you also should expose that, you don't just leave that out there in the fucking community, you don't want people to think you're racist, do you, what the fuck is that, like I, I do think just from my angle of the industry, I think that's important, you can't just never address that, that's wild. I mean, I think it's wild that I can be blacklisted forever for criticizing Riot about caster raids, and Froskurin can call them actual, basically implied that they're actually racist in terms of their caster hiring practices, and then just get rehired to do content for them on their official channels, which is what she's doing right now. That's wacky to me. I don't understand how Riot can justify that in any capacity. Very weird. Which I think, what about good LCS? I'll think of one good LCS thing. Let me think. I agree with you, by the way. I always thought the documentary stuff was pretty good. That was pretty good. I, I actually, you know, another thing I liked about LCS was I liked their, some of their show match content was pretty entertaining. Like the Canada versus America stuff that they did, like incorporating a lot of those like memes for the league, like the pigeon and everything like that. That was pretty entertaining. And nothing to I mean, do with the, the actual thing, competition. In my opinion, the best thing LCS has done is the actual stages when they have like when they try to go all out for an LCS files like the Madison Square Gardens one they that can be really good like in yep. my opinion the LEC ones when they do the roadshow thing it never quite hit the same way for That's me true. I know now obviously people say so because of the fans or whatever but I always thought LCS did a pretty when they were, whenever it was the split where they were going hard and they would get the big venue they they were they did a pretty good job with those I thought yeah I agree the stadium events are generally better uh, the atmosphere was always even legit. still they got a lot of fans yeah even still like I think the stadium events are better in yeah LCS. yeah. I agree. Uh, many players can be identified as being a mechanical player or a great thinker. Can you think of any of the great players in history of any esports who stood out upon their peers? Well, Faker, obviously. Uh, is Wait a minute, is this separate to this? No, like, who, who's both a great mechanical player and a great thinker at the same time? Right, they have to be both, right? So it's a rare example of both, basically, right? That's what, I mean, that's, it's always going to be top players who are going to be this thing for the most part. It's rare to have somebody... You know, like high would be the thinker versus very kind of questionable mechanical player. And then probably you look at some ADCs probably as like high mechanical players, but maybe not contributing the most to macro. I mean, if we're going from the West, I think the obvious one's perks. Yeah, uh, at his peak. Yeah, sure. Seems yep. like the obvious one to me. You know, yeah, I you think could actually carry a game and shock all it. Right. I think that's the it's almost always just going to be the very best players are both things. Right. So I'm not sure that. I, I'm not a huge fan of that question. Here's the thing. It works better, at least in team games. Like, for example, in like StarCraft or something, well, you can't really just be one, can you? You're not going to be the best. Like, it doesn't matter how good your mechanics are, but you've got to have both. So I, I would say, uh, did he say an eSports or was it just, CS, oh, just League of Legends? Any eSports. Because I'll give you a couple from like CSGO if you want. Because I actually think in CSGO, the divide is way bigger. Because typically, you do every team has an IGL and they tend to be the low fragging big brain. And every team usually has a star who has the least amount of like raw shot calling aspects. So I would say, for example, I think the best example ever, because he's transcendent to CSGO, is simple. If people don't know, one of the reasons, by the way, is a little aside, if you want some juice here, fans, even if you're not from CSGO. So you might know simple tried to publicly act like I'm nobody and even called me a kid, told me to get a job. By the way, I'm a 20 one year professional in this in this fucking industry <laughs> and then implied that he would reveal that I'm a piece of shit when he retires implying by the way he has like dirt on me or some sort of thing it's all a bluff by the way it's complete nonsense he has nothing on me whatsoever and in real life he's the one asking me like could you come and talk for three hours with me and Blade about CS after events like he's the fucking nerd fanboy you morons not the other way around to me he is just a Ukrainian kid when he's in the server though he's brilliant so the key detail people might not know about simple is it's obvious when you watch him play he has like the highest level of 
mechanics you could ever have. He's absurdly skilled at the game. But they wouldn't realise, like, he was also years and years ago. Now he is also incredibly smart about the game. Like, I think most players would say he might actually have the best game sense in the game. He has an amazing sort of, like, no feel for where to go and what to do and where the next kill comes from. And from these conversations, which he pretends have not happened, I can tell you he has a near in-game leader level understanding of the macro of the map and what's going on and how the utility's being used because he's just put in a billion hours studying the game so I think Simple's a great example because people would pr usually think he's just going to be scaling it like no he's actually a very very complete player in my opinion uh, <laughs> well, this will be an interesting one favorite and least favorite US president from of course Xi Jinping the leader of China uh, who, <laughs> the guy who this has, is just all of history so all, all of 200 history, years so technically there's been 46 of them so <laughs> Jesus uh, the real problem with this is it's a joke question so yeah. obviously we don't even know like the first 40 or something like you know let's, what I mean like let's be let's be real like Probably the worst U.S. presidents are like the most boring ones that you never even think about or uh, anymore. Right. Um, you know, from like the, the early to mid 1800s uh, or like late 1800s, probably at post post Civil War. I mean, worst Andrew Jackson's probably probably up there in many ways. Uh, yeah, I would say, listen, mate, without Andrew Jackson, you wouldn't even be fucking living where you are right now. That's that's that might be true. Um I don't I'm know. Who's, who's, America who's, could be a pretty small country without Andrew Jackson, man. Yeah. Pretty small country. Just you know, he, he definitely did did advantage you know. some people. Let's put it that way. Well, just, <laughs> if you were sitting living where you were now, you would be addressing me in Spanish. So it would be, be one or the other, you know, I'm just saying. Um, I mean, there, there are a bunch of presidents that did like nothing, too. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, from a personality perspective, I think Teddy Roosevelt is extremely interesting. Uh not only for what he did for the presidency, but for his life in general is pretty fantastic. Like, I I don't agree with everything he did in his presidency, but I do admire him as a person uh, quite a bit, okay. uh, especially like his like Amazon trips, like his expeditions to the Amazon after his presidency was over. Certainly, arguably fought some unnecessary wars, but I really like Roosevelt for establishing the national park system and being very conscientious about preserving pieces of America for the public good for the future. So I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Teddy Roosevelt fan, I'd say. I, I'll just say this disclaimer at the beginning. First of all, I don't personally even think presidents do anything. I think they are just That's figureheads that are intentionally there to take flack. I think that's literally the point. And I could go further on that, but you get the premise. I think most people are on the surface level. Yeah, they don't have legislative powers, guys. Yeah. So it's like... You know, I mean, for a start off, a lot of people don't know this. Technically, the president, in theory, as far as I know in America, is supposed to sort of deal with, like, foreign affairs. He, like, obviously, the Congress and stuff decides all the internal shit, but everyone acts as though he's just a dictator who decides everything, and it all comes from his brain. Like, whatever he wants just happens. So if we take that out of the equation, that I don't actually know what any of these people really did or didn't do. I imagine it was sort of like the deep state and other elements behind them who decided these things, and they were just a figurehead. But with that said, obviously, I can only go off either narratives from a long time ago or the people who were in my lifetime. So I'll give you... What I think is probably the 
the best one, just off the narratives, has got to be Thomas Jefferson, right? He's got all the sure. shit you can still read now. He's got a lot of very interesting sort of like takes on things. Seemed like a great philosopher to, for a politician, etc. Yeah, basically, it doesn't really seem like he's cut from the cloth of like usual president type people. What I like about him is I had the vibe with him that was more like what I prefer, the idea of politics, which is the Greek approach, which is the guy who should be the leader is the one who doesn't want to lead because that way he won't abuse the power. He'll just do it, do a good job and go, right, I'm just going fucking do a good job while I'm doing it. And then I'm out and I'm, I don't have any reasons. So to me, he was more in that vein. And then even though obviously this will be like, oh my God, I'm going to say it in a very careful way. I actually think if you look solely at the actions of the presidency, I actually think Donald Trump was a very good president, mate. For me, he was one of the only, like, but basically, like, centrist presidents. Like, despite everyone billing it, like, he's just evil right-wing Republican. What are you talking about? He did loads of shit for, like, gays and stuff like that, and, and Mexicans and black people. He did loads of things for those communities. That's what I said to me. He was actually, if you look at his actions, a centrist president. He did things for all people. Because, spoiler, if you know his history, he used to be a Democrat donator. He obviously clearly is not a Republican, and the Republican because fucking hated him the whole time. He actually was on some weird hot seat in that scenario. And then finally, I'll just throw this in there. No wars, barely any terrorist shit going on. Like, that's a pretty good fucking side for the last 20 years. So even though that's purely like an angle, I'm not doing anything about his personality there, you'll notice. I think that's an interesting take that people don't have. A lot of the shit during the Trump period was just stupid furore in the media, wasn't it? It was just raging back and forwards over statements and unprecedented. And by the way, how badly is that aged now? I just want a president that's presidential. Fuck you. Fuck you, pal. No one wants that. You all voted for the other guy. He's the least presidential guy of all time. I mean, in terms of <laughs> policy, not much even happened during the like, actual much, policy. Wasn't... Nothing really even happened. No. Uh, so no, I, no. I, I think it was kind of a lame duck, personally. The way, that's why he's number one, dude, because all the other ones just start wars and kill people and fuck everything <laughs> up and give all the... So if you're telling me he did almost nothing... <laughs> top marks top marks fuck off that believers of power no, no, not, not a war criminal <laughs> whereas I would say unironically I can only go off my lifetime. I think Obama's the worst president ever, mate. If you actually look again, take away the flowery words, look at the actions, increased war presence, loads of terrorist shit, helps to fund rebels and terrorists and people like that for other countries and regimes. Like, I think he was a terrible fucking president, mate. As far as I can tell, people are just too woke and they're like, oh, I must say he's good because he was black. Like, that's bigotry of low expectations. You judge people on what they do, not the fucking race, you idiot. I mean, I think I, I think Obama has some really noble principles, but I think he didn't know how to get things done legislatively with Congress, which really hampered him. I think he he was a bad negotiator domestically. So I enjoy I, I certainly like some of Obama's high minded ideals. But again, I don't think that a lot happened legislatively outside of the um, Obamacare package during his administration. Um, uh asking a question about who's your flesh and blood main blitz or classic uh, oh uh so people are asking about this card game that i play with doa and um with doa and uber uh the overwatch caster okay. and so i play lexi and i play classic constructed although i'm still a noob guys so uh give me more time to get into the game doa and uber a lot more into the game than than i am uh doa likes the ninjas because you're asking who the playgroup mains and uber likes the warriors uh, head coach, Yamato Cannon, analyst slash draft, LS and Dylan Falco, top wonder, jungle Yankos, mid caps, bot Hillisang and upset. Could this setup win worlds or would it be too many egos in the proverbial kitchen? So coaching staff of Yamato, LS and Dylan Falco, team consisting of wonder, Yankos, caps, Hillisang and upset. I assume in this theoretical universe will take top form of all of these players. I think it's 
possible. I don't think it's likely. I think like, it's I like possible. The and stuff and, yeah. I mean, I a good. lot of these players reached world finals as it was, right? Not upset, but the other players. Um, and so if they're capable of reaching the world finals, if they all peaked at the same time, I think it's, it's possible that that happens. And they're all contenders for best of their role, no matter what people will say about upset. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty good lineup. Pretty good team. Uh, have you guys followed slash played table tennis? No. Thorin has talked about tennis. Yeah, I've seen you talk about tennis, and I think it's also a really technical sport. Most of the early plays after the serve have a correct response, so it's a lot about execution. But after a while, it's similar to speed chess, since you don't have that much time to think about the second and third steps in that line of play. I, I know nothing about this, but it sounds interesting. Do you know anything about table tennis? I mean, I like to play the game table tennis. I don't know about the sport, which I assume he's talking about. Like, <laughs> yeah. if people don't know, though, it's, it's one of those weird spots. It's a bit like League of Legends, where, like, Koreans and Chinese are the best or something, aren't they? Something weird like that. So I know fuck all about that sport, I'm afraid. It's fun to play, though. Uh, last week, I asked for your top three favorite cuisines and must-have dishes. Now this week, I ask you what are your must-not-have dishes from each of those cuisines. Oh, my God. So I picked Thai, Mexican, and Korean. Thorne picked Thai, Korean, and British. Okay, so Thai food. I don't know. I like most Thai food. I'm not sure what a must-not from Thai cuisine is. I guess I'm not a super big fan of some of the, the Thai, like, papaya salads and larb and stuff like that. Well, it'd mainly be vegetable stuff. Like, for example, like, I'm just not a big vegetable fan. So if anything's like zucchini and stuff like that, I'm out. Pass, pass. So I, <laughs> I, I must have loads of vegetables because it's like Asian food in it. Um, Mexican food? I mean, my, my, my answers for Mexican and, and Korean are going to be bug related <laughs> so i will say i like roasted crickets in mexican food which are typically eaten with mezcal the 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 liquor if they are roasted and served with mezcal i think they're a nice accompaniment to mezcal i think a lot of i'm not a huge fan of the ant larva i've had that in in mexico in traditional mexican cooking and some of the other like cricket dishes are not I'm not a big fan of those in I'm not inherently biased against eating insects, but in Korean, they serve silkworm pupae as a snack. And those are just rancid. They taste rancid and like gritty and they're just really nasty. Uh, so I would go with those. <laughs> like the thing is, as I said, for Thai food, basically anything too vegetable for Korean I'm actually, I've always said this. I always say Korean barbecue is the best food. I don't say Korean food because I'm not, I never claim to have gone to Korea and have eaten loads of those foods. I don't. Like, for example, I can't, I can't even stomach looking, Monty, at that shit where it's made out of like the, you know, the stuff that they cook on the on the street as street food, where it looks like almost like tomato pasta, but it's, isn't it made out of like potato or something? You know oh. what I mean? Um, you're talking about dokboki, like the the rice really cakes and the sweet yeah, yeah. and the spicy I, I sauce. I think that's disgusting. I like that's it. disgusting. Man. It's I not my favorite. Shit. It's okay. Not a fan. Another thing about Korean food as well is, you know, like the exact type of spicy flavor they love to put on their wings, Monty. That exact Korean style of what their yeah, version yeah. of spicy is. That's a lot of the spice in their food, and I just don't like that spice for some reason. Like, oh, really? There's something. Uh, like, it's, it's not like a, gochujang. It's good. It's, it's weird to me. I'm not a big fan. Well, of Gochugaro is the the flakes. Um, and then let me think what would the worst British food be though what would I even pick for that I mean I would just go with something like essentially like I've, I've got a topic list anything with blood in you can just fucking miss me like I'll oh, take I the love, fucking blood sausage off I the English love breakfast. black pudding blood I love meat. black pudding I love black pudding and I love uh, I love uh, sundae which is Korean blood sausages 
I really like it. <laughs> never in a million years. <laughs> never eat in a million years, man. Uh, this guy says, a bilingual Korean-American who consumes tons of analytical content in either language, um, some of which are you guys, Dom, Rich, Jack, Cloud Templar, Bitdoll. I'd like to do some translation work for League of Legends. Where do you recommend I do to get started? I see lots of possibilities anywhere from adding subtitles to YouTube videos or live streams, translating analysis for pro teams, doing on-site interviews. Honestly, one thing that would be interesting to me is to take like one match and like a, a very interesting game and then consolidate all of the analysts' opinions around that game and be like, so Cloud Templar said this thing and, you know, Chronicler and Wolf said this thing and Kadrol was co-streaming and he said this thing. I would love to see what the consensus was on like how a team won or what the best plays were. That would be fascinating to me. I would watch that. Or like if they differed in their opinions about why a team won or a team's strength or anything. I think there's lots of cool stuff you could do with that. you have anything? What was the question again? Uh, he's bilingual and he wants to do some translation Oh, it was how work. he could get going as a child. Yeah. Look, it's the same as everything. Here's the problem, right? The joke is the fact that you're asking is not a great sign because I think you think we're going to tell you what to do. You're just going to do what we say and that's going to make you in. No, that's not the way That's not the way opportunity works. Here's how opportunity works. One, you start work today, getting your skills up to level. So presumably you've done that. You maintain your skills because you never know when the opportunity is coming. And then you look and you scour for every opportunity. So for example, if you ever get an email for a team org to email them and say, do you need any translators? If you do any little, if anyone ever asks for small bits of work, like a pro player just needs something or a small journalist, do it as a resume builder. Put it on your resume. I worked with Ashley Kang. I worked with this person here. I did a Travis Gafford interview, whatever it might be. By the way, there's even an angle. Go to someone like Travis and say, do you want to do an interview with one of the Korean players that doesn't speak English? I could translate it for you. You know what I mean? Like, you Put yourself out there. And then secondly, if you see any openings, someone does a tweet and you translate, just contact them and when you contact them I'm going to give you one piece of advice that I'm only going to give you because you're applying to other people if you're applying to me I wouldn't tell you this because this is how I filter out people when you apply to them don't send them a message hey how are you doing I'd like to work for it. Don't do that. You send them a formal email. You send them a message like, hello, I am this person. I'm a translator with this experience. You send them a little resume. Here are the things I've done. I would like to translate. Don't put any shit in there, but like I'm an amateur or I'm just starting or like I might, I'd even do it for free or or just leave it like, do you need a translator? Like they're not going to contact you and convince you to come join them. You have to convince them, but in a way where it just looks pro. And if it looks good, by the way, and they need someone, they're going to contact you back, mate. If it look, the better it looks, I can tell you that you're more likely to get a reply. Yeah, we might do some stuff on this channel too that might eventually yes. need that. So we might also be. Yeah, I do the odd Korean interview every yep. now and then, so it's not impossible we need them. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Monty talked about L5R, which is Legend of the Five Rings, which is also a favorite of mine. What other favorite card games do you like? I had not played a card game before L5R since I played Magic in like middle school. So I'm not the person to ask about this. I do really fucking love L5R and I'm super sad that it got canceled, basically got shut down. Um, so that's why I'm playing Flesh and Blood now. Uh, Monty, I know you've told the story of your psychedelic retreat in Mexico with a shaman. Whoa, that's very off. Uh, there was no psychedelics involved, and I did a Guatemalan uh, coming of age, but somewhat close. <laughs> can you guys speak on the value of psychedelic experiences? Okay, I can, but it, that was independent. So to be clear, the year-long initiation I did had nothing to do with psychedelic substances. That experience was created by, you know, 
a, you know, ceremonial states that would last like up to a week that I was involved in where I would not like eat for two or three days or sleep and then not drink water for 24 hours and do sweats. So I was out of my mind. Don't get me wrong. But it was not because I was on some psychoactive substance. It was because that mind state was being created through ritual and deprivation, okay, which is similar but harder to do. So my I do think psychedelic experiences can be very valuable, and especially there's more and more research coming out about how effective psilocybin can be at treating depression and PTSD and other psychological conditions. I do think that uh, these these experiences can be transformative, especially when supervised by people who um, know how to lead you through these processes. Having done both, my opinion is that if you have a chance to do what I did, which is very rare and difficult to find, it is more powerful to do it the way I did it than to do it with, it's kind of a shortcut is what I'm saying. Um, but it can still be very profound. It can still be very life-changing. I fully support the legalization of these psychedelics and, um, encourage people who do not have underlying conditions that can cause problems uh, to safely experiment with them responsibly in settings where you are supervised in case anything goes wrong. That is what I will say. The main issue with this topic for me is this. I'll start out by saying the, the problem is I can only speak for myself and my experiences. And even then, I can't even frame it like he's framed it in the question. Like, I can't say psychedelics as a, as a just a platform were beneficial to me. I can't even say they were totally beneficial. I can't say they were totally negative. It was all over the place. The, the potential types of experience and the impact. And also, it depends on what year it is. Maybe when I was having the experience, it was brilliant. Maybe afterwards, reflecting on it, it wasn't. Maybe a year later, I thought I saw something from it. Maybe two years later, I didn't. That's the problem. As you change and as life changes, your yep. perspective on these things even change. Like, for example, one thing I'll say is a lot of the experiences at the time were very powerful. Some of them I can't even remember. They've really just drifted like a memory, a dream. And just over the time, they've just been, it's like that photo in back to the future that is faded out just the characters faded out the thing and eventually i can't remember it so one thing i would say is this i would just say a i won't give you any like brilliant angle or something because i don't think anyone should proselytize for anything i don't think religion i think i think you should what you should do is you should find what you works for you embody it and if people ask you you tell them what you do that works for you and then it's up to them it's their responsibility what they do with their life and they should understand they're the one figuring out for them what they should do so what i would say is this i'm also not going to go into any like big experiences because i i personally also think i have a very different perspective to other people in the same way as you'll notice i don't put my personal life on Twitter and Instagram. I don't show you my family. I don't show you people who are in my life. I don't show you non-esports people I have because I personally think, just it's my take, it's like, first of all, what business of yours would that be? And then secondly, why would I put those people into the spotlight when they're living their own lives? So similarly, I personally think if you have like a very deep, like religious, romantic, philosophical, psychedelic experience, I think that has a value. And I think it sort of cheapens it if you just go around telling everyone like it was like you were telling some story about some slapper you fucked a week ago at the last call. Like that's kind of a bit gross to me, mate. Like why would you get to be a voyeur tourist into my spiritual adventure in my mind? No, that's fucked. It's not, we're not, you're not watching Into the Void right now, mate. I had that experience. You could, 
as Carl Jung said, beware unearned wisdom. You go and earn your own wisdom. You go and earn your own trips and figure it out for yourself. Yep. And lastly, and this is a key detail because this is the only piece of advice I can give you. I would just say this. The reason I would say tread carefully and figure out what you do and do not rush into things is because all I'll say is this. When I reflect on my own life, there were times in my life where I was super into psychedelics. And especially I thought at one point, Monty, I'll probably use this my whole life. Maybe I'll be like a super experienced guy, blah, blah, blah. All I'll say is this. When I reflect back on my life now, the times when I was the most almost impelled to want to do it was probably when I was the most lost and the worst periods of my life. And that was as I was grasping for something. And as a result, I wanted a really strong transformative experience. And some of them can be very negative, which by the way, can be transformative too. That's why you always have to be careful when you ask for change. As my boy Obama showed us earlier on. Question is, Padme meme, you mean good change, right? Right, Obama? Jesus. Right? So anyway, <laughs> all I'd say at the end is this. In light of what I just said there about being careful about what you do, all I'll say is this. My final verdict is this. I don't, I'm not against them as a principle, but I actually think, this is my current thought, I don't think I'll probably ever do any psychedelics again because I actually just feel too happy in my life and things are all super awesome and I feel super well balanced. So believe it or not, that's maybe a little sign for you. I don't want to fucking toss a little fucking smoke bomb in there that anything could happen. <laughs> I'd rather just keep, everything's fucking sweet right now. I'm going to keep the boat non-rocked. You're, you're, you're in the matrix. You're just, you're exactly. in the matrix forever now. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I've basically done my like chasing my white whale period. I'm just chilling now. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a good point. And there's a reason why I'm so cagey whenever I talk about my initiation experience and vague is because if I told you guys the particulars of it, it wouldn't have any meaning to you because you, the whole process is such a, it's such a complete lifestyle that I had to live for a year that describing any individual piece, it wouldn't have any kind of significance to anybody. And the whole total, the sum total of that experience falls apart. So that's why I, I will say this. If you're asking this question, you, you clearly are not very interested because frankly, it's not that fucking hard to figure out where to go for these things. Like there's tons of people who can help you with these processes out there. If you're interested in them, Go to other countries that, for example, Peru has a very large ayahuasca industry where you can go down there to a retreat and you can have these experiences with people who are very, very accustomed to leading um, to leading people in this way. So figure it out if you want to do it. That's fine. I don't think I don't think they should be illegal. Um, that's that's it. Um, so, uh, by the way, you, you're, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, opening yeah. something right now on the screen. No, no, no I just closed it. I closed it. It's fine. Oh, okay. There's not, nothing, nothing bad in there, but yeah, thank you. Just checking there wasn't any DMs. Yeah. Nope. No, that's fine. Um, let's see here. So I seem to have a Machiavellian side because I can't think badly of Light Yagami or hate him. I guess he's talking about Death Note. He appeals to me because of his goal and how he achieves them in a smart way. Uh, and he is the protagonist. I'm going to destroy this. I can't wait for this. Please convert me to L's side. Can L send oh, light to prison? No, no, no. Listen, now you fucked up completely. Now I know you're a pleb because you think it's a choice between the two. They're both ridiculous characters. What the fuck are you talking about? First of all, it's a shorting for fucking 12-year-old Japanese boys. Like, if that's your shit, you are incredibly immature as a human being. That's just a verdict statement. Don't give a fuck. Judgment, stamp, move on. No court of appeals. Secondly, the L character, I think, is utter shit in that show. Mate, that L character is the ultimate fucking Gary, whatever this is. You know what the, the male version of the Mary Sue? Gary something. I can't remember what it is. Gary Stew or something, right? This motherfucker. Spoilers. If you don't know Death Note, I'll tune out now for five minutes. 
Jones. In that show, right, everyone's like, oh, he's just a brilliant character. So genius and so well written. No, the character appears, Monty, and he just... Uh, spoilers, because I don't think Monty's seen it, but okay. Basically, okay. He ju he's just a character that just knows everything. And even when every fact and logical thing... Because he's... He, by the way, the character is literally being tricked by someone who has supernatural help from the spirit world. And yet, even if you trick him with everything that his eyes see, the evidence sees, you even change evidence, your people walk through walls and do things for you. At the end, he goes... Well, because I'm a badly written character, I just ignore all that and still think you're the killer. Tough shit, eh? So that's just garbage. Like, that character had to die at that point. There was nothing left with it to do. And then the light one, the reason why it's so whack that you actually implied he's, like, coherent within his principles. His premise, right, was to kill evil people like criminals to create a paradise world where he'd be a god. And what is he doing by the end? He just kills anyone who's in his way, whether they're police, they're an innocent person. He violates every one of his principles. If anything, it's a fucking story about how the hubris of, like, the grass for power creates the monster that you yep. thought you were going to overcome like to yep. me again if you if you super fucking identify with either character i'd watch out mate You're, you've got a fucking <laughs> long way to go in this world just a short just a cartoon mate i i well i also think the concept of death note was really good i enjoyed the first oh, 13 episodes premise, yeah, and yeah. then it just kind of went off the cliff it's yeah. like, a lot of anime has great premises and like a great start and then it gets stupid but it, it, that lasted a good 13 episodes before getting stupid um, if you could go back in type time and tell one player slash team this is the best it's going to be to get, so enjoy it. Which would it be? Uh, I have told players this literally. I told Cre I told Crepo, <laughs> I told Crepo like please please retire, and he's like one last ride. I'm gonna be the shot caller this time. I'm like man, can you just please be a caster now? You're so good at it. Like your streaming career's taken off. He's like one last ride straight into the dumpster. He did become a caster and he was good at it and he did well. Uh, up until he got wrecked by catfishing. Um, but uh, I, I have in the past told players to enjoy it uh, when, they've, when they've been on top and to tell them to retire too. I've told them very actively, please, please retire and like become a caster or a content creator. But what's a player Wait. that I didn't do that to? I don't know. As in, you should have, but you didn't yeah. on some instance. I don't get that part of the question. Yeah, like, yeah. This is one you wish you'd if you could, Yeah, somewhere. if you could go back in time right. and tell a player this is the best it's going to get, so enjoy it. See, the problem with that is, if you know my personality, if I'm friends with a player, I would never, ever be able to answer the second part of the question. Like, good thing about me, i said this to people many times, is the reason Kobe Bryant is my favourite basketball player ever is because when Kobe Bryant retired, he never had, it's like Peyton Manning, he never had to wonder, could I have done more? Could I have studied more? Could I have trained more? They just did. They, they could just accept their career. So similarly, I've taken every shot I need to. I've shot 30 game, shots a game. If I lose the game, I lose the game. I've got all my shots off. So I, will, I can only say the first part. People are told. So the two I'll pick, I'll take one talent and one player. The talent is D-Man, right? This is one where like, yeah. I'd, I mean, I didn't. I wasn't friends with him, so sadly I wasn't in a position where he'd do this. But if I could go back in time, I would just essentially explain to D-Man, understand, even if it doesn't work right now and it's going to be tricky, this is the zenith of your career. You are one of the biggest casters and one of the biggest games in the world, and it can only go downhill from here. Best case scenario, you maintain. Worst case scenario, other casters come along. The game evolves. Maybe you need to have more knowledge base. And if people don't know, he not only was thought it could be as big again, but he gambled into another game. And when he came in a CSGO, he misplayed his hand politically about as much as you can. Like, even though actually, if you don't know, CSGO is a very welcoming game, as people like Shocks have found out. 
because he came in like a bull in a china shop and acted like he was coming from the adults table and we were the kids table he absolutely fucked the whole thing and as a result people might know within about a year of leaving League of Legends he was essentially a nobody in esports he was just doing side games and white label so I think that's just a tragedy because this is someone who could be he could be casting right now if he wanted he could still be a, yep. a loved part of the LEC and then well, the one as a player oh go on then he was doing well in Overwatch for a while too but I, I think the issue was that he always valued and this is just a choice you make you some people value their personal relationships and where they live uh, more than they value their career and i've had to make some tough decisions that be you know due to that as well and like the only reason that my relationship worked out with my wife is that we had a conversation where basically i had to say like i'm going to prioritize my career so if we're going to be in this relationship i need you to prioritize me. And if I move, you just have to do that. You have to move with me. Like we're not going to have a choice necessarily about where we live. Um, and that, that understanding has worked out for us because we came in with that, but I'm just a person who prioritized my career. And in, uh, in esports, where you have to go where the job is basically, uh, if you want to be a caster at the very least, it can be hard. Uh, if you don't want to make that See, that's decision. one of the biggest problems people have, dude. Like, I won't name names, but I have people all the time, Monty, who are lower-level people, where, like, the joke is, I have to fit to their schedule. And some of them don't even have other gigs. Some of them are like, I just felt like doing something on that night. It's like, well, then you're never going to make it in this industry, mate. Like, I started taking my time off and having to, like, fucking 15 years into the game, you idiot. The reason why we make it to the top is, the point is, just like in business, if you go and you have a night in with your family, well, then I'm doing fucking reports that night, so I'm ahead of you. And then you go on another night, you do this well i finished up the project on that night you see how i'll be ahead of you in business so you have to ask yourself what you're doing so what i would say especially is especially when you're young in your career that's exactly the time you want to focus on that and get as far as you can and then the player people might know this story i've sort of alluded to it previously it's got to be forgiven obviously because I, I told people the moment I had to break with Forgiven, as in I couldn't just be his friend where it's like, I agree with you on all of this, or like, haha, yeah, it's hilarious that your teammates are shit. The problem is, right, here's the thing. If you think about his teams, like Copenhagen Wolves, mega flawed team. He's far away the best player. SK Gaming was like some good players, some not so good, or some older ones. When he had the H2K lineup, and he would try and tell me they're all shit or choking or letting him down. I was like, mate, aside from Ryu, and it's just because he doesn't speak English, these are going to be like potential Hall of Fame teammates you've got in here. Every player is good. you got fucking Odo Amni and Jankos for a start off. Like, what are you complaining about? So that was the moment when I was like, mate, if this isn't good enough for you, this peak H2K lineup, the one that made semis at Worlds, I was like, it's never going to get better for you. Like, I'd, I even told him, I'm pretty sure you could, you can never be in a top team because you actually are delusional about what you think they're like. Like, you you think in Fnatic, they never argue. You think in Fnatic, like they just, they just magically don't even come. They just all play the same way. It's equally democratic. No one flames anyone. They win the game. They win the league. I told him, if you were ever in these teams, bro, they're all fucking falling apart. They're all having arguments. They're all having bad weeks and people saying, I want more of this and some, you're not getting more. The joke is he just never got it. So to me, that's a fucking sad one because as you know, his career never went anywhere after that. That was the peak of his career. Next question. What do you do when you see a word at night you don't, there are, what do you see when you see a word you don't understand while reading it light at night? I've been reading a lot more before bed, but don't want to pull up my device to find the definition to get blasted with light. Well, I would just look it up on my phone. But here's like the nice thing about a Kindle is it's not exposing you to blue light and you can just click on the word and it will come up with the definition. So reading on Kindle is a way to get around with that. Also, dude, just buy a paperback dictionary and put it next to your bed. Uh, it's not that hard. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't understand this one. 
To me, the answer's easier than that. I would just forget that, keep reading, and or eventually my brain, my brain, by process of elimination, will learn from the context it is being used in what it probably means. That's how I do it. Yeah, or just write it down for the next day. I think there are several answers, but the Kindle will will literally look it up for you if you just like touch the word, um, and then otherwise, just get a paperback dictionary. It seems like you'll use it sometimes, or enough, if that's your solution, and you don't want to have bad light before bed. Um. What would be a fitting mascot for teams that currently don't have one? Uh, I think are there, you, is there other teams that don't have mascots. Like I think they all do in some sense, don't they? I guess. I mean, I guess with G two, it's like Roman like dressed up or Lothar dressed up with a samurai. Yeah, yeah with the samurai costume or Misfits has. I think they have like that bunny suit. Oh, I know one. An obvious one is let's make one for TSM. TSM doesn't have a mascot. <laughs> So who would it be? What would it, what would it be? What would it be? <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't know. I, I mean, think, let me think. You have to do something with the TSM initials, right? I think that, that would definitely that that would definitely be mandatory. I don't know though. The problem with TSM is their their branding and their logo is just so fucking bad that they have no visual identity whatsoever. It's just black and white with the world's worst logo. It does look I kind of like that a logo was really bad, yeah. It, it kind of does look like a toilet bowl though, so I guess they got that going for them. <laughs> or uh, you know, the circle of a trash can, right? I don't know. I think I think mascots are funny. I do like what uh, what Misfits and G two have done with them at like finals and stuff. That's always been that's always been. Uh, if you had one time ability to briefly understand all other languages for the purpose of reading, watching, listening to one thing in its original language, what would you choose? And that's actually fascinating. Honestly, I would probably. <sighs> Can I time travel as well? <laughs> I think that's that would be the question because I would if I could be there for like Jesus's Sermon on the Mount and understand it in its original language and see what that was actually like. That's such a world changing event that I would probably do that or, you know, go back to hear some of, you know, Buddha's original speeches like these big religious things would probably give you a lot of context. Like if you could go back in time and listen to Jesus talk in Aramaic, I think that would be pretty amazing because remember, all of the Gospels were written down like a hundred years after Jesus died. So who knows what he was actually saying? I would just give a boring answer, but I think it's a pretty good one. I would just read Dostoevsky in Russian. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, you could do that now if you learn Russian. <laughs> I was yeah, thinking about Russian. Though, so. No, his point is I can have ultimate accent. I can have perfect yeah. fluency, you know. So, yeah. The other obvious one, by the way, it's not really for me. I mean, you could have picked this maybe, is maybe you could read like Harakami or whatever in fucking Japanese. That's another one. Any Asian language is too hard to learn. You're never going to be fluent in it. So, it's not yeah. like worried about that. Maybe some Chinese poetry for me, too. I've always been very curious about that because such a core part of Chinese culture. But if you don't speak Chinese, it translates super weird. So, um, the funny thing is, Monty, I've always said, that's how I know that that language is so different. Because if you notice, if you ever translate a normal speech of someone saying something from Chinese, it always sounds like poetry. It's always like, you know, and when the four winds come in from the, the peach yeah, blossom, yeah. it's like, what the fuck is this? That like, already sounds poetic, doesn't it? So yeah. the, I'm I, I sure it's getting butchered. <laughs> yeah, I, in terms of contemporary stuff, being able to read uh, great Chinese poets in Chinese would be very interesting to me. 
Uh, as a hardcore league viewer and casual CS viewer over the past decade, the esports burnout has finally started to get to me. The two of you ever felt burnt out from esports? Of course, I have at least. Uh, if yes, what did you do to overcome it? Um, I mean, I'm not so much burnt out by the esports as I am all of the b bullshit that surrounds the esports and the companies that you have to deal with. Like the actual esports, I think, are still fun. It's just really annoying to have these companies try and thwart you at every possible opportunity and shit on you or try and take away your livelihood for stupid reasons. That's the exhausting part. That's the exhausting part. If you can just focus on the esports, it's not so bad. Um, but then again, I, I guess I feel less burnt out because I make money from it, I guess. Right. So I, I am rewarded for my efforts in many ways. Do you ever feel burnt out? <laughs> Wait there a second. I'm just trying to see if I could find this story. I couldn't find it by Google anyway. Basically, there was a story, right, where some like classic like rock star once. It was actually some famous person. I can't remember the name though. That's why I couldn't Google it. Sadly, there's some story where they claim that some like super duper rock star guy had one of those stories from like the 60s or 70s, Monty, where he accidentally, I think it was like in his pocket or something, it seeped into his through his clothes. He had one of those stories where he essentially got like you know, like a hundred tabs of LSD accidentally like absorbed into his fucking body instead of one, right? And so he, he famously said this line, which is an amazing line, also why you should be certainly cautious about how you approach psychedelic use. He said some line like this, Monty, like, well, I never needed to ever get high ever again after that because essentially he said getting high normally is like sunbathing, whereas I actually crawled through a desert for a thousand years with a sun of a million degrees. Like, that, when he said it like that, I was like, oh all right then, well, <laughs> That's a hell of an advert. So essentially, the reason I gave that analogy is this, because that vibe of what he just said there, I'm not burned out on esports. In fact, the reason I am esports is because I'm one of the only people I've ever met who has an unquenchable thirst for esports. Like, the reason why I love best of fives is if it's a great game, I don't ever want it to end. I would have best of 57 if you could humanly play that long. I'll never get bored of watching FaZe and Na'Vi play if the players are good. I can watch the same maps forever. That's why I don't have a problem with like matches that are stale so here's what i would say what i am incredibly burnt out with to the extent that i feel like i crawled through a desert for a million years with a million degrees and will never recover from is fucking esports fans and shithead esports orbiters in the gaming space particularly Che blue check marks those people have wasted so much of my <laughs> fucking energy effort thought emotion it's if i could go back i would take it all back and never listen to a single yeah, word the, they the, ever fan, said. the combo of the fans and like clout chasers on social media is the, worst, <laughs> the biggest downside for real for real yeah <laughs> they're like an ouroboros of shit <laughs> especially because the top thing is this it's just so unnecessary that's why it's shit as well like i can take anyone in esports by the way even the people i have beefs with if they're part of esports they can stay but like the random idiots who come in from the katakas the world isn't everyone in this game just a sexist why isn't gagori the mvp get those people the fuck out of my mind <laughs> i actually feel violated that they even exist in the same time as me <laughs> Uh, all right, we got to get no, wait, through. Monty, as a random sidebar, I'll quickly ask you this because I want to get your take on this. Do you know that that is a battle that was lost and will never be re re redeemed? It is literally the consensus take among all those Overwatch fans with all the fucking blue hair that Gigori was mistreated and she was one of the best players in the league. Yeah, it's nonsense. Yikes. 
If people don't know that the reason I had the most legit video ever about that topic is because privately I polled the whole spectrum of the industry. I went to top commentator, top analyst, oh, yeah. top coach, top player, top fucking supportive player, player in her role, and all I all I polled them on was this, Monty. How good is she in Overwatch, in the Overwatch League, in her team, and of all the players playing her role? And on all of them, they were like, at best, she's okay. She could maybe be in the yeah. league. She's at the bottom. And it was presented as, no, because she's a woman. It was all just sexism and like and they acted like she was one of the best off tanks get the fuck out of my because remember i made a famous tweet monty that everyone mocked including shithead slasher who should have known better if he had any eye test for esports where i famously said that there might be like 20 off tanks that are better than her because my logic this was in season two monty was dude you can just go to korea and china and find me mega talents that aren't in overwatch league that's not even a controversial statement that would be like saying an nlcs player there's a hundred players better well costa is going to korea solo queue you're gonna find 100 players so that like that by the way just shows why we can't be in overwatch if overwatch is a game where it's verboten to say that one of the like lesser pros isn't a mvp then i can't be in that game like well, that's just nothing to me the reverse side of that uh is also true where you know i i think one of the 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 biggest narrative fumbles was when uh vk lion won the hearthstone championship without losing a match and oh, yes. all of the headlines yes. were just like woman wins Hearthstone when it's like woman has unbelievably yeah, yeah. dominant championship run. So what what I was mad at was that they were taking away her glory, which in a card game to do what she did is almost unheard of. And they, they made it about her gender instead of her incredible accomplishment. So that was pretty fucking lame. Oh, and by the way, as too. an aside, it ties into that. One of the famous things Gagori said before she even played a game in Overwatch League is, essentially, please stop going on about me being just a woman. Please yep. judge me as a player because yep. she was a Korean. And she was like that, too, in real life, by the way. Like, yeah, of course. Yeah. She yeah. was a grinder, mate. She was actually legit. She had a yeah. good mindset, yeah. yeah she, was a, she was a pretty good player, but she wasn't the best off-tank in the league. Exactly. Yes. Um, the aliens are back again, but this time they've set their eyes on conquering esports content. You have to host one episode of an esports podcast that will serve as humanity's champion. You must pick one coach, one player, and one member of talent <laughs> on a podcast. Um, I guess I in League of Legends. Yeah, what I'm confused by is the way he's filled in the question is how do how does this episode save humanity though by being oh, really it just good? Has to be the, the best the best one, right, like the most entertaining. Okay. Uh, I definitely okay. pick you as the host because I think it, you would set up some really interesting conversations. One coach and one member of talent. Oh, coach member of talent. Was I do want to see you with double lift. I think that has to be it. That that would be incredibly entertaining to go back through his career because having you fight him on a lot of the details of his career or get into it. I mean, you just know so much about his career that it would be really, really funny to see you guys like to see also, you call him out. The thing that makes it so boring to me where the only interaction I have with Doublelift is him passive aggressively sort of subtweet talking about me on my on his stream is this Monty. He is such a ridiculously two-faced grandstander. It is hilarious. If he's watching right now, Doublelift, you can act on your stream now at the Big Man on Campus. Like, I'm a pleb journalist. Every time in real life, I fucking alpha you to a degree. It's fucking embarrassing, <laughs> mate. You literally, you're, you're the guy. Ah, oh, I guess that is right. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Great question. Oh, how do you think of that? Like, 
the, you can fucking you can trick them all you want on your stream, mate. We both know it is. So that's why, by, by the way, I agree with Monty. That would be an amazing episode. Because here's the thing. I'm the fucking ringleader, mate. I know how to whoosh, keep that lion in check. So I, I could tame you, homie. I could tame you. <laughs> the buff's a good one. He's, by the way, he's also just box off. He's always going to say something funny, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's, he'd have some good banter on that, too. And I think he, he, he generally would... I, I think he would have fun with that. It's like it wouldn't be yeah, yeah. it wouldn't be bad. No, no that's the other thing. One coach. We, yeah. Who are we going with here? I don't know. Well, the thing is we could cheat, couldn't we? Because technically Loco Doco was a coach. And if you could get <laughs> me to vote to Loco Doco, I can already promise you whatever amazing. we talk about, that's the most entertaining podcast ever. So I give yeah. you that. There's one. Other than that, let me think. Who else is actually good as a coach though? Because the problem is if we're talking about like entertainment, it can't just be like nerd stuff here. Let me think what would be a good angle. Who do I really like to talk to in general? I mean, it'd have to be contextual with you and I mean, Papa Smith. He's a pretty good shout. I mean, he's, he's not he's technically a coach, coach or whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah, to me, he's sort of within that, that wheelhouse, though. That's not a bad one. Uh, in retrospective, what changes Dota 2 had to be do to be more popular than LOL? I mean, they had to dumb down the game, right? And that was never. Yeah, clear. exactly. Yeah. That's right. actually, if people don't get it, that is the most obvious reason why Dota 2 will never be the number one esports game. It's just too complicated. Yeah. yeah, it's really hard. It's really I, I hard, mean, yeah. You have to give League of Legends credit, which is that they took the core of Dota and made it more mainstream, right? So uh, I, I don't think, it's fine to have Dota as, the, as like the more hardcore option, but it's never going to be more popular without dumbing it down, right? Obviously, listen, this advice wouldn't work now because too many years have gone. But if you go back in time, the obvious thing you could have done, which might have changed the history of Dota 2, is totally change your publishing strategy in South Korea. If you could have gotten South Korea to care about the game at all, spoiler, yep. if you're a Valorant fan, that's why actually DRX and the Valorant teams are actually going to be interesting. Because if you saw, Valorant's now like ninth on the fucking PC bang list. Like It's actually being played finally. Only like 5% of people. But you know, like <laughs> at least it's on the list. If people don't know, by the way, to this day, Dota isn't even on the top 10. It'll never be on the top 10 why would it be cs gold never will even feature on there so like if you could go back and actually do the publishing right because obviously in china they killed it they had billions of people playing china because it's free to play but whatever they did wrong in korea if you could change that because essentially every esport should want to have koreans obsessed with the game that should be like one of the first precursors if you can to make it as good a game as you can yeah i think it is it is definitely yeah, it's it's hard. I'm gonna look at the game tricks um, to to get it as a global esport without Koreans being involved. Uh, oh yeah, it's eighth right now. It's actually you know it started out at about one and a half percent in 2020. It's up to two and a half percent now. Still about half of what Overwatch is, but yeah. Uh, probably helps that their professional teams have been doing well, as you say. Uh, based on everything you two have seen and known about league and esports and the East's popularity in the game. When would you say is the death of League in the East as well? I think League can go on for a long I time in Korea and China. Yeah. Like, if you... Brood War went for 20 years in Korea and is still being played professionally there, Remember, not to the same degree of Brood popularity. Brood War was artificially closed down as a competitive yeah. game. People don't get that. I'm, if you know how ASL does and now the PC bang numbers, I'm not exaggerating. If StarCraft 2 A never happened or B wasn't forced on Kesper, I think Brood War would be a niche esport to this day. As in it would be 
twice as big as ASL. Like, it would still be a, a, a real, like, as in world sport, it would be niche. I mean, in Korea, it'd be huge still, dude. I guarantee it still would yeah, be. It's still relatively well watched in Korea now. It's like made a comeback. It's just actually. it doesn't have all the pro scene, you know, and all the fucking yeah. the accoutrements and, and the salaries and stuff. Yeah. And also in Asia, because League has lower system requirements and like anybody's PC from the last 10 years can play it, the fact that fact alone will keep it alive in internet cafes in China. I mean, Warcraft 3 is still played heavily in China. That's insane. It's like, indeed simple. People won't know. A lot of fans won't realize this because they'll they, if they don't follow StarCraft, they'll be like, oh, wasn't it some like weird game only Koreans played? In like 2010, when the best Counter-Strike player in the world makes like 15,000 euros a year salary and then can win if he does really well, like say... 20,000 euros. So best year ever for a Western Counter-Strike Pro would be like, I made $40,000, right? In Korea, people like Flash were making $300,000 a year salary. This is before any Bjergsen's legal like, yeah. But their and industry also, Korea's they, a lot cheaper to live in. Because so. the key thing is, they really had connected the esport to the mainstream, essentially, not in terms of interest, but in terms of like, the businesses, it was yeah. connected. And they had a massive amount of money flowing through the scene, yeah. Next question. Uh, based on everything you two have seen and known about League and esports and the East popularity in the game, oh, that was the death question, sorry. In software, there's usually a trade-off between software quality and releasing new features. You have recently lamented the bugs in the League of Legends client. Which esports games strike a better balance between quality and new features than League, in your opinion? Uh, that is tough, I guess. Maybe the cheat answer is always Dota because I always think just think it's the yeah. most interesting. Like, so it's well, they simultaneously keep sim some elements the same, but also keep it fresh in a way. Like, I've never seen a game where the devs did a better job of that. I know it's a boring answer, but it's just true. It's just ubiquitously true, isn't it? I think the problem with this question is that the new features often make the game more complex and impenetrable. Like, the more champions they get released, the harder it is for people to get involved in League of Legends. So, I think the best answer is to offer features based on cosmetics like CS does and regularly update those without changing core gameplay so the game remains playable for a long time. There's going to be a point where League of Legends, Valorant, these games that operate their business models on selling complexity, basically, uh, will cause the death of the game in the long run. It's Even though, Monty, people... Obviously, it's not my field, so people are going to tell me, you don't know what you're talking about, you're just full of shit or whatever. I've always thought League of Legends is absurdly under-exploited in terms of what they could do with the cosmetics. Like, first of all, an obvious thing we could lead into, because it's going on right now, is that whole Star Guardian skin, etc., where it's not what we all want. We all want, Monty, that G2's been able to make a skin and put it in the game. No, turns out they're all just in an affiliate program for the same skins, and they're all just helping sell stuff for Riot and they make a bit of money. That's why Riot are idiots, like I said earlier, by not ever sharing power. If you'd have had, like, special G2 items in the game in 2019, you would have made so many fucking millions of dollars. If you'd have had T1 things, so that every year of Faker's career, there's different unique skins for him and his things. Or how about this one? You know, voice lines and stuff like that. Monty, if you know anything about European League of Legends and soccer at the moment, if you had some way that a character you could buy that in the game the character said, shoo, like the fucking Ronaldo thing, every person in EU West would buy that tomorrow. For like, And they'd do it like Zuma, boomers, rather. They'd buy, like, the 99-cent ringtone that we all did before we knew how phones worked. Like, you could have made so... Like, the it's, joke is, if you did this right, you would make more money from cosmetics than the game. Also, in, the game. in Dota, they have announcer packs where the casters yeah. do voiceovers 
everybody would buy the cadre. Oh, they make tens of thousands of dollars. Go, exactly. man. Yes. Uh, and they they cut the casters in to the to the voice backs. I think they did it with StarCraft as well. For I, I'll give you an example. Because the point here as well is you do it well. We're not just going to do it in like a shitty manner. So as you're saying, Monty, the cadre one, like when you get first blood, he goes like, that's illegal. That's illegal. <laughs> and, then, and then when you give first blood, he goes game over. The game's over. Like, no, you know what I mean? Like, I'd have all the classic jokes. Who wouldn't, by the way, who wouldn't buy like a fucking LS voice pack? Mate, we're just generating ideas now that are million dollar ideas. And, and also, that one is really easy to implement. Like designing skins and doing quality control is one thing. Doing doing like Tyler one voice packs in the game oh, is dude, relatively you know low-hanging low fruit. If you really want to make so much money, just have like LS voice pack, but here's the here's the tweak. They're specific for certain metas, and it actually plays the voice when you're in draft. <laughs> so when you lock in that Renekton first R1, you know what? You get a little voice you can, line, yeah, don't you? Can, you, yeah, you yeah, can exactly. add Easter eggs. Anyway. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> I think one of the great things that CS does as well is they open up the skin generation to the community and like pick good ones and like Riot just doesn't do any of these things. They they love power too much. They will never share money. They will never share control. Uh, it's really boring. But Pounder four twenty favorite cheese. You hate cheese. Is there any cheese you even like? No, no, I'm, I don't like cheese. I mean, I love all people, cheese. So. Promise when I say that, people go like, "But you don't take the cheese off the burger." Like, yeah, because that's like a piece of cheddar that just melts into the flavor of whatever else. It is. I don't. I don't like any cheese, unfortunately. I like every cheese, basically. I love really stinky blue cheese. Oh, no, technically, are you ready? <laughs> I actually can cheat on this one, thanks to my new home country, the Netherlands. Because you want to know a really peculiar, bizarre detail about the Netherlands? Okay. They're one of the only... Like, every, there's even a meme like this. Every other country, Monty, calls it peanut butter. The Dutch call it peanut cheese. But there's actually a reason why. Okay. And it turns out it's because to call something butter, it has to actually contain like a certain amount of milk. It's like ah. some legal requirement. So basically, I do like peanut butter. So I'll say peanut pindicas. There you go. That's my <laughs> cheese. There you go. There you go. Ellis is fairly respected. I own the favorite cheese, Gigabyte Marines. <laughs> Whatever. Ellis is fairly well respected in terms of evaluating the individual abilities of players outside of his friends. This is true. He does have very weird takes on players that are his friends <laughs> and lck seems to have top two players in all positions although he criticizes lck's st strategic decisions lpl isn't known to have them either i don't know if i agree with that i think lpl does have some good strategic decisions why do you think lpl has been able to best lck uh level of competition number of really good teams number of extremely good players i do think they make a lot of good decisions i think rng for example makes very good macro decisions certainly better than t1 um a willingness to play aggressively and take risks um in in important situations is another one uh not being as passive or scared but i think it's just the crucible of the level of competition they have is unmatched right now they just have more teams more good players arnold on the the monty and wolf show said that they have better data analysis than lck teams right now so their support staffs are probably better coaching's probably better a lot of reasons i would imagine Uh, what are your thoughts on Battle Royales like Apex Legends as an eSport or spectator sport? I actually really enjoyed the last Apex Legends tournament. It got pretty, it got like several hundred thousand viewers. And it, I like the match point system where you have to like, based on your placements, you have to reach like a point threshold. And then if you, whoever wins after they reach that point threshold wins the tournament. I think that's a really hype mechanic. Um, I'm not sure that it's the best format in terms of competitive integrity, but I think it's the best 
it's the best compromise between excitement and competitive integrity that you're going to get in Battle Royale. I also just like Apex a lot as a game, so uh, I enjoy I've that. never understood the entire genre. Like, to me, <laughs> I understand. Basically, this is the premise. I get why people play it. Seems like a fun, casual game. I don't understand why anyone would even want it to be an eSport. Like, I genuinely think, if people don't know, the first thing that put me on the road to leaving the eSports Awards forever was when they allowed that fucking booger guy to win Player of the Year for winning that shit Fortnite tournament yep. over, like, Caps, Fake, all of them. The fucking the only one, God one event every other game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was gross. Like, I actually think that is one of the biggest travesties that award show has ever fucking inflicted on the world. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I just saying I, I'm not a big fan of it, but I thought that that last Apex was probably the best you could have done with with Battle Royale esports. And I enjoyed that. Can we expect to see merch from you guys in the future? Yes, we're doing a rebrand right now. Actually, we are literally in process, so it's not going to be inside on esports. We are changing the brand uh, and then we will explore those options. By the way, I even want, because it's something I've thought about for a long time, because I always think merch is mad under-fucking-investigated by most areas. Like people don't put all the slogans and the jokes and the memes. What I would love to do through our company is get, like, all those brilliant artists. Think of all those people I've used to write articles over the years that have, like, super unique art styles. I'd love to get those people and actually get them involved and cut them in on part of the profits. Yeah, of course. And do, like, things around, like, famous things from something in sight. Like, we should obviously have a razor cake shirt. Yes. We should have one of fucking the Dardy Awards and the different people who won it and stuff. Yep. I think there's loads of cool angles we could do from this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. All right, we've only got a few more questions. We are getting through all of them by taking a long time this oh, yeah. week. Uh, people like LS love to say how important rune and itemization are, but it's rare to hear of a team beating another on this factor alone. Yes, this is true. Uh, beating a more mechanically skilled team by itemizing more efficiently. How important do you think is choosing the right runes and itemization? Okay, so there's there's a couple levels to this. Now, if you choose entirely the wrong runes and items, then yes, it become, can, be, can become you know hard to win. If we're talking about whether... Leandries or Ludens is more efficient in a certain situation. There probably is an answer to that question, but it almost never would have changed the outcome of the game. There are very fringe cases where you would say, this is the biggest factor in why this game was won or lost. There is almost always a macro or micro or teamwork decision that is more important than the itemization or the rune choices, as long as they're not egregiously fucking wrong. Right. The only um, time I would say I disagree, Monty, but even then it's like it's a fringe case is that's the whole what I point. Say. Yeah. I would say basically, because I've seen Chovy do this, for example, it's where you build a build that is fine for you in solo queue if you're gonna just play yeah. as a mid laner, but like maybe the comp means you now have like no damage source and you like you can only side lane or something. You have to team fight in a five v five. Like unless you do that, I, I also agree. Like that's why people don't realize this is where LS is damned if he doesn't, damned if he doesn't. If he acts like it's not the be all end all, you'll also stupidly go because now you why you're all shit at league legends compared to koreans just like the whole pressing the functions key you'll go well i don't have to do it so i won't do it and you won't bother learning the game and you'll go ah draft doesn't really matter it's how you play it isn't it which obviously then would be too extreme the other way but if he points out that like this tiny thing here could change everything now you'll be like oh now i'm listening but obviously like the item isn't just going to make you beat the guy it's not like well i have this item of faker doesn't so <laughs> you have activated my trap card faker like he's still faker the game still gives him agency doesn't it so the whole yeah. top, like, like that's one where people are with. and the other thing is it goes in waves doesn't it certain matters it almost doesn't matter what you pick as kaiser said now draft suddenly the most important thing yeah 
Also, here's a story about LS. When I lived in Korea, LS, like I went over to LS's house one time because he wanted to talk about runes. And this was when runes were still like rune pages with like- big thing, yeah. Well, they were like the attack speed and everything like that. And he would have conversations with me where he's like- And you had to buy them. You had to have all the rune items to buy them. But he would be like, what if it's like 7% attack speed versus 5% attack speed? I was like, LS, I don't think it matters that much. Like the games are not being- Runes these days are much more impactful because they have like very distinct identities. It's not just- some a different percentage of stats but this is how his mind works and he loves you know i love that he loves looking at these things but he was like this even when runes were less impactful than they are now but here's the thing that ls realized he realized that if he emphasized this thing that he likes and he's genuinely good at doing these kind of analyses you all plebs want to feel that you're smarter than a professional player and so if you and you also are trying to learn how you can be better at this game. So he realized that by focusing on these things in draft and itemization and rune choices, that first off, he could offer you very meaningful advice about how to improve in the game in solo queue. But he also offered a, le- a lever for plebs who w- are not going to understand macro to it's a club that plebs can wield against the professional players to to feel smarter than them when really it's a teamwork problem or there's a deeper issue uh, in terms of coordination that made this game go the way it is. But fans like to be like, oh, if he's, I'm smarter than this guy. If he just itemized this way, they would have won the game. And then they go on their merry way thinking they're smarter than a pro player, which is what makes them feel good about themselves. So the LS, unfortunately, I don't think he was intending to do this, but th- w- that is one of the reasons why he is very popular is because he gives people these angles. Um, I don't think he condones using them against the pros in this fashion. And I think he has a very nuanced take on the game, but that has been a knock-on effect of, of his style of analysis, not his fault, but stupid people are going to take the tools you give them. Right. So, yeah. By the way, another thing to say as well is in the days that Monty's talking about with the old rune system, actually pros, like I said earlier, they didn't give a fuck about them back then. Almost everyone just ran like default ones or yeah. everyone ran I the mean, there weren't very many did. options you could if use. People don't know though, one of the rare players, and I knew this back in the day, uh, his peak who used to actually really care about was Froggen. Froggen used to have loads of different unique rune setups. And as a result, unlike the other pros, Monty, what he realized was this. There are certain mid lane matchups that I'm supposed to be like slightly weaker in, which if I like put this rune so I can like lean suddenly against this guy and I'm not as weak as he's going to expect. And if he never knows that other people use different runes and he's played like 99 and Nivea's that don't have my rune set up, he's going to get a surprise at like wave five or something. Like there were, there were some people who sort of saw the future that like yeah, it wasn't. There were also no data into. analysts at the time. So no, it was nothing like that. Yet, <laughs> like, you know, it, it definitely wasn't being min-maxed properly. Oh, no, and LS was, was one of the people who was really looking at that. Uh, why is League so fucking boring these days? Is it because I mainly watch LEC and LCS? Yes. Yes. I, I would say actually LCK and LPL are quite interesting right now. In my opinion, it's not the game, it's the format. Like I say this all the time about Counter-Strike. You make Counter-Strike a newer league, mate. We've had it with Pro League's like it, it's not interesting. Round Robin Counter-Strike's not that great, mate. It gets pretty boring. The mean the game's aren't as meaningful. Plus this is team's not out, and then who cares? That was a middling team. If you have tournament formats, League will get way more interested. Just will. Yep. Just will. Uh are there and then the last question, are there many more bugs in tournament realm compared to live? Uh, I think it's on the same patch, so I I don't hear about a lot more bugs on Tournament Realm um, than live. I think they're basically the same, as far as I'm aware. Occasionally, there might be some bugs that happen, like the champ swap bug that we saw 
delaying games. I didn't I haven't seen any instances where that was happening in live. So I guess that was very specifically a tournament realm bug. But for the most part, I think it's basically the same. Maybe there are occasional issues that pop up in one or the other, but I'm not overly knowledgeable about bugs in what which bugs are happening at which times, nor do I particularly care unless they're affecting the competitive scene. Uh, so, yeah, that's about it. All right, guys, thank you very much for watching. That's this episode. Subscribe to the channels, obviously. Appreciate you guys watching the show. Best Ad League show will be back this week. Monty Wolf show already out. Uh, and we'll, we'll be continuing for the rest of the split. Goodbye.